Hey! We don't serve their kind here. What? The droids. They left the weight outside. We don't want them. Welcome to the Vintage Rebellion Podcast. I'm Richard Hutchinson and I'm your host for this evening. Episode 37, Three Yak Faces and a Little Twist. I have a bad feeling about this. Joining me tonight is a man whose personal grooming kit is incomplete without the chamois leather to polish his head. It's Jez Allenson. Good evening, Jez. Good evening, Rich. Good evening, Rich. Uh, good evening, everyone. I got a bad feeling about this. Well, Jez, I think before we go any further, I think we'd better explain what's happening here tonight. I have a bad feeling about this. Our regular listeners are probably wondering where are the prissy and pansified tones of Stuart Skinner, our regular host, and the, oh my god, that's amazing, quotations from Grant Criddle. Sadly, neither of them are here with us tonight due to personal circumstances, which have required their immediate attention. I just want to say that it's times like this when we can really put things into perspective and appreciate what is important. So both Stu and Grant will just be taking a little time off for this show and they'll be resuming their full roles next month. And hopefully by then, Stu's wife will have given birth to a brand new little Walkland, which is due around about now. Just before we go on, do you think Stu would allow our listeners to have an input in the baby's name? I was thinking of something like Sindel Tawani. That's a great idea, particularly bearing in mind that Stu does resemble Romba. Uh, so the Walkland thing, I think, fits perfectly. I mean, we could have a little Princess Nisa, can we, on on the way? But yeah, why don't people, um, everyone can put a Facebook thing out and just tag his name, because he's going to have loads of spare time to answer all those things. I think that's a great idea, Rich. And particularly, you know, those friend requests that you get from quite a lot of, you know, I seem to have a lot of young female people who want to be friends with me with unpronounceable names so if you know tag stew into every one of those that would be very very much appreciated and i'm sure he's going to enjoy that I have a really bad feeling about this now we were deliberating a great length about what to do with this show should we do a special show should we do a highlights of some kind our favorite interviews or perhaps even miss a month entirely but in the end jez and i decided to soldier on battle on and release as close to a regular show as possible I mean, after all, Jez, I think we've both got to admit, we are the brains, the looks, and the personality of the group. And uh, you're here with me as well. So, <laughs> right then, Jez, on with the podcast. Okay, let's do it. Well, actually, I don't even know what to do now, because Stu normally just gets on with it. So yeah, what, what does do he do? normally do? Well, mm. should I do revolutions? You do any, and then we'll just wrap up. But don't we normally start with a question? Ah, good point. We're lost without Stu. Jez? Let's face it, a podcast with just me and you is going to be utterly atrocious. So, do you want to fill up our listeners in on what we've got planned for them tonight? Very bad feeling about this. <laughs> That's why my pleasure. Hey, yeah, you're absolutely right. It wouldn't be the same. And uh, let's, let's face it, we, we need some help. So we racked our brains and thought, right, who can we get involved? Who can help us out? And, and we looked at it and we thought, right, yeah, we're going to bring someone back who's been on the show before. 
and we're going to bring someone on who's never been on the show before. So I'm delighted that Mark Hockley from episode 25, Mark and the Modo Nodes, has joined us. Mark, welcome back to the Vintage Rebellion. Hi, Jess. Thank you for having me back. It's great, great honour. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, how are you? Awesome. Yeah, really well, thanks very much, mate. Really well. Good, good. Rich, how are you doing? Sorry, I didn't realize I was a mute there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what, what a start for me then. Uh, yeah, cheers, cheers, Mark. You know, a bit busy with work at the moment and also had a little bit of a rough period over the last two weeks, but looking forward to tonight. I'm looking forward to seeing what you're going to bring. Good. Well, I hope I'm bringing something, yeah. <laughs> and joining us, uh, joining Mark this evening as well, it's going to be, well, we first mentioned him also on episode 25, believe it or not, Rich, because episode 25 was about this time last year. We were celebrating the second anniversary of the Vintage Rebellion. And can you remember we did the uh, the review on iTunes, the competition? I do, yep, and I, I remember bumping into Scott and we talked about taking Scott up to meet Ian. I don't know if you can remember but we, we didn't have a clue what he was talking about when he said he'd won the competition at first. I, I can. So it, it was Cato123 and his brilliant review, which won him the £100. Uh, and we're going to introduce Scott Cato to the show. Scott, a very warm welcome to the Vintage Rebellion. Hello, Jez. Nice to be on. How you doing, mate? Good, I'm pleased you remember me this time, you know who I am. Yeah, well, you're a regular feature now at Farthest From, yeah. Celebration and on the forum, so there we go. Yeah, loving but, it, it's great. And what's also great to see is the reason you know we wanted you guys on is you've been true supporters of the podcast now for ages, we put stuff on the Facebook and you get involved and you comment and you help us out, so we just thought, right, we'll get them on and we'll see how it goes. Ah, fantastic. Yeah. Great, yeah. Well, I'm not going to say how many other people are in the queue before you, but can I just say that 17 and 21 are pretty lucky numbers for you two? <laughs> I'll get the tattoo. <laughs> now, Rich, we've got a bit of an unusual one this month. Normally, normally we leave feedback to the end of the show, don't we? But actually, this month is something a little bit different. Yes, Jez. As you say, normally we leave feedback right to the end. And I always appreciate getting feedback from people about feedback because it shows that they've listened right to the end of the show. Um, and it's something that we've always wondered in the past whether people do go right to the end. So we've got two pieces of feedback that I think is really important to cover right now. First one I want to talk about is the, the fantastic response that we've had to the news that Pete left the show after celebration. We've had so much feedback on this, it's clear to all of you that Pete was actually quite funny and brought a lot of humour to the show. And we've had so much feedback on Toys UK, we've had so much feedback on our uh, Facebook page, everybody saying, you know, sad to see Pete go, where was sad to see Pete go? But thankfully, he's going to stick around in the hobby, hopefully he's going to get his full bug back, he's going to get his full love for the hobby back, and I believe he's coming to Father's Farm, Jez. Yeah, mate, I'm, I'm so glad you finished that sentence because I was rushing ahead of you uh, and sort of finishing your own sentence when you began. And you said, oh, yeah, the positive feedback we've had that Pete's left. And I was like, what? What do you mean positive feedback that Pete's left? No, you're absolutely right. The predominant feedback which we had for the last show is, yeah, we're going to miss Pete big time. Uh, yeah, I'm gutted that Pete has left. I thought he was really funny and I, I loved his um, Market Watch rundowns. I hope you'll be back to do a special one at Christmas. 
yeah that, that that's a great idea that that's my favorite that favorite feature actually that that i will miss is is the uh, the yellow pearl the old top of the pops thing with him doing that rundown i do remember that with a lot of fondness so it'd be good yeah maybe i'll come back and do that every now and again and uh and just being the every man kind of collector not being i know he had his focus but not being you know like a into his cast and crew or pre-production or whatever you know it was just always um he was just there for you know people that were coming into the hobby as much as people that were just kind of having a, a a general little collection just for nostalgia and not going crazy with it you know yeah i agree with that i mean you come into the hobby and there's so many heavyweights who know everything and you're afraid to ask a question in case people think you're daft or you've said something stupid so it, it was nice to have him because he, he was like you say sort of every man and he didn't you clearly wasn't an expert and he wasn't afraid to ask so no there was nothing elitist about the, the way he collected, yeah, and it, it's nice to have that voice on the, on the podcast as well because it just makes it more accessible for everybody and new collectors and, and the like, you know. Well, not everybody's been collecting since the 90s, do you know what I mean? So if you're just coming to it fresh, I think it's good mm. to have somebody who has as much knowledge as maybe you do. Yeah, that's fantastic, guys. That pretty much summarises a lot of the feedback that we've got. So I'm, I'm really glad that Pete's in the hobby, and I'm really looking forward to seeing him next month because it's been a while since uh, since Celebration. It's been a while since we've chatted with Pete. And I think we'll probably be able to arm wrestle Stu into buying a beer. I think it'll be his first one for a couple of years, so I think he deserves one now. Yeah, I mean, they're all great points. Everyone was saying about his market watch and, and how it was there, man. I completely get all that. It was the interviews which he did, which I've just gone through back some of the feedback on the forum, actually. And uh, Max F, I especially like the interview with the old toy shop owner. The chap was clearly old and had forgotten a lot, but the way in which he was interviewed was great. That's something some far more mainstream interviewers could learn from. So people really, really appreciating when he was doing the old uh, toy town, uh, David Jordan's The Jordans, once we're talking episode 23, episode 26, uh, 28, and then more recently the uh, Chris Botkins Rebel Commando interview. He spoke about the Uzais with uh, Mete, uh, and also let's not forget the Christmas pantomimes wouldn't be the same <laughs> without Rich being the closet Christmas panto dame or whatever he was. So, uh, yeah, I sincerely hope that he uh, knocks on our door again in the future and maybe even comes back on for Christmas. Who's going to update people on the slave layer and pregnant Padme situation? <laughs> <laughs> Well, Grant now, actually, because he's uh, he's went modern daft. And some of the photographs he sent us recently, Grant is the new Pete. Gimcrack. <laughs> yeah, Gimcrack, yeah. I love that. It's not even Gimcrack, it's Jim Crackers in Gymnasium. We just couldn't get him to oh. pronounce it properly. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I thought he just invented a phrase. No, no, it's a correct word from the dictionary, but it's pronounced Jim, not Gim. I thought it stood for something. I thought it was an, uh, an abbreviation or something. I don't know. It was an actual real word. I hear it on the radio and it's true, right? Jim <laughs> crack. That now, now to me, that sounds a lot more sinister, and I'm not sure if I'm happy with that. I, uh, no, that's, yeah, that's, it does. That it sounds a bit pervy, doesn't it? Yeah, it implies like the that. sniffing of bicycles, doesn't it? No, it's, 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 and our second piece of feedback that I want to cover is in response to our Slave 1 discussion. And Jez threw a question out about the button on the bottom of Slave 1 that he saw on the prototype that was on the SWCA. And if you remember from the last episode, there was a button and there was a small circular object on the bottom of the Slave 1. And Jez, you theorised that it could have been a speaker or it was possibly something that um, would emit lights. We were delighted when Chris Fawcett contacted us on Facebook and said, hey guys, I've got some information to add to that. And 
you know, when he first contacted us on Facebook, I thought, oh, great, he's going to come on and he's going to share some of his knowledge. But as you're going to hear from this interview, Chris has actually also learned something about this, which is fantastic. It goes to show that it doesn't matter how long you've been in this hobby, you are still going to learn something new. So let's cut to the interview now that I recorded with Chris Fawcett on The Slave One. So, Chris, what can you tell us about The Slave One that we may have misinterpreted? Actually, no misinterpretations. I was actually surprised when you guys brought that up because I had never noticed that the back of that toy had a speaker grill and a button on it. And I was like, I'm listening there, listening. I'm like, really? And I'm in my car, I'm going, man, I can't wait to like get home so I can pull up this photo and look at it. Because I'm like, what are they talking about? I don't remember that at all. But sure enough, you're absolutely right. That one photo of the back, it's clearly a speaker grill and there's clearly a little button there to activate some kind of sounds on the Slave 1. So I decided, with this new knowledge, that I would go contact the designer who these slides came from and ask him some questions. So that's exactly what I did. I contacted him. I said, hey, you know, what's what's the deal with this? I just noticed that this has a button and a speaker grill. And the first thing I asked him was, you know, it was just part of a slide set. So I'm like, did you really work on this, or was it just, just happened to be in the slides that you happened to have? He said, no, I actually worked on that. And he was the one that did that model kit, or that did that did the model from like kit bash model parts and any other kind of parts they could find. Uh, he was the one that made up that slave one model that you see in the photos. So he built that from scratch with parts he could find here and there. And he said that they used it basically as a pattern for the final toy. So I asked him specifically about the sound features. He said, yes, they were planning on putting sound features into the slave one. And basically, it ended up exactly what you would think. It was a cost problem. The toy was going to be too expensive. And he even seemed to kind of indicate that after they had started marketing, maybe even lowered the price target that they had to hit um, after they had started. So all that said, that's why the uh, sounds were removed from the slave one. But here's the most interesting part. I asked him what were the sounds going to be? You know, is it going to be like your X-Wing, the little... And if, if, you're, if your listeners don't know, some of those older toys, like the X-Wing and the Tie Fighter, they weren't actually kind of electronic sounds like you'd think of in a toy today. What was inside was literally a little motor that spun on a little buzzer, almost like what you think when you used to put the, the baseball card in the spokes of your <laughs> bike, yeah. Yeah. and it would make a clicking sound. Similar to that kind of concept was what's inside there. So it, wasn't, it was more of a mechanically generated sound than any kind of electronically generated sound. So I asked him what sounds were going to be there. You know, was it going to be like the TIE Fighter, the X-Wing, a little motor mechanical? And he said, no, actually, they were going to put in several different sounds. Sounds of engines would be one of them. The sounds of the lasers firing would be another one. And at this point, of course, I'm thinking, well, this is going to be electronic then. I didn't really get into details of how they were going to do that, because at that time period, that kind of technology was, was not nearly as common. Obviously, it is today. Now, if you look back at the troop transporter that had sounds like that in it, that toy actually had a tiny little miniature record player kind of a thing inside of it to make those sounds uh, that were actually quotes and things from the movie. So I don't know for sure if that's what they were going to use or if they had you know, found some advances in technology with a microchip of some kind that had digital recording. I don't know. I didn't get into that kind of level of detail. But he said that these sounds were actually worked into that model that you see, and they actually really worked when you press the button. Wow. But the coolest thing he said is there was going to be a third sound other than the engines and the lasers, and it was actually going to play the movie theme. 
<laughs> and he said that that movie theme was worked into that model. So I guess, I'm guessing when you hit the button, it would maybe cycle through them, lasers, engines, movie theme. And that is the first time I've ever heard anything from any Kenner guy about a movie theme being put into a toy. So that was just like, that was mind-blowing to me. And I'm like, I got I to gotta call Rich and just let them know and like get on there and tell the story because it's, it's something new. You know, you don't get a whole lot of new information coming out of the vintage hobby nowadays. But this one, like, it just blew me away that it was wow, we were going to have the movie theme in the Slave 1 toy. How cool would that have been? Yeah, that would have been absolutely fantastic. And what's also a little bit surprising to me was, I think back then we all kind of decided that Slave 1 wasn't really that big of a deal, and yet they've still went to incorporate these fantastic features inside the Slave 1 toy. Yeah, well, I think they definitely knew even back then that you know Boba Fett was kind of viewed as a, as a cool figure, mm-hmm. and his ship was cool. I know you guys, when you were talking about it, on the podcast, you were like, yeah, it wasn't really one I liked that much, but I can tell you, I had the exact opposite experience. This is, the Slave One was probably the toy I remember the absolute most from my childhood. I remember Jones and after that thing for months and months and months. <laughs> it was like the only thing I wanted. And I remember so specifically, I got it on my birthday. And on my birthday, we'd gone out to this lake and we'd pulled the boat up on this beach that was like a shale beach. And then I opened my presents and I played with the Slave One on that shale beach for hours and hours and hours. I love that thing. It was one of my favorites. I'm also a little bit astounded the fact that they've, is Kitbashed the right term to use for this? But they've they've Kitbashed the device together and yet they've still put working electronics in. I think that's Yeah. Yeah, it kind of surprised me. I thought he would say something. Well, looking at the pictures, it looks like it's working, right? Like, why would mm-hmm. you put a button in there if it really wasn't going to work? So from the photos, I expected him to say, yeah, it was working. But it kind of surprised me, too, to think that they would put working sounds into a prototype like that. But maybe that has to do with the fact that if this was some kind of recording device, whether that's digital or analog, like the troop transporter, They'd never really done that in a ship, so maybe they were trying to test out could this work and how would it work in a ship as opposed to the simple buzzer mechanisms of the older toys. And so maybe that's why they decided to put it in the prototype, because maybe it was something a little bit new. Yeah. Are you aware of any other key differences between that and the Slave 1 that we actually got released? Um, well, I didn't really look through the photos in real in-depth, but now I want to go back and look <laughs> at them all and see what I missed, because I... I mean, I've had that photo for 15 years, and I, I, I totally, I can't believe I totally missed that. Mm-hmm. that. That was on there, like the spear girl in the back. Like, I just, it floored me when you guys said that. <laughs> so, but I'm not aware of, of anything else. I mean, you can obviously see there's some, you know, physical differences. And, yeah. And because and, that one's kit bashed. And mm-hmm. he says they used it as like the model for the final ship, but and he seemed to imply that they maybe cast some parts and stuff. But I don't know how much of it was. It's clear to see that some of the parts aren't exactly the same yeah. as what ended up on the final toy. And I'm guessing that a, a pattern maker probably got involved, and there was a probably a wood pattern for that ship, like there were for a lot of the ships. Yeah. And it was probably based off that model. Whether or not it was cast off that model, hard to tell. If we had the model in hand, we could probably look at it really close and and tell exactly what was pulled or cast, or if we had the pattern. But I've never, I don't, I do not know that model to exist, nor do I know the pattern for the slave one to exist. So, yeah. if it's out there, it's well hidden. <laughs> well, if it's out there, even if somebody could just press the button, record it for us, and put it anonymously on a website, I'd love to hear the sounds. <laughs> or tell oh, us. Oh yeah, that would be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I would love, to, I'd love to hear that and see how it works and what the sounds were. So pretty, pretty amazing to, you know, new info like that come out. So 
Yeah. So if any of our listeners do have anything extra about uh, this slave one and how they think that recording device may have worked, if anybody's got any old paperwork, any scraps, any, you know, vague recollection of conversations with Canada employees, we'd certainly love to hear your feedback on that one. Thanks very much, Chris. That was absolutely brilliant. And, you know, keep your feedback coming. We always, you know, respect what you've got to say. And thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thanks. So, there you go, guys. Jez, I think this is your moment to shine because you actually said that this is a speaker. And you're correct. And what? Two years of recording with Jez? This is possibly the third time that you've been correct on the point? So, I think I think next time we have a quiz, you can start with one point advantage. I'm feeling that generous tonight <laughs> because it's a speaker. How fantastic is that? Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, that is really good. I, as soon as I saw it, I thought, "That's well, that's not what mine's like in, in that button. Yeah, I knew it. And as soon as Chris put that comment on Facebook, I was like, yeah, air punching, thinking, yeah, need to be in on this. So, uh, yeah, delighted. And Chris, once again, um, yeah, mate, the feedback which you give us is is awesome. And, uh, and your support to the podcast is really, really appreciated. So thanks ever so much for that. Just to throw it out to you there, Scott and Mark, we discussed the Slave 1 in depth last month. I'm sure that you listened to that recording. How would electronic noise feature change the perception of the Slave 1 for you? So if we'd start off with Mark on that one. Uh, well, do you know what? This was a this was a toy I remember with great fondness because I never had a Falcon or an Atat, but I did have the Slave 1. Uh, and I, I still remember getting it, actually. I think it's about my 10th birthday. I thought it was really cool. I mean, I remember you guys talking about it last month and saying that it was a bit, you know, it didn't have electric sounds and stuff, but I thought it was a really cool toy, but that would have made it even more cool. And the minute you said about, you know, I saw that picture and you'd said about it possibly being a speaker, it, it just clicked, you know, it's like, yeah, there, there might be more to that. And now we know there is. Yeah, Mark, I was listening to your old interview mm. from episode 25 earlier on, and you were talking with real good fondness about the Slave One Loved and it. about Boba yeah. Fett and all that. And I just mm. thought, oh, I'm so looking forward to you coming on tonight so you can learn about this and, and see. So, uh, yeah, brilliant. And yeah, you're the only one. You're the only yeah, one on my own. Who, wow. who actually had it as a kid. Really? Car. Yeah, it was... Um... Uh, to be fair, actually, thinking back, not many of my friends had it either, but they, they all had their Falcons or Atats, at least one or the other. And, uh, yeah, I just had the uh, X-Wing, well, I say just, I had the X-Wing, Snowspeeder, TIE Fighter and that, and uh, that was my favourite. Yeah, fantastic, but to be able to play the Star Wars theme and have those engine and laser noises, that would have been phenomenal. It would have saved me doing it with my mouth, wouldn't it, if I make the noises myself. Well, from memory, the X-Wing didn't have sounds coming out of it it had a button for sound but it didn't come out in the uk one is that right yep that's correct the palatory one as ever went cheap wow i think would have been great i mean my memory of it i had it but i was more interested in the hand carbonite even though it was a bit small but i think would have been great the laser sounds would have been great so there we go jesba had a lot of feedback as well which i'm going to cover back here later on on the slave one and you know perhaps I certainly know that I put a bit of a down on the Slave One, but by all accounts, a lot of people on stores from the UK actually do enjoy it as a ship. Mate, I think this is the way we positively reminisce about these vintage ships. You know, we, we start talking about them and think, yeah, but come the end of it, we're like, oh, it's amazing. I love it. I, in fact, I want to go. I'm, I'm going. I'm going to buy another one now. And, and that's how I feel at the end of the NA section. Absolutely love it. So, yeah, the, the feedback for the whole Slave 1 was was really good. And, and we're looking forward to, to doing more 
elements like that in in the future um, for new acquisitions and on the podcast. But to see that button and to try and get a scoop like that, I'm going to be scouring the Star Wars Collector's Archive now to see what else I can see. But I think that might be our uh, five minutes of fame right there. So fantastic there, uh, Jez, some some great feedback. This was something that we were planning on doing with the whole team, and we decided, you know, I think we'll still run with this one. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at celebrating Star Wars 40 years very, very briefly. And I want to know some of your earliest memories. So I've got a question for each of you, and I want you to go all the way back to 1977, 1978, and we'll go back to your very, very earliest memories. Uh, I think, for me, probably the earliest memory, I'm not sure if it was quite that early, but it was probably like the colouring competitions and things that were in the papers that my my grandparents used to save for me. Um, so I'd go around there or entering competitions in local papers when the hype was just sort of starting to build up. Probably more, you know, before even I had the toys and that, I was just aware that it was quite an exciting thing and, and blessed my grandparents were already, you know, knowing it was something that I would, you know, connect with. Yeah, Mark, just for those who may not have listened to episode 25, um, can you just remind us of the time when you went to watch Star Wars in the cinema? Because uh, your old man pulled a bit of a dirty trick, didn't he? Yeah, actually, I, I, I didn't want to repeat myself, but yeah, that was actually uh, my first, one of my first memories. Is, that was Empire Strikes Back. My dad was a, a, a serving fireman, and um, yeah, we went to Camberley. I think Odeon as it was, it's not there anymore, I think it's a block of flats now. But uh, the, the Odeon in Camberley and a uh, great big long line out front for the double bill of Star Wars uh, Empire Strikes Back. And uh, my dad went right to the front of the queue with me and uh, got his ID out and waved it at the girl behind my desk and said, yeah, um, spot check, checking huh. your fire escapes and everything, making sure everything's in order. And they, they waved us through. <laughs> and we, we jumped the queue and went in and watched it. It was amazing. That's yeah. so dodgy, but that's exactly what I would have done. So, yeah, yeah, fair play. Uh, it's proper life on Mars stuff, yeah. As my dad always says to me, oh, it's different then. Awesome. Scott, thinking back to your earliest memories, and what came first for you? Was it the movies or was it the toys? Well, I'm told that I saw Star Wars, the first one, at the classic cinema in, in Monk Seton in uh, Whitley Bay, but I have no recollection of it at all. I really cannot remember it. But I do remember getting the figures probably, well, the following May for my birthday and being a bit bewildered as to what they were, but uh, taking them to school and everybody being very excited about it. So I suppose they came together, really. I guess back then it was such a big thing that it was everywhere, I suppose. Jez, you've mentioned in the past that war movies put you off, and you've discussed you know, the fact that you'd heard it was called Star Wars, and you were kind of, mm. So, thinking back to when you first saw Star Wars, what was the moment that made you go, whoa, this is a movie that I want to watch? Yeah, mate, you're quite right. I, I was kind of up to my teeth a little bit in military stuff and wars. You know, my, my dad at the time was um, working in the Marines, my uncle was in the Navy, all we seemed to be doing was going to Portsmouth and looking at stuff. It was a lot of military history or military stuff. And then to see a film, Star Wars, yeah, totally not interested. But a friend of my dad's prevailed and said, yeah, put it on. And I think pretty much straight away, probably without realising it, all the music stirring everything up. But it was definitely Luke for me. I know now everyone looks at Han and is like, oh, yeah, that guy was cool. But no, it was the whole farm boy luke skywalker then suddenly being a, a hero someone who's risen from nothing and then blowing up the death star i mean i remember running through the woods 
sort of saying, oh, have no fear, Luke Skywalker is here, trying to be Luke Skywalker myself, you know? I, I think it was just the whole movie. Um, I don't think there was one standout moment, but after that first watch, I just rewound the tape and watched it again. From then on, collecting figures, boom, hooked for life. That's interesting, that, Jess, because Simon Hillier never told me that in the last interview that we had with him. So... <laughs> oh, my word. Right, so... <laughs> I, <laughs> I was, so the day after we release the day we release our podcast obviously we do our own recording we do all our own bits and everything's gone together and then you put that on and then you you just come on saying oh yeah we managed to get his friend and i was driving back listening to this in the car my heart was in my mouth and i was like what what they tracked him down oh my god and then the second you opened your mouth oh my word yeah, uh, fair play, fair play. Watch your six, there, Rich. Um, Revenge is a dish best served cold. Um, okay. Can you not try and get him to come on now, Rich? <laughs> yeah. I yeah. We've got a job. They could have got him to co-host. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very good, Rich. That was good. Right, we're back to market. So, what can you remember of toy stores back in the day? Now, I'm thinking of displays or perhaps hunting down figures that ne- were never in stock because, you know, you're, what, seven, eight, nine, ten years older than the rest of us here. So you, sh- <laughs> you should have a better memory of Bear back then. I had an easier paper around there, didn't I? Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I mainly what I remember was there was two shops I used to get them from. One was uh, Tesco in Wokenham when my parents had a shop and I was quiet and didn't, you know, didn't cause too much hassle and slow them down. I used to get a, uh, a figure uh, when we sh- went shopping every couple of weeks. And there was a shop called The Pleasure Boat in uh, Sandhurst, which I used to go to as well. That was, that had more choice in a way. I mean, they used to get the latest waves, whatever it was, um, in, in Tesco. And it literally would be dozens of the same figure. Uh, racked up you know like eight or ten different figures but loads of them whereas the pleasure boat was obviously ordering less often and they would um they'd, so you could track down figures that you know because when i started getting into it more it was probably towards the end of empire and into jedi rather than you know i didn't really i don't think i ever had any 12 backs or anything no i just ripped them open anyway but pretty sure i didn't have any i think it was more empire cards when i came into the hobby so so yeah, i just sort of remember that really I, and even then i remember you know, kids cracking the bubbles to get, steal the guns out of them. I remember that being a real... When you pick one up, you'd make sure it hadn't been broken open for the gun. In the store? Um, when, if in you te- went to a yeah. store, there'd be, there'd be cracked bubbles. In, in Tesco, yeah. Wow. Yeah, they used to just kind of flex it at the corner and, and just take the weapon out the bottom. And I caught, actually, <laughs> confessions, I, I caught a kid doing that once. This was about 1983. And I said, I'm going to tell on you. And he goes, no, no, don't tell on me. And I said, well, get me a jower then. <laughs> and, uh, and, he, he, and I said, he goes, well, I'll give it to you. And I said, no, no, not, not in here. I, I, you got to get it outside. <laughs> I don't want to be caught with it. Because I knew it was wrong. I just like, threatened to bust him. And I said, um, if you uh, just hide it behind the drain pipe out front and I'll, and I'll pick it up when I get out. I was like nine. Terrible. Career criminal. What could have gone? <laughs> And, and yeah, and then my parents remember this really well as well, because I came out of the shop and we were like 30, 40 foot from this drain pipe of the shop opposite. And I go, what's that over there? And they're like, what? What are you doing? Come on, we're getting in the, getting in the lift, go to the car park. No, no, over there. And I'm running over there and I put my hand behind this and pull out the, the, you know, the smallest possible Star Wars figure to have seen behind a drain pipe next to the Yoda, you know, plucked out a jar and went, look. 
and they just thought I'd stolen it and put it out there. I don't know why I would have hidden it there and not just left it in my pocket till I got home, but uh, my dad just took it off me, didn't let me have it. I was going to say, after the cinema shenanigans, wasn't your dad just looking at you winking and going, nice one? <laughs> You'd think so, wouldn't you? No, no, he didn't, he didn't approve at all, no. I, I, don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what happened to it. I asked him what happened to it. He doesn't, doesn't remember what he did with it, but he, I never got it. Scott, you grew up not too far away from where I grew up, probably well, about 10 miles or so. Now, I remember going to see the Darth Vader tour, and it happened at Gateshead. Now, it keeps being advertised in there as Tesco's, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't Tesco. It was Shopping City, which is actually in Tesco's car park, but was a separate independent store that was actually on Tesco's land. And I remember meeting Darth Vader. So, did you catch any of the Darth Vader tour or any other kind of special event organised by Palatoy or Lucasfilm? I don't remember Darth Vader ever coming to Whitley Bay, but if he had, I'm sure I would have remembered it. But I know that we had Kenny Baker came to... I imagine the film must have been re-released, and I was taken back to the classic cinema where I'd seen it the first time uh, to meet Kenny Baker and to get his autograph. But then once I met him and had the autograph, I was taken home. We weren't going to go and see the film again. But, yeah, I don't remember Darth Vader being there. Well, that's cool meeting Kenny. That's that's very cool. I, I, now you mentioned it, I do remember Darth Vader coming to our, one of our school fates uh, um, at Oakland's in Crowthorn. I completely forgot about that. But I'd, I'd, th- I'd think it was just somebody in a suit that was good. But there were, I mean, it was proper. It looked like the one that I've seen in pictures from the, the touring ones when I when I cast my mind back. But I totally forgot about that. I think it was the real Kenny Baker. But I think it was billed as, oh, we're going to see R2-D2 and then... When you got uh, there, I was, uh, again, I didn't put the two together. But yeah, I, I did meet him. I've got the autograph upstairs, actually. That's great. Jez, how big of a Star Wars fan were you? As in, did you go full kit and caboodle? Posters? I'm just thinking kit and caboodle. I'm going to say, love our America's take on what uh, what that term means. How <laughs> big a fan were you? Did you have posters, stickers, trading cards? Or was it just more toy line related? My auntie knitted me a jumper with star wars across the front and i wore that day in day out that's how much of a star wars geek i was wow um i can't remember the trading cards at all but i definitely remember the return of a jedi panini sticker album the rainbow read long cassettes uh, i had a star wars lampshade and some postcards um, but yeah I absolutely loved it uh, really really loved it that was my world as a kid oh you're sparking all sorts of nostalgia now yeah actually i do remember the trading cards but i think it was when the older kids in the street had them and i used to get the swaps and then sort of start building a collection up these would be the blue tops cards i remember i don't remember all the different i'm just starting to collect them again now because my i was my nostalgia was spiked by um by the jabbers courts cards so but yeah the, the blue ones i think i used to just get the doubles given by the, the older kids in the street because so they were probably actually the first thing I had thinking back now, actually. I, I remember having a couple of red ones, but nothing past that. I didn't know about the other colours till years later. And, and I seem to remember the the, um, the Electra set transfer things. I think my grandparents gave me those. And then, even though I didn't have 12 backs, the first um, Star Wars branded stuff I had, because it was pretty long after that rain, it was into the Empire Strikes Back range, was the um, 12-inch dolls, which was um, 3PO and R2. 
which my grandparents bought for me at key markets in Reading I think, back in the day. So I would have been pretty young then, but I think it was old stock. I think it was kind of Empire era. Uh, it'd be the Dennis Fisher's 12-inch droids. Um, um, dude, I know we're going to get a Scott any second, but you just said dolls. Oh, yeah. You know, you, like you that, know, Lee, Lee listens to his podcast, mate. He'll, he'll do you. <laughs> He's a good friend of mine, and he's going to put my ass in a sling for that. Uh, <laughs> Large-scale action figures. Uh, just drop that in. <laughs> They're dolls. Fantastic, guys. So we're going to move on to our next section now, which um, normally when we've done the intro, we'll move on to latest acquisitions. So, Jez, one of my latest acquisitions can be tied to you. So do you want to tell our listeners about a lucky find, chance encounter, whatever you want to call it? Do you want to take it away? Yeah, cheers, Rich. I love this story and I love the outcome, which we'll come to at the end. Um, so I was on, on Star Wars Forum UK and Steve Savory, who was our guest last month, put a uh, started a thread in the events section and he was referring to potential auction which was being held out of a toy shop in Wantage. Now Wantage, for those in the UK, sort of equidistant between, let's say, kind of between Swindon and Oxford. And uh, so it's a small little town in a fairly well-to-do area, I hasten to add. And, And there was a little bit of uncertainty with regards to this because apparently the the owner of the shop put a uh, put a thread on uh, one of the facebook groups and it all kicked off Uh, and the reason it kicked off is because apparently amongst the photographs which he had posted on this facebook group were three carded trilogo yak faces yes three all going up for auction all which this guy had got in a house clearance sale now, he had in excess of 100 carded figures coming in, but people were concerned, confused. People were thinking, is this true? Is this a scam? What's going on? And uh, and there was a little bit of confusion of it. Fast forward a few days, and I'm actually transiting from Swindon to uh, to my hometown, and I see a sign saying, Wantage, this way, 20 miles. And I thought, oh, okay. So I just took a detour on a whim, and I drove down there. And it took me a while to find this shop. And uh, it, it certainly was off the beaten track. And it was actually uh, just off the high street. And if you imagine, there's a little um, covered walkway. And you went in and you found this shop called Toy Planet. And I went inside and it was very much like Dave Tree's All the Cool Stuff down in Fordingbridge. A longer shop full of all sorts of retro retro games retro toys not just star wars but you name it and lo and behold i looked up by the till and there were three carded yak faces all in star cases pinned to his wall with a few other carded figures whoa i just stop and i stare and i'm looking at them and the proprietor of the shop just engages me in conversation starts talking away and the first thing which comes out of my mouth is, um, well, congratulations. It's not often you see three like that. Oh, do you want to have a look? Do you want to have a little look at one of them? Um, no, mate, I, I don't think I'm ever going to own a, uh, a carded yak face. Um, I'm sorry, that's outside of my um, budget. But I, I really, really uh, appreciate you having them. And it's great. It's a great shop. We started chatting and uh, explaining a few things. I spoke to him about the podcast, told him about how much I loved his shop. And uh, I had a chat and he's like, go on, go on, have a little look, have a little look. And I was really adamant that I didn't want to have a look. And I think that that might have then almost set him a challenge in his own head. 
that he was determined in some respects to sell me one of these egg faces. Uh, and after a while of being in the shop, I ended up having a little look at one. And, and he had them up and he had them up, possibly priced it above market value. And straight away, he said to me, look, the price is completely negotiable. Um, I just put it up high so kids don't pick them up and touch them and parents don't let the kids pick them up and touch them. But anyway, I, I'd been in there for a while. He was saying to me, oh, well, I'll sell it to you for this. Or, or actually, you know, come on. It very quickly became clear that he recognized that I wasn't a dealer. I wasn't a flipper. And if I had been interested in them, it would have just been for me. But still, no, I, thanks very much. But I'm all right. <laughs> he then said to me, oh, why don't you pick them all up and, and I'll take a photograph of you holding them on so you can show your mates. <laughs> okay, random. So I'm holding three carded yak faces, which which makes me laugh. Uh, and then he then offers me a price on the worst one. Now, when I say the worst one, it's a carded yak face. Uh, but this one's a little bit of water damage, a little bit beaten up. But he still offers me a really good price, which I'm thinking, oh, no, that's a great price, but I just cannot afford that. And, uh, and I go home, well, just as I'm leaving, he's like, look, come on, that price I've just offered you, you can have any of those three for that price. I'm like thinking, holy moly, one of them's unpunched. Um, all of the bubbles are in really, really good shape, really good shape. And it was a, a really, really good price, which just completely took me, uh, took me by surprise. I obviously discussed it with uh, Stu and Grant and, and Rich, and all of you were like, wow, you know, get all three. No, I can't. He's he's offered me one for me, knowing that I'm not going to flip it. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna flip it. But then Rich said, "Well, oh, I don't know. Uh, can you get me one?" So I then off said to the chap, "What about? Would you consider me buying two at that really good price?" And uh, yeah, and the guy agreed. So a few days later, I went back, and uh, and there we go. I picked up two carded yak faces. I couldn't believe it. So I, I bought the two. He had said to me at the time, right, the third one is gone. Because at that point, me and Rich were thinking, well, let's just get the third one. And uh, and the third one had gone, and uh, which was the worst conditioned one. So there we go. Myself and Rich have got a carded yak face. I'm taking them back to my house thinking, oh, my goodness, look at these. And now I've got to choose which one I want and which one Rich gets. So we both get a carded yak face at a really, really good price. Um, absolutely delighted the shopkeeper obviously really really pleased that he he got a sale but i think you genuinely got the opinion that he was happy that they were going into a dedicated collector's hands um but the great end to this little tale and i'm sorry i've yawned on for a while is steve savory after learning about this purchase he went back there a few days later to see what else he had and he went to take some stuff to exchange he had um a, a boxed uh, Falcon and Atta, I believe it was. And actually, the guy who was going to buy the third yak face pulled out in the end. So the third yak face was back for sale, and Steve ended up getting the third one. So whilst this was all kicking off on a Facebook group, and it was all going a bit crazy, um, three members, three friends of the Star Wars Forum UK all ended up with a good deal with a carded yak face. And I can't tell you... How amazing it feels to have one. I never, ever thought I'd have one. Um, it, it didn't mean anything to me in the first place, but now I've got one and the whole mystique about it. I love it. I really love it. And you'll love yours too, Rich, when I get it to you, mate. 
Didn't you sell all of your mocks, though, Chess? Yeah, I, I've got no other carded figures around to display, but I've got this yak face, and I, I'm delighted with it. So you've went back in quite hard, then, with a the yak face. <laughs> yeah, go out or go home, yeah. And did Richard take one, did you say? I did indeed. Jess got one for me as well. Would have been a hard decision as to who got the better one then. <laughs> when you say better one, I mean, it's kind of like apples and oranges, isn't it? They're both really nice, but, you know, one of them's unpunched, the other one isn't. But one of them may have, you'd be able to describe it better than me, but one of them may be slightly more damage bubble than the other one and I, I don't think it was obvious which one of the two was better you might see the first one i might see the second one we both could be right we both could be wrong i actually was there very busily taking photographs and sending them to you and uh old try logo joe whilst i was in the shop like what do you think of this what do you think of this what do you think of this must have been about 30 different angles of the bubbles and, and the seals and everything like that because you know let's face it it's a lot of money isn't it and you and you're handing it over, no receipts, all done in cash, and you want to make sure it's all good. And uh, remarkably, you may be surprised to hear, but the unpunched one um, I, I've given to Rich. And because I was just happier, slightly happier with the bubble and the sheen and the finish of the other carded one. And in fact, afterwards, when I said to, uh, to Joe, this is the one I've gone for, Joe was like, yeah, that's what I would have gone for too. But Rich is going to be massively delighted. I'm so... I'm so chuffed for you, mate, that you've got the inner sort of strength to say, no, I'm waiting, don't put it in the post, I'll I'll see you when I see you, because these things are just too precious to risk in the post sometimes. Now, when I first started listening to this podcast, Rich, didn't you just collect loose figures? I still collect loose figures. But only (laughs) you you didn't didn't used to collect any mocks at all, did you? I don't collect mocks. (laughs) He's got you. You do now. How many have you got? You must have, what, ten? You've got... Uh, how many you're doing that budget run, aren't you? I've probably got about 30 now. <laughs> so you got you do collect them, then? Uh, I, I acquire them. I'll give you that one. I acquire them. <laughs> At the right price. <laughs> I've always liked you, Scott. <laughs> Where's the boot button? <laughs> oh, it's a marathon, not a sprint. It's a slippery slope, though. It certainly is. And, uh, Jez, please tell me after that 20 minutes, that's your one and only purchase, or do we have more to come? (laughs) Yep, that's it. So, only last week, I was driving, again, the same route with work, and I thought, I'm going to go back to that shop, and I'm going to go and see what he's got. And actually, he was waiting for a new shipment to come in, but it didn't stop me, from an impromptu point of view, whipping out my iPhone and just saying, hey, Steve, fancy a quick chat? So here we go. This is Steve Taylor from Toy Planet in Wantage. Yeah, so here I am in Toy Planet, and I'm chatting to the owner, Steve Taylor. Um, Steve, please tell me everything there is to know about this wonderful shop. Well, thank you, Jess. Thank you for coming down. Um, Yeah, the shop is designed for collectors, for kids from age of five, right the way up to 75, are catered for all, all collections from... Transformers to Star Wars from vintage to modern day. Also, I uh, work very closely with a lot of collectors, building collections. I have a lot of Star Wars collectors that are building loose collections at the moment. Always look after me collectors. They've been with me for nearly two years now, supporting the shop. Um, I also have a lot of Transformers collectors. I have a variety of collectors from all different sci-fi film genres, as well as Lego and also board games. 
and also I do a lot of the retro gaming side as well because collectors tend to be not just into one thing, they tend to be into a lot of things including retro consoles based from 85 right the way up to 2000. Fantastic, yeah. So I walk into the shop uh, and first of all it's remarkable how big it is and how it's, it's beautifully laid out. We've got cabinets on either side, it's a feast for the eyes, cabinets in the middle showing all sorts of stuff and a real blast from the past looking at some of these things. Um, but it's in particular the Star Wars stuff, which has naturally taken my interest. Um, Steve, the reason I came here and I stumbled across this shop is because of um, a post which was put on Star Wars Forum UK uh, about, oh, there's this guy who's got hold of a, a load of carded figures and three carded yak faces. Uh, and there was a whole Facebook shenanigans going on on one of the groups. And uh, and then th- everything went a little bit crazy. And then someone said, oh, yeah, it's this, it's this guy who's got this shop in, in Wantage. And I thought, right. I need to have a piece of that, and I'm driving past Wantage, and 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 that's how I came to be in, in your uh, in your shop. So yeah, what was all that about, buddy? And and talk to me about the whole Star Wars collecting and the way in which that all turned around, because that was a bizarre story, wasn't it? It was absolutely bizarre. Well, I'm a collector myself. I've been collecting for these 36 years now, which I've now completed my collection. Um, but the I was approached by uh, a friend of mine who is part owner of Banbury Comics up in Banbury. And this guy walked into their shop, who knows the owner there quite well, and said, look, I've got these. Would you be interested at Bamber Comics? And it was three yak faces and a few carded figures. And Scott, who's a good friend of mine who works with him up there, came said that Glenn didn't want them, but would I be interested? Because he said it's more specialist for me. Yeah. So then he came down, introduced himself, went through the first lot, brought them all down for me, we agreed a price, and then that was when it all started, and it all become a bit viral on the old Echo and all that sort of thing yeah. on the forums. And um, and that's how me and Jez got talking, really. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I like to look after collectors. I'm not here to deal with dealers that want to flip stuff. It's looking after the true collectors. You know, some of these bits are hard to find. And as it goes forwards, a lot more stuff has come in from different lofts yeah. over, the, over the last couple of weeks based on that and also there is another hundred odd coming in over the next few days wow. which will be coming into the shop and will be available for collectors to purchase um, and I'll help any collector if you know it will work around people's budgets not a problem at all fantastic I mean you do you, a massive turnover of stuff coming in every week how can people find out about this so obviously there's the shop but from a social yeah. media point oh, of view... Oh, the social media, yeah. Toy Planet Collectors is my Facebook group. It's right. grown now to over 2,000 members. Wow. Uh, everything that comes in gets photographed, put on there. Uh, because here today, I've had at least three lots of stuff come through the door today. Right. So it's daily it's coming in. I think last week, I had just in the region of £12,000 of stock come through the door in right. one week. So And that's from 80s, 90s and 70s style yeah. sci-fi and, uh, toys and collectibles. And then... With the group, now I publicise everything on my Comic Con that goes on. I have actors in every two months to do signings. I had a little Michael Hembury from um, Return of the Jedi when the Ewoks in on the 6th of May to celebrate Star Wars weekend, which went yep. down very successfully. And on the 1st of July, I've got Clemso from Force Awakens, Assassin's Creed, and Doctor Strange coming in. Wow. So I do that on a regular basis just to trap people in, especially with a lot of enthusiasts I've got, yep. because they love that enthusiasm you know and it's somewhere it's not a shop in so say so it's more of a community for collectors yeah i got that i got that the first time i visited <laughs> this store 
Um, uh, and there's people coming and going all the time, and it's yeah, very friendly um, atmosphere here. Now, um, tell me about what happened last Christmas. Did, was it Christmas you put something on last yeah, year? Yeah, last Christmas, 37, uh, 4th of December last year, I put my first Comic Con here in Wantage. Um, hired the Beacon, which is a three-storey building, which is a civic hall here in Wantage. Had six actors and actresses. We had stormtroopers on BMXs, so we're doing the stormtroopers here. We had the barricade from Transformers, the big police car outside. We had... Um, Q&A questions, we had a retro game room, we had a Warhammer room, we had lots of families then, we had over 500 people attend the event for the first year. Your first event, 500 people? Yes. Wow, success. So yes. are you going to be repeating this? Yes, repeating this year on the 3rd of December, of which I've got um, Femi Taylor coming, who was the dancing yep. girl in Return of the Jedi, she left an extra one this year, as well as Hugh, who was the Gregorian guard that got thrown down the pit, Right. we were here this year as well. Um, so I've got them, eight of them this year, and this year we've expanded a little bit more. We've got the Archduke Builders Club coming, we've got Joker Squad coming, so we've got lots more going on in the building. So I've had to move the retro gaming outside because a customer of mine just helped him build yeah. into a back of a long wheelbase van a retro gaming mobile unit, Blimey. which will be in the car park. Awesome. Okay, so that was the 3rd of December. 3rd of December. Well, you, yes. we're, we're going to have to get you on or, or publicise that again prior to the event, just to make sure all our listeners are aware of that. That's And I'm like hoping it. that yourselves will come and do a live podcast from the event on the day. Well, yeah, well, that, that sounds like a plan. That sounds awesome. Thanks very much. And, uh, and hopefully, I'll see you soon. Enjoy those cards coming in on Friday. And, uh, yeah, look forward to seeing what it is you get, mate. Yeah, no problems at all. And, uh, you know, any collectors out there who would like to pop in and have a chat or want to discuss their collections, you know, that's what it's all about. It's a uh, bit of a sharing session here. I've lots of like-minded people and a lot of customers end up talking to each other. Yeah, brilliant. So right. if someone's got their eye out for something, if there's something in particular yeah. someone's after... Join my group. Join your message group. Message Toy me, Planet. Toy Planet Collectors. Three separate words. Message me and I'll see what I can find for you. Brilliant. Steve, thank you very much. That's all right. Wow, Jez. Well, you know, Trilogo Yaks, fantastic. Scott, we've never had you on the show, so have you got anything at all over the last couple of months that you may want to bring up as, as a latest acquisition item that you've purchased? Well, earlier this year, I completed the uh, loose run. So I wasn't going to, like you, I don't collect mocks, but I managed to buy quite a few. Obviously, they cost a bit more money. So what I've been doing is rather than just buying bits and bobs off, ebay and facebook and stuff like that i've been saving uh the pennies and going to farthest from so the last time i went i picked up three uh, mocks i got an emperor and a squid head and a weak way believe it or not yeah all from farthest from and i find the experience a lot better than punting on something on the internet that you're not sure that it's going to arrive and if it does you don't know what condition it's going to be in so collecting memories along with collecting toys, that's fantastic. Yeah, and it's, it's nice to meet people and, you know, you get a bit of backstory where stuff's from, so yeah, it's great. And got some more uh, cases, GW Acrylic, off uh, Jamie Fuzzy Buzzy. He's always lurking about at the exit to, to nab you as you go out and talks you into buying some stuff. So yeah, got some of that as well. And Mark, um, I mean, episode 25 was a long time ago. Surely, of all the money you've been coining in from your Barry Mando tribute gigs, you must have made some stellar purchases in the last couple of months. Uh, you're still perpetuating the myth that I'm a Barry Manilow tribute. Yeah, um, I've, yeah, I've bought some more stuff. I'm on a bit of a break again. Well, I'm just queuing up, I'm just queuing up a break. Um, but yeah, I've got a few bits lately. 
this last week uh finally it hasn't arrived yet so i don't know if that jinxes it normally you guys don't mention it until it arrives do you but as i'm only um, guest host this month i better mention it i finally got a slave one diecast and it's taken me forever to find a really nice one they're really hard to find it's taken me two or three years to find the right one i missed out on that one i'm furthest from because i was too tight because it looked like it had a little bit of uh, wear and tear and i didn't really know how high to bid so i missed it and then um yeah, finally got one of those, so I'm really chuffed with that. And took a, a leaf out of Grant's book, and I finally got arrived in the post today. One of these little grey fluffy buggers, Wiley the Ewok. <laughs> so I'm in the I'm in the little Wokling thing. Uh, a Wiley the Ewok stuffed figure, it says on the tag. And I got some cool colouring books and stuff. A couple of Empire Strikes Back Home books and, and loads of Jedi ones and the Jedi like word search and um, puzzle books and spot a difference and and there's a great recipe in there for um for cookies which is uh, got a really great little image of uh of reuse and yak face sitting there looking a bit mashed actually and it's uh, it says monster munchies those are the things that i've got in the last week or so i need to stop you just for a second because uh, here on the vintage rebellion we we often correct people's grammar and, and the way they speak and all that sort of stuff i think re- recently richard has been educated in repro repro uh, rich corrected me a little while ago on saying for free as opposed to free and so on and so forth mm-hmm. um what event does dave tree host oh, did i say did i say furthest from do you know what, yeah, I really, yeah. do you know what? it's farthest from but i struggle with that you know every time i go to type it i have to go about no i go backspace no backspace and yeah i have a real problem with father strong i don't <laughs> know why sanderson does as well he does, yeah. and all through your last interview you were yeah yeah furthest from furthest from furthest from what uh, yeah for the benefit of you and ian Ooh, farthest from yeah i really struggle with it i don't know why <laughs> you get that one right though don't you richard i do yeah farthest from simple yeah well, that's one but richard uh, how do you say woolworths woolworths yeah see. <laughs> what about you rich well, you know, Jez, it's been a strange one for me because I didn't really have a lot. Um, and obviously you acquired the yak face for me, which we already discussed. But I headed off to, to Vectis because I actually won a small lot. And I don't win many lots at Vectis. And sometimes I bid £2 each on these modern lots. But they always seem to go for like six, seven, eight pounds And I'm thinking, well, who's buying these huge lots for £8 a quarter figure? Because you're not going to make much profit on them. But I actually won a lot of loose, complete first 21 figures and i think there were about eight of them in the box and it worked out at about nine pound a figure which i thought was fantastic so um i headed down to vectis and i was picking up items for some people and um, those have been following my facebook feed my tales of war started when i was following a car transporter the car transporter struck the bridge and knocked a car off which narrowly missed my car that that's an incident in itself but i went down to vectis and i picked up this lot and i looked at the figures and i thought wow these are in really really nice condition um, so I'm pleased with that. So I've, my um, first 12 action display stand is filling up nicely. Uh, I don't have too many to go. And I've sold a couple of the items on one of the Jabba's Dungeon Palace uh, auction, whatever, whichever one that is. I've sold a couple of items on there, which is nice. I've got to mention an item that I've got from Stephen Duffy, who goes by Mumbo on the forums. And he sent me, do you know the Retro Draftsman who's been a father's form a couple of times? Nice one. Yeah. Well, he's drawn a really nice R5-D4. It's about A5 size, maybe a little bit larger, with a nice frame. And Stephen Duffy bought me that as a gift. So um, thanks very much, Stephen. It's much appreciated. 
And then today, I, I got another free gift, and this has come from Commander Clint, one of the Tantive guys. And apologies if you hear a little bit of noise now, because I'm just moving to a box, because this has just arrived today, and I haven't even opened all of it. So what I've got here is, I've got a small, what's this? It's got Empire Strikes Back bubblegum trading cards, and these are wrappers. And these are from the um, Star Wars fan club in Canada. So he sent. This You've got to be kidding me, Rich! I wish I was, Jez, but that's what they're that's, rappers. Yep, yeah, they're, they're rappers. No, 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 fantastic no, rappers. Rappers, yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, hang on a second, lads. How did Rich say it? Was it in a really silly way, or was it? Sounded quite posh, actually. Oh, shut up, you tort. Right, <laughs> guns don't kill people. Rappers do. Yeah, so it got some really nice rappers and. There is another packet with uh, lots of Kenner ones in. There must be, I don't know, 20 or 30 Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. These ones are... Trying to look at them. They are... These are chewing gum wrappers as well. So absolutely fantastic. The first one's got um, Star Wars with C-3PO on the front. Extra free sticker with every pack. A couple of movie cards, souvenirs. And there's something here which is taped up really well. So I'm just going to try and peel the tape off this now. I'm not entirely sure what this is. Oh, and it's a, it's a sealed... Battlestar Galactica TV photo cards with one sticker bubblegum pack. So, uh, Commander Clint, much appreciated. I, I do enjoy Battlestar Galactica, and that's the, the first item that I've got that's vintage Battlestar Galactica, so absolutely brilliant, much appreciated. And my third freebie came from Rich Temple, who sent me a poster this month. Um, sorry, it's not a poster. It's it's a programme from the Prince's Trust, from one of the screenings of one of the Star Wars movies. Um, so that's much appreciated um, over the moon with that. And my last purchase I got was a recent eBay purchase, and I got a 21 back, uh, 21i or 5D4, which was absolutely fantastic. That was Simon O'Cohen tipped us off about that. I was the only bidder, and I was pleased to win it. So that's now sitting on my shelf along with the rest of my R5D4 collection. Very, very good month for me, collection-wise. Dude, fantastic. that is a good month. So, Rich, where did you get that R5D4 print from? I got it from the Red War Draftsman. It came from um, Stephen Duffy, who bought it for me as a gift. Shouldn't that be retro, Graftsman? <laughs> oh, very good. Sorry, I shouldn't pile in on the Geordie being one myself. Wow, yeah, I, th- I thought we were two teams of two, but this is fantastic. <laughs> we've, we've got a convert. I don't know whether to talk Geordie or to talk Bosch. <laughs> <laughs> so you feel them both. This is my telephone voice. <laughs> <laughs> Should we trip on over to Rebel Briefings, lads? Droids Factory, Mark II. Star Wars at the Movies, a new launch. GW Acrylic, the big reveal. Return of the Boom. The Rebel base is on the moon on the far side. We are preparing to orbit the planet. So Rich, Droids Factory, Mark II? Yeah, Jez, it was you who tagged me in this post because this picture that was posted by Josh Blake on Facebook absolutely fascinated him so i contacted josh blake and i'm really really pleased to bring an interview with josh blake and bill wills who will discuss the droids factory mark ii 
I'm delighted to be joined by Star Wars long-term collectors Josh Blake and Bill Wills. So good evening to you both and welcome to the Vintage Rebellion. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Richard. Pleasure to be here. Now, before we go into our main interview tonight, why don't you both give us a brief overview of yourselves, your collecting habits, and your place in the Star Wars community. So we'll start with Bill. Well, my place in the Star Wars community, I have no idea. I just kind of float around and do my thing, and my, I guess my place is whatever people perceive it to be. I don't. It's not really something that I've ever really concerned myself with. You know, I do what I enjoy doing, and, and uh, I hang out with the people I enjoy hanging out with, and that's kind of, at the end of the day, that's it. Uh, as much as I love the hobby and, and enjoy, you know, collecting, uh, I've got a wife, I've got three kids, ages 14, 13, and 11, and they keep me super busy, so um, that always takes precedence over everything else. I Some of the Facebook guys maybe don't know me uh, as well as some of the older folks do, just because I, I don't. I just don't have much time to spend on Facebook. So when I do, I try to take care of business with Cantina Collectibles and anything else I get managed to squeeze in is just a bonus. But uh, I started collecting back in 1993, 94, um, you know, somewhere around that, that time period. You know, my story's probably not a whole lot different from a lot of other guys that uh, that got into the hobby. I was, uh, I think I was in a a Walden book somewhere at a mall and I I was browsing the uh, price guide section, like the collectible section. And I noticed there was a price guide for toys and I thought, well, that's, that's weird. I didn't know toys were valuable. So I, I picked this price guide up and I was flipping through it and I, I found a section on, you know, vintage Kenner star Wars. And I was just shocked that somebody thought that stuff was valuable and collectible. And, and it actually appeared to have, I, I remember at the time it, it said like a, a 12-inch Darth Vader was worth $50. And I just remember thinking, incredible. Who in their right mind would pay $50 for that? And then, uh, so that kind of in, in piqued my interest a little bit. And then shortly after that, I stumbled across, and I don't remember if it was the monthly magazine or if it was one of his Star Wars uh, you know, editions that he did. But I remember leafing through a Tomart publication and seeing all these full color photos of uh, original card and star wars figures and i was just blown away i couldn't believe that stuff existed and i just remember thinking how cool it was and it just brought back all these memories because for a lot of a lot of guys uh the packaging uh was just as big of a part of, of the experience as a kid uh, as the toys were and a lot of people you know they i, I regret like my son is not into He's 11. He's never cared about action figures. He's never been into toys. It's always been sports or video games or, you know, something along those lines. But, you know, back in the dark ages of 1978, it, you, you couldn't hop on Google and, and do a quick uh, image search for Star Wars and then just feast your eyes on all those great images. You had to, you know, check out the latest Starlog magazine or Famous Monsters or collect the Tops trading cards or buy the toys, which had all this awesome graphics on, on the packaging. So, uh, again, so sorry to belabor the point, but I just remember being struck by all those images. And so that, that prompted me to just keep an eye open for those, those types of things. And I remember there was a, back in the early 90s, there was a, a chain of local stores uh, called Mavericks. And they, they used to operate out of a, a mall pretty close to where I worked. And uh, I remember walking in there one day and they had a, carded uh, Return of the Jedi Jawa for $30 and I bought it and I remember thinking I'm stupid I need my I need my head examined why why would I do something like this you know but I loved it I was I was hooked and uh, from that point forward it was uh you know it didn't take me long to discover the earth and toy shop magazine and you know and it all kind of went from there but um 
you know, my, my, as far as my collection goes, um, you know, it's, it's changed a lot over the years. In the very beginning, I just bought everything I liked. And, uh, anybody that again has done this long enough knows that just leads to chaos or it leads to, uh, you know, just something that becomes unmanageable, uh, especially if you're not, if your goal is not to own one of everything or have a gigantic warehouse somewhere to dis- display all this stuff. Uh, you know, if you're going to have just a normal house and a, and a collection, uh, it just quickly gets, <laughs> you know, unwieldy. So I, I started paring things down probably 10, 12 years ago. Uh, and I was, tr- I tried to focus a little bit on, you know, mostly early Star Wars and, at some point, I, I had opportunities to pick up some really key Luke Jedi uh, pre-production pieces. So I, I enjoyed pursuing those. Um, Matt Brand, when he when he got out of the hobby years ago, I bought a few pieces off of him as well. And so I, I've really enjoyed kind of having that focus and uh, sort of a way to kind of bring your attention to something specific so you don't kind of get distracted by all the other things that, you know, are, are cool in their own right. I just can't collect at all. So I'm pretty happy with where, where my collection's at. Um, you know, I did sell, uh, we built a new house about four and a half years ago. And so I sold a few things at that point to help, help fund the house. And so, you know, uh, there's a couple of things I miss, uh, but, uh, for the most part, once it's gone, it's gone and, you know, you move forward. So, but I, I enjoy the hobby. I, I have a lot of friends in, in the hobby. I, there's a lot of really great people that I've met through this hobby. Obviously, Tracy Hamilton's, you know, one of my very best friends. And we met strictly through running into each other at Walmart at midnight looking for Star Wars figures in, you know, 95, 96. And he ended up uh, being a, a groomsman in my wedding. And of course, we're, you know, to this day, we're, we're, you know, best friends. So he's not my only very close friend in the hobby. That part is just as important in, in many ways as the stuff that you hoard, you know, because at the end of the day, it is just stuff. And, as important as we tend to all, all this intrinsic value that we tend to to place on these things, they they are still stuff. They're still plastic and paper, and they're not meant to last in eternity. So, uh, but I enjoy them, and uh, so that's that's a quick rundown of me, or, may, or maybe not so quick. I don't know. <laughs> 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 that, that, that's a perfect answer, Bill. You know, um, and I'm certainly I would raise a glass of uh, of wine to to Tracy now because uh, I met him in um, celebration. Such a wonderful guy, really nice, and he always had a beaming smile on his face every time I passed his stall. He does. That's just that's just his nature. That's who he is. He's a great guy. I don't I don't think I've ever met a single person that doesn't like him. If they don't like him, it's more than likely their problem, not his. <laughs> and the same question over to you, then, Josh. Well, I, I've just been blessed with where I actually grew up, uh, being uh, kind of neighbors with uh, Bill and Tracy and some of the Ohio Star Wars Collecting Club guys. But, you know, basically my story, I guess, is I started collecting again uh, right around 93, 94, about the same time as Bill. And uh, most of the stuff that I was looking for was just items I couldn't find as a kid. I mean, I liked everything. There really was no such thing as focused collecting in those days. And, in fact... The first time that I started hearing about that, I, I was a little bit confused as to, you know, why would someone only want to collect or focus on one specific area? Uh, for me, it was just, well, I like it all. I, I, I turn over uh, a card back and I want all of those figures. So I, I liked a variety of items. Um, mine kind of went a couple different directions, probably more in areas that people aren't really all that interested in. I was originally interested in a lot of the diecast line and the 12-inch action figures. And, and to me, it was just sort of like an extension to 
loose three and three quarter inch figures. I had lost my childhood collection probably around 91, 92, and my uh, father got a job transfer up to uh, Middletown, Ohio, which happens to be right outside of Cincinnati, Ohio. The plot of land my parents found to build their house was on the exact same exit as the infamous Trader's World flea market, where you know you hear all of these crazy uh, stories of Kenner employees showing up on a Saturday morning selling off prototypes and all of those items. Of course, in those days, we didn't know what prototypes were. We didn't even know that there was any desire to own those those types of things. But I was just, <laughs> I got my first job when I was 16. I was hitting the flea market every weekend, uh, the summer of 95 uh, and 96. Uh, of course, my father started, you know, <laughs> he, he was, he was kind of managing, uh, seeing the inventory that I was bringing in. I was blowing all my paychecks, buying up all of this stuff. And I just, I couldn't help it. It was, a lot of it was just random items that I would find. Once I got into college, I think that's probably where I would say I kind of came onto the scene or people started to, to take notice of who I was. And I started taking notice of who they were. A friend of mine came up and, and he was visiting the family. And we had been talking about doing some sort of a, maybe like a, a baseball card type shop on eBay. And I had no interest in it whatsoever. I said, you know, why don't we try to do something that I, I'm interested in? Let's, let's do Star Wars. So we started pilfering through all of my old stuff. And lo and behold, some of my old collection, uh, contained actual prototypes. I had some first shots in my collection. I didn't even realize it. So this would have been, uh, probably 2001, I think. And, uh, I <laughs> reached out to, uh, Gus Lopez and a couple guys that I found online. And all of a sudden, I found the archive, and it was like, oh my goodness, what what have I been missing, you know? I think the notion of collecting prototypes and my interests, really, it starts with the micro-collection line, and learning about all of these play sets and vehicles that never went into production that I wanted as a kid. I loved that line growing up, but I loved, I loved all of those lines. It wasn't exclusively micro. I think that... That's kind of where my focus sort of started to take, you know, as Bill was saying, you know, you, you can't collect everything. And when you start going out too far, man, you can, you know, it can really break the bank. So I thought, you know, I'm finding myself selling off my three and three quarter inch items to purchase micro items. And it, by virtue of those items being unproduced, they were prototypes. Uh, it wasn't that I just wanted prototypes for sake of, having something that was rare or exclusive. It was just, I enjoyed them being the toys that they were. That's kind of where things sort of spawned from, from that point. And I, again, the passion really comes from being able to go to the, the flea markets and go to garage sales. That to me is therapeutic. Uh, it was just really, uh, in the early days I was doing it by myself. I didn't have any friends. Uh, but lo and behold, some items popped up on eBay, and I'd heard of these guys that were local with the Ohio Star Wars Collecting Club. I'd never met them. I was on, you know, some of their uh, news groups, and uh, it just so happened that there was this this guy that lived a, a block and a half down the street from my parents, and I had come home from from college, and I found out that it's this guy Bill Wills that I had 
you know, I'd heard about. And I thought, there's no way this guy just lives a block down the road from me. So that was, uh, you know, one of my first big transactions. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm like, I'm like in now, you know. So um, so anyways, that's kind of <laughs> that's kind well, of you're, you're, you're being awfully nice to me, Josh. Because you didn't tell him that I was too stupid to recognize the uh, unproduced. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he, he, he had the, he had quite a few. uh interesting uh one-of-a-kind pieces uh and uh he had no idea what any of it was and when i got it home and i scattered it all out i thought oh my goodness you know i, I started to feel really bad and i went back to him like ah well i i think that you may have sold me some stuff that was quite a bit more valuable by that time you know we were both frequenting the earth toy mall uh there in cincinnati so I, I believe it was Kathy called up Bill and said, "Hey, there's this guy that just came in here, and he said he bought this stuff from you. Are you aware of?" So um, those days, you could you could buy a collection of stuff from from Kenner folks, and you know yeah. myself, I didn't care about micro stuff. I didn't care about it at all in the slightest. So I didn't. I had all these other pieces, and I, I just thought, "Oh, it's it's random micro bits. What you know, yeah. I'll throw it up on eBay." And sure. uh, things were a whole lot different back then than they are now. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It was, it was, I, I think in those days it was kind of like no one was searching for their place in the hobby. I guess that was kind of the way that you had stated that it was sort of like, I just like this stuff, you know, and there, there was something in the lot. Uh, it must've been that the uh, micro FX seven arms that I eyed and that was what we were trying to work a deal. Right. Out for. So That's you right. knew that that was in there. And then when I took a, the rest of the stuff home, there was a few other pieces, so, but you know, we found out that we have a whole lot uh, of other things in common. And when I, I met Tracy, it was sort of like, oh wow, I know you. You know, we've we've talked before. I didn't know that that's who you were. You know, as it turns out, Tracy and I we had the same uh, job working at a, a local amusement park in high school. We went to the exact same college. We were both RAs in the exact same dorm. I mean, it was like, oh my gosh, this guy's like my so we're like living parallel lives apart from one another. So we all became, you know, really good friends pretty much from the get go. And everybody sort of had their their own turf sort of, you know, etched out. And this is what I like to do. This is what he likes to do. And we have been helping out one another ever since. Wow. The power of Kenna then after all these years. <laughs> still, still good friends to this day. <laughs> yep. Now, Josh, I reached out to you over a post that you made on the Star Wars pre-production vintage and modern Facebook group. Now, for those who don't use Facebook, and, and many of our listeners don't, it's one of the problems with Facebook is that when somebody makes a fantastic post like what you did, it very, very quickly gets lost. But your post didn't get lost because so many people liked it and commented on it. So what can you tell our listeners about that post and what did it contain? Oh, sure. That was the uh, Droids 2 uh, mock-up playset. You can actually see a, a a good write-up on that on the archive that sort of gives a, a blow-by-blow account of uh you know why that was developed and what they had in mind for that and if you read that entry it basically explains you know you had a junior engineer who was working on this along with a senior engineer they had some interest in in using some uh, wind-up toys. They thought that this concept was good, that it, the original droids playset was not really performing at the level that they felt that it could, because that was, you know, an uh, interactive toy developed by Tom Troy. And he was saying, you know, it, well, 
a lot of people in management were saying, well, it's not in the movie. And he said, well, so what? You know, you guys are looking for something that's more interactive. And in those days, that was really what they were striving for. So in this case, they thought, well, the sales weren't really strong. So if we integrate some wind-up toys, robots to go into this playset, into the design uh, that are recognizable like FX7 and R2-D2 that have these small motors, maybe we can see where this, you know, if, if we can get some better sales, if this will make a better product. Basically, there were three or four people assigned to that as with most projects. And basically... Uh, what you're seeing is probably a month or so uh, worth of development. They presented it to uh, management as they did weekly, uh, the projects that they were working on, and they greenlit it. They did a few mock-up portions of the playset. They did uh, some of the wind-up toys. What I was trying to do is just demonstrate what some of those features might have been. And they did the artboard, which Chris Jorgulius posted on that thread, which is also on that entry on the Star Wars archive. So there's kind of a backstory that goes along with that that is somewhat coincidental. I actually know the individual who owned that. He was a brother of that junior engineer who was assigned to develop that playset and create the mock-up. I've been friends with him for uh, quite a few years now. He was actually a uh, member of the Ohio Star Wars Collectors Club, and he was actually a collector himself. So what ended up happening was the items that belonged to his brother that were given to him, they were given to him under the condition that he could never sell them. But he had items of his own that he had found from former employees. This guy, he's got some very interesting stories. I mean, it was kind of like a dream for all of us growing up. He actually got to go into the Kenner building uh, and visit these employees watch uh, them working on some of these items and see some of the, the concepts that were being developed uh, at that time. And he had named off a few different things like the Adat Walker and some of the stuff that he, he knew, you know, was in the movie. And he thought, oh, my goodness, he got to see it before anybody. Um, of course, a lot of the concepts with the micro line, his brother worked on several of those items. And I guess it was around 2002, he got out of the hobby and had uh, ended up donating that uh, item to the Cincinnati Museum Center. And as it turns out, that item has been in storage for 15 years and hadn't seen the light of day. And lo and behold, I get a, a call from Corky Steiner, uh, which I've assisted on a couple of other projects, that they were going to be doing this exhibit that corresponds with the, uh, the Power of the Costumes Smithsonian uh, Lucasfilm exhibition. And they called us and they said, you know, we'd like to do this uh, this sort of a, a, a Kenner exhibit as sort of like a, an added uh, exhibit to the main exhibit. So they start pulling that stuff out. And I had asked about that playset, and uh, the uh, the head curator came in and she said, yeah, it just looks like a big box full of junk, but we're going to put it on display. And I said, boy, that's not a, a box of junk. And Bill and I, you know, we lit up and... I actually, I, I got to do a few demonstrations uh, with that to, to show everyone how that could have potentially worked had the toy been developed. Um, so that was basically what you were seeing. There's, uh, you know, an FX7 and the arms are not attached. They're just sort of like, again, it, it was just, it's all mocked up materials. It, it was just, they mocked up these items just to get an idea of how it would function and enough so that management when they you know they went into this uh, meeting eventually said no this is going to cost too much 
to develop. So great idea, but it's just not going to work. And that's basically all that they had done on it. And that was the end. A lot of folks might be disappointed if they got to see that piece in person because it's, by today's standards, it's fairly crude. Uh, Josh, I, I don't sure you yeah. would agree but you know they did things quite quite a bit differently back then so, yeah, yeah at, the, at that stage of development i mean we're, we're talking this was just basically like a referred to as like a turn model so they didn't take into consideration where parting lines or or details or any of that would have come into place all they were trying to do was say this is what the product is going to look like and this is potentially what it could look like and how it would function and uh, it was just to give them an idea and all toys started that way for the most part. Uh, either, you know, they, they would have a designer that would come up with an original idea, an extension to a line, or uh, someone from marketing would come down and say, hey, we need to start working on this particular item. And you saw it in the movie, and this is what it's supposed to do. So in this case, it was an original idea based off of an earlier concept. And they thought, well, you know, maybe if we spruce it up a little bit, maybe it could be a bigger seller than the original. And that just wasn't the case. And they said, no, uh, it's just not going to work. We need to scrap this and move on. Is there any evidence of this being reused for another line, whether it's non-Star Wars or it's something from the micro line? Not to my knowledge. Yeah, I don't believe so. Now, the reason why I've come to that from that angle is because for those who've seen the picture, it looks like it's in two halves as if one half would pull up to reveal the contents inside and it sort of reminds me of Darth Vader's breathing chamber on um, Empire Strikes Back so I was wondering if there was some kind of thought into perhaps pushing it down that line mm, I don't think so but I, the, that middle section is, is more or less just to carry the parts yeah it's more of a storage, uh, yeah. storage container and there was no thought into perhaps pushing the toys without the playset because I think from from my understanding was it the the amount of plastic involved in it made it too expensive or was it the motors that I don't know I mean the again this was so early in development a cost engineer would have looked at that and they would have known you know this is uh I think that that it was originally going to cost them like $15 per unit and they were going to sell it at like $30 at least that's what the information had recorded on the archive. And again, a lot of the, the technicalities of it are, you know, written in that entry. But, uh, I mean, it's, again, it's, it's interesting to see something that in this stage of development that almost all toys were in at one point or another. And they just, these examples, the mock-up examples just did not survive. A lot of times, you know, when, when Bill and I, we found items from former employees, when it's a mock-up, it's hard telling what it is. Uh, there's absolutely no evidence what line that it could have gone to. There's, the, you know, this is so prior to any kind of copyrights or, you know, we're, we're talking like maybe Sharpie markers if, if there's any evidence at all. Um, so it's, it's anybody's guess. But in this case, there was documentation because the employee actually held onto this item. And then after the fact, I guess it was a couple of years later, through a, a totally different source, the mock-up or the rendering uh, turned up uh, through the Earth Toy Mall. And uh, then it sort of brought to light what this might have looked like had it gone into production, exactly what they had in their mind when they were building this mock-up. So it kind of... Well, Josh, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but uh, the, 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 the mock-up turned up before the... It did. Garbage. So 
there was some, in the hobby there was some initial confusion as to what that playset was and if it was yes. indeed you know <laughs> Uh, yeah, there was up up until that point. I don't believe there was any documentation other than the word of this, you know, brother of a former junior engineer. There's been a lot of people who've shown up and have said, you know, I had an uncle that worked at Kenner, and he, you know, he claimed that he worked on this mechanism for, you know, a, a Takara or you know, uh, item, and then it it's like, how can you substantiate that claim without any documentation? It's just the word of this person. But in this case. He had the place that looks exactly like the artwork, and the artwork shows up a few years later. There's absolutely no way that anybody could have looked at that back in the day and said, oh, yeah, that's a, that's the second iteration of the old uh, droids factory. No, and I mean, you know, even though this place is crude, I mean, you can tell when you look at it closely, it had been vac-formed, you know, that somebody put a lot of work into this. Mm-hmm. So it's unmistakable i mean some no one could could have built this thing in their garage how big was this place at how big would you say that is bill probably 15 inches by yeah 15 inches it was very similar in scale to the original droid factory just different shape it's quite a size and and you said that they were probably looked to retail at 30 dollars now that was that round about the price of an atat the atat in at least in this area was never as cheap as 30 dollars i mean no Perhaps if it was on sale, um, I mean, if my memory serves right, I believe the AT-AT retailed for around $50. Wow, expensive so, toys. It was an expensive toy back in the day. In fact, I remember having a, a debate with my mom. Uh, do, I get, uh, <laughs> do I get an AT-AT or do I get a uh, – there was something else I wanted. I can't remember. And I remember her saying, well, that, that AT-AT is $50 or you know, yeah. whatever. It was expensive. So. Yeah, I I recall that as well. Uh, it was it was right around fifty. But to your point, you know, does a kid want something that's not in the movie that's interactive, or does he want something that is in the movie that's just really cool? I mean, only marketing could give you that answer as to why that they decided to pull the plug. I mean, you know, re- again, I I can't, uh, you know, I have to reemphasize. You know, there were st- <laughs> one former employee gave me this analogy um, that sort of put everything into perspective. Um, I don't know if you could call it an analogy or not, but he basically said, you know, we would come up with ideas constantly. You know, we, uh, of a hundred ideas we would come up with, one would get selected for a green light. And of the hundred ideas that we would come up with for each one that they green lit, only one of those was chosen. And of those hundred, only one of them would have been a successful toy that ended up on toy shelves. Wow. So they were working around the clock just coming up with as many concepts as they possibly could. And that's the department that this came from, um, the preliminary design department and the model shop. So they basically just assembled a small group of guys. Someone had the idea. Another guy said, yeah, I've got some experience working with wind-up toys. And they just assigned three or four people to start developing this for you know a month or two. And this is what you ended up with uh, all the way up until the point when the cost engineer got involved and they said, no, it's not going to work. And Lord knows how many toys left on the, I mean, that didn't even make it that far. Yeah. Um, for the other ones that did make it and you want to see early models, you'd have to go to someone like Mark Boudreau, uh, who would have, you know, internal photography for such items. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned an art board before. Now was the purpose of that art board purely internal to show, um, the cost engineers or the, the marketing department, what it is that they were envisaging? 
there. Right. That would have been shown to executives and, of course, sales and marketing and maybe some marketing research people. So strictly internal. Yeah, but they would meet once a week. Some of the, the inter more interesting stories I've heard from the model shop employees, they had actually built in, they had like this boardroom. If you could imagine, they just had all these executives sitting down in, in chairs and they're all coming in, shaking hands, drinking coffee. And the model shop was behind this curtain and they built this little, it was, they called it the, the carousel wheel that had an opening. So they would place the item on it and there was, you know, a separation between they and the executives and they'd roll these items out as they were asked. <laughs> so they, they said they could hear on the other side of the curtain, Oh, that's, that's never going to work. And, and then they would all, you know, sit back there and they'd have to listen to all of this critiquing or the, the room would light up and they would, uh, they would say, okay, let's, let's green light this and let's move on to the, the next uh, phase. And let's see, uh, you know, maybe, maybe we've got something here. And uh, they said that they could potentially take an item all the way up. They could green light it all the way to production. And then at the last minute, something would pop up, whether it's a safety product. The Rocket Fed, of course, is, is the most infamous. Uh, green light that thing all the way up to the point when it's ready to be sent out to retailers. And they say, no, this isn't, it's not going to work. And you could only imagine what kind of factors would play into that. Um, by that point, it wouldn't be cost. It would be more. Uh, well, sometimes it would be uh, the tooling department. The tooling manager would sit there and he would say, "There's just no way I can do that." Yep. Um, I mean, and I remember one example. There, uh, well, I think uh, there there was some issues with the uh, the the superpower line because of the uh, that mechanism inside that made you know when you squeeze the legs together and you get the the hand you know the arms going up and down or whatever. And uh, I know that that caused there were some real issues in the tooling department with that. And and uh, so I know. Who I think it was is it um, I can't remember the fellow's name, but he talked about he had sculpted Wonder Woman and he never liked yeah. her, that her hips were so wide. He thought you know she didn't she didn't look very you know yeah very, he, he he described the torso as uh, a refrigerator and <laughs> yeah. they got they got into an argument that yeah and that was the other thing they said that you know these board meetings sometimes it was like the Wild West you know oh, they, they were ready to yeah. come in gunslinging because the sculpting department. They had it in their mind. This is the way it's going to look, and you have it's artists against the executives. Yeah, yep. yeah. Yep. Or, or uh, you know, some guy well, in tooling that's saying, "I can't yep. do my job because you're not cooperating." So we have to do it this way. So Wonder Woman, of course, that was a, a great example. He didn't like the, the way the sculpt looked. Uh, once they had to stick that mechanism inside, and uh, he said, <laughs> "You know, you, you probably have to call on someone like Mike Menzinger or uh, Bill Byers, and they could give you a." probably a, a, a blow for blow account of as to how that went down. But uh, that's a good example of something at the last minute uh, where they had to just go ahead and push production. They were so far and that was it. Now you mentioned that this had come out after being in a museum for 15 years out on display. I'm assuming that there's some kind of toy museum or toy fair going on. Can, what could tell us about that and what else was there? Well, Josh alluded to it earlier. Um, so, uh, Essentially, what, what we've got going on is the uh, Cincinnati Museum Center, it's also called uh, Union Terminal, uh, had, had been planning to do the uh, Star Wars exhibit through Lucasfilm, through the Smithsonian, to celebrate the 40th anniversary of Star Wars. And so, you know, they, they've been working on this for a while. And uh, the idea was to, um, since obviously Cincinnati has such, you know, uh, has, has the Kenner ties there and such a strong tie to 
to the films uh, through the toy uh, hobby. They wanted to kind of celebrate the, the Cincinnati contribution to all things Star Wars. And so the idea was to have at the very end of the display, uh, of course, after you go through the merch shop, off to the right would be this nice little room all done up, uh, really gorgeous uh, display cases, uh, and just have it filled with all these great Kenner Star Wars items. So as Josh mentioned, uh, <clears throat> he was initially contacted by Corky Steiner. He's kind of the guy that put Josh in touch with the museum center. And uh, then Josh asked me to help out, which uh, was very nice of him. And I was more than happy to ride his coattails. <laughs> and um, so uh, we uh, we met with the museum center a couple of times, I believe. And uh, they, they kind of showed us the schematics of the display cases and the, the space that we had to work with. And, uh, I mean, they, they pretty much had an idea of what they wanted. Uh, it needed some tweaking. And, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I'm, I think Josh would agree. I mean, we're, we're pleased with how things turned out. But, you know, it's a little bit of a, it's a little scattershot. I mean, we I mean, probably would have done things maybe a little different on a couple of places. But overall, it, it looks really good, aesthetically speaking. The graphic uh, designer that they used to, uh, to to do the walls and the, you know, the signage and all that was did a really fabulous job. Except he, it took him three times to get my name right. But uh, that's okay. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it turned out really well. So Josh and I got to go down there and, and actually do the installation and set things up. And uh, we got a, of course, we got a private tour that day, uh, which was a Saturday uh, before it opened. And then, which we didn't even know about this. This was just uh, the cherry on top. They were having a soft opening on Wednesday for uh, donors and uh, contributors and, uh, and of course, the museum personnel. And they had uh, Anthony Daniels in to MC the event. And so... Well, we got to go again and uh, uh, get get another tour and um, and meet uh, Anthony Daniels and chat with him for a while, which was awesome. Uh, it was just a tremendous amount of fun. But um, I guess to answer your question, they 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 pulled this piece out specifically because they knew they wanted to uh, you know help tie this thing all back to Cincinnati. So it is the Cincinnati Museum Center after all. So. So yeah, and then they basically uh, they have rolling exhibits that come through there. So they've had you know everything from the Dead Sea Scrolls to bodies to, you know, of course, this. And it was interesting, the lady that uh, that actually flew out to Denver where a lot of the costumes were um, packed up and, and, you know, she had to actually go out and, and check everything out and help assist with the packing and then have them shipped out to the museum center. Um, she was talking about how much uh, she said this was second only to the Dead Sea Scrolls in terms of what they had to to uh, the insurance amounts, which was pretty pretty amazing. She said that like virtually every Amidala gown was insured for a million dollars, and that that we're talking Queen Amidala gowns. Uh, and so I don't know what they insured, like you know the original Obi Wan cloak or the Fett costumes or the Han and Chewie costumes. I mean, who knows you know how much that stuff was insured for? But uh, it was fascinating. It was just a it was it was a pleasure to be. Uh, invited to to be a part of it and and have you seen this piece before you know when you when they first mentioned this museum were you hopeful that it was going to be brought out and and you knew it was always there well uh yeah we we knew that that piece was there and in fact we had tried to reach out to the museum center on a couple of different occasions just to see you know what their plans were for that piece and uh we didn't have have a whole lot of luck there, but we we definitely knew it was there, and uh, when we saw the original uh, layouts for uh, the displays, we noticed that they had prototype droid factory on there. So we were pretty excited that uh, 
you know, because at that point that would that was just confirmation that they were going to bring this thing out and use it in the display, and we'd get get a chance to see it. So when we showed up on Saturday to do the installation, uh, it was already out. And, and thank goodness that this wasn't thrown out then as a box of loose bits, as as Josh mentioned at the start of the interview. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I could have easily seen that happening too. Yeah. <laughs> well, Bill, Josh, many thanks for your time tonight. It's been an absolutely fascinating interview. We'd love to have you both on again in the future because I'm sure you've got some fantastic stories to tell that our listeners are going to love. Uh, I, we, I would uh, be happy to come back anytime and uh, you just say the word. we got plenty of things we could chat about. So. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much for having us, Richard. It's been fun. The moon with the Rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes. Rich. Star Wars at the movies. Now I know what this is about. Yeah, Jez. Grant in particular has been talking about Stephen Donnelly's Star Wars at the movies project and we've been desperate to have Stephen on for quite a while to talk about this project. But he wanted to wait until he had, you know, his, his new website and his podcast ready to go. So I am absolutely delighted to bring you a fantastic interview right now with Stephen and you're going to enjoy this. I'm delighted to be joined by Kivecast co-host Stephen Donnelly today to discuss his new exciting project with us. Good day to you, Stephen. Hey, thanks, Richard. How you doing? Um, not too bad, but uh, I've certainly been better. <laughs> now, <laughs> last time we had you on our show, we briefly alluded to a project you had in development with regards to Star Wars, and more specifically, Star Wars at the movies. And yeah. Not, not long after that, you released a teaser podcast project, and now your first new podcast episode has dropped. Now... Before we get too much into the podcast, first, firstly, can you tell our listeners, why does the cinematic experience of the first Star Wars trilogy appeal to you so much? Well, I think the, the biggest thing for me is it's something that I just didn't get to experience. Um, I was born in, in 1985, so I didn't see the movies in the theater until just a really odd special screening in my hometown when I was seven years old. And, you know, I'd watched them countless times, you know, as a young kid on VHS, but it wasn't until seeing it in a huge theater with a crowd that was just going nuts that I really realized that it was a completely different thing altogether. Was that cinema that you saw, was that about, what we're looking at, about 1992? Was that an old cinema and it still did have that old cinema kind of feel or wasn't one of those more sterile ones that we'll have today? Yeah, yeah. So it, it's it's called the Arlington Theatre. It's in, it's in downtown Santa Barbara. Um, it was this old movie palace for, for Fox back in the, the 30s, I believe. And it pretty much stayed the same. And as far as I know, I, I saw The Force Awakens there a couple, I guess a couple of years ago now. And... It still pretty much has the same vibe to it, um, which is is very unique in terms of, you know, places to see movies these days. So, yeah, it definitely had a special aura to it. Ah, that's fantastic. So so you were there then? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, in a way. It was a weird, weird revival. (laughs) Now, first, I'd like to discuss your new website, if I may. So it can be found at www.starwarsatthemovies.com. Now, what will our listeners find on there, and what are your hopes for the website? So the the website kind of came out of uh, initially just my my changing collecting tastes. I you know a few years ago I really kind of stopped collecting stuff related to the toys and was looking for new avenues that that might not have been as explored and were also maybe a little bit more affordable. And um, I'd always you know been interested in cinema history and and you know tying that with Star Wars I, I really 
quickly discovered that there was just so much stuff out there, and a lot of it uh, wasn't all that documented. You could find a lot of information kind of spread out, but the whole goal of the website is to eventually have a centralized resource that kind of documents all of that theatrical advertising and ephemera and then, you know, related collectibles that, that are, you know, meant as collectibles that are kind of born out of the, the cinematic experience. So so the first goal is to, yeah, to have, uh, you know, a documented like a set of articles that kind of goes into each of those major categories of items. And then in partnership with that is is more of a kind of topical blog that has, you know, shorter pieces on, on specific things. And, and then some, you know, current current stuff too um because you know we're we're in this crazy new cinematic age of star wars and and i've enjoyed it so far for the most part so I, i'm kind of interested in, in capturing that firsthand as it goes uh, at least until it blows up in our faces <laughs> <laughs> well who knows in 30 40 years time you might have um youngsters recording podcasts talking about the early days of star wars <laughs> and the movie by some old guy called Stephen Danley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah now, your website's divided into three sections. So you've got the articles, which you've just alluded to. You've got a podcast mm-hmm. section, but you've also got a community section as well. And yeah. certainly the feeling that I get from this is that your whole goal of this is to make this an international Star Wars at the movie kind of uh, resource as opposed to just being US specific. Am I correct on that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I, I want to try and capture in all aspects of the site as, as many uh, worldwide instances of of the star wars theatrical phenomenon so with the podcast um which you know i'm sure we'll get into at some point but i want to try and get as many guests from around the world as possible and then with with the the items themselves um you know with the first article the, the programs article i tried to to break it down first by by film and then by country so you kind of get an idea of of what things were were available throughout the world. So yeah, and, then, and as far as the community part, uh, you know, Facebook is is king these days. So for a while before I could get the, the site off the ground, I tried to, you know, I created a Facebook page for the project and then a Facebook group that's supposed to be more interactive. I'm hoping that, you know, as this kind of goes on, more and more people will, will sign up for that and and share their items and share their stories there. But that that's the goal. I, I want it to be a community-driven project. I don't want it to just be me. Uh, I basically have to rely on, on the community to, to make it happen. So, yeah, absolutely, it's, it's community-driven. I can certainly think of a few UK collectors who collect a lot of cinema paraphernalia in the yeah. film. Um, if they've got any submissions or if they wanted to contact you because they think they'd make a good guess for future podcasts, um, mm-hmm. how, how, what's the best way to get in contact with yourself? Uh, the best way, um, if you could send me a direct message on Facebook through through the Facebook mess uh, Facebook site, I'm sorry, or you can email me. Um, I have an email account set up for the for the project. It's just Star Wars at the Movies at Gmail dot com. Um, but yeah, either either through Facebook or, or through email. And yeah, it's you know I'm sure I already have had some people contact me saying they they have this this kind of thing or that and i'm like i'm trying to start to to keep track of all that because it's going to take i think a long time to really build it but i want to make sure that as many people that have you know either either you know stories for the podcast or items in their collections that that may not have been seen before um i I absolutely welcome any and all of it and and hope to eventually kind of put it into something that, that makes sense 
Now, even though it's very early days in your project, are there any yeah. already surprising differences as to how the UK or European cinema chains approach the release of Star Wars when you compare it to the US? Yeah, so I mean, I, the first podcast guest that I had was was Mark Newbold, who who's a big you know UK uh, member of the Star Wars community, and and I had in the process of kind of getting ready for that. Um, he had written some great articles for StarWars.com that, that kind of go into the history of how Star Wars was released in the UK. And I wasn't aware of, of how, you know, things started kind of small and, and trickled out. Uh, that's, you know, similar to, to the United States in some ways, but I didn't realize that it had stayed in the London area for so long before it kind of reached out into the rest of the country. And, and I'm hoping that, you know, by talking to people from from all over the world, I'll, I'll get a really good handle on how Star Wars was made apparent to them, and it's it's just fascinating to me to see the models that existed back then that are just it it's nothing like that at all today. You have it now, and everyone has it; it's <laughs> there. Um, so to kind of get that that aspect of it is a is a big goal. I remember when I was listening to that, because I'd forgotten all about that, when I was mm-hmm. about 10, maybe a little bit younger, uh, I went to see, um, it might have been Disney's Robin Hood, I, I, I could be yeah. wrong with this, but I remember the cinema couldn't show it because the reels hadn't arrived from the previous <laughs> cinema. Yeah. So there was some delay and the, the, the cinema was supposed to ship the reel and, the, and they missed the posts, so we were yeah. very disappointed yeah. on that day. <laughs> <laughs> it just, it's, it's very alien now, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's, it's funny because, you know, uh, these days... Similar problems can somehow happen, but it's with a a digital file that that somehow just goes missing. And it's just funny to see, you know, theater owners and theater managers and and projectionists still having to deal with the the showmanship issues, but in a completely different way. I I feel like it's even more scary now. If that file is gone, then you're you're really in trouble. Now, moving on to your podcast, so your mm-hmm. first episode was 48 minutes long, and as you've already mentioned, it featured Mark Newbold from Jedi News, mm-hmm. who's you know well-known to everybody around the world. Um, can you give our listeners a very brief overview of that episode, and did you get out of it what you expected? Sure, yeah. So um, I, I'd say with that episode, I, I'd kind of put out some some feelers to see if, if people would be interested, and um, I reached out to Mark specifically because you know he's such a prolific podcaster himself and he just a great he has a great way of of telling stories and i i knew he had mentioned i think on jedi news about his first viewing in in canic i'm like oh so if he's already mentioning it on the website i'm sure he'd be willing to talk about it in in greater detail and so sure enough you know mark was was awesome i i got a good session with him and he he goes into his you know, very you know, often vivid cinematic memories of uh, seeing our, at least the first two films in in the Midlands, and to kind of get uh, a perspective that was different from the United States in the first round was was kind of fun. Um, I, I'll have some American voices soon, uh, <laughs> for sure. But uh, to get started with with something that was a little more outside of the box, and and it, with all the the kind of you know, supplemental information that, that some of it, which he had written for StarWars.com, it, it just kind of helped put it together in a way that I could have a, a focus to it. <laughs> um, and I'm hoping I can I can find that from now on. But I have to say that 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 first one was, in terms of uh, getting a, a theme to it, was was uh, was pretty easy. Um, and I just kind of let let him do the talking, and and that's that's kind of the goal too. I don't, I don't want people to hear much from me. It's supposed to be about the, the guests. 
what Mark did really well was he brought the personal touch to the interview. Yeah. And I like the way Mark described, for example, missing the start of um, a lot of movies that he saw with his dad because his dad was yes. running late. And <laughs> uh, another thing that he said, and, and I'd be interested to know, do you see these as being UK eccentricities or are these common to the US as well? But he also said that as a kid, you would never go to the cinema twice to see the same movie because your parents mm-hmm. would just say that's a waste of money or what's the point? <laughs> Why would you want to see the same right. movie twice? Yeah, and it was yeah. interesting that you brought that up because that that was so true. I couldn't, we couldn't even rent the same video from the video store for ninety nine p if we'd already seen it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's so true. I mean, I, the whole uh, you know going to the to the movies when when you're young. Uh, I don't know. It's it's. I'm curious to see. I would be curious to see what kids think of it as now because back even for me, you know, it was it was a big deal to to go, and we didn't go that often and. We definitely never went to see anything twice, uh, not until I was probably in middle school and I kind of <laughs> had some will to, to get myself there. But yeah, it's it was just such a, a special occasion. And that's the crazy thing about Star Wars is that th- there were kids who were able to just go back and back and back. And I feel like that's this is one of those that was one of those movies that really kind of started that. And, and I don't know how many others really got that kind of that following but it's clear that you know people went to see star wars over and over again and um i think that was kind of a, a first as you said your first episode it's about 40 minutes long yeah mm-hmm. but it's probably the most well-researched edited piece of 40 minutes that i've ever listened to on a <laughs> podcast uh, that's um, that's too kind <laughs> i dread to think how much time you've spent on that um i suppose my first point is can you keep that up yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I, I had given myself a, a deadline to get the first episode out, so I, I'd released, I'd launched the website and put the episode out on on May twenty fifth for the the fortieth anniversary, and it, you know, it was the first time I'd ever, you know, I, I'd put the the podcast teaser together, which was also, you know, a huge challenge. I have to like give Sky, you know, my co host, so much credit for, for, I don't know how he keeps sane for editing on and on and on it it does take so much work and but i really enjoyed it once i kind of figured out sort of what i was doing and it's fun like i i always enjoy the aspect of putting things together but you really do have to be patient and i don't know how well i can keep it up we 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 actually just talked about this on a recent uh, episode of the it should be coming out soon but this guy's like so it'll be a daily podcast right i'm like uh I don't even know if it's going to be monthly. It'll be an occasional podcast. <laughs> um, but no, I, I, I've um, I've got some other interviews already recorded, and, and it's going to be... We'll see how it goes. I'm hoping that it'll come out somewhat regularly, but unlike the the Kivecast, it's it's kind of like a, a special side project in a way. We'll just... I'll work on it as, as much as I can and, and get stuff out there as quickly as I can, but I want it to be a kind of a long-term, a long-term project. Now, I was fascinated listening to a lot of the facts and figures, information on audience membership, uh, mm-hmm. giveaways, posters, information specific to that UK cinema. Um, how yeah. easy was it to drill down to that level to do that amount of research? So it, it, I got lucky. There, there are some great resources that were already existing for, for that, but it really relies a lot of it on on the people who were there. So Mark was was really you know, critical to get a lot of that information down. And, and I'm hoping that with the other interviews, you know, people will have memories about that, that kind of 
I, I, that was the, the balance. I was trying to, to get the personal nostalgic side, but not to go too heavy on that and not go too heavy on, on the factual side of things. I wanted to try and blend those two to kind of create a complete picture. And, and there's definitely, if you dig, you can find a lot of great, uh, you know, articles. There's a great website called cinematreasures.org, which has been a mainstay in, in terms of uh, this project so far. There are so many great, uh, you know, anecdotes that people post and put and pictures of old theaters. And it's funny how often Star Wars is the one thing that you can find on, on almost any of these uh, theater sites. So it's it's great. A lot of it's out there. Um, but I, I, I like the idea of kind of bringing it together into one thing yeah we'll, we'll see how it goes i like the idea of what you've done with the show notes where you've put the images actually on your website yeah um, and i think possibly in future i may listen to your podcast in normal as a call but i may go back and listen to it a second time as i'm scrolling yeah. through the images i thought that was a fantastic idea so so how did you come up with that so uh a lot of those images either a lot of them come from cinematreasures.org they have it's kind of it's a kind of a community website where people post like ads like that they've saved or, or pictures of the theater. And then for, for that episode specifically, the ABC or now it's, I think it's, I forgot. I think it's the electric cinema in, in Canuck. They actually have a Facebook page that they're, they're still an active theater. Oh, wow. So I, I liked, I like to link to that. I'm like, Oh, that's great. They're still around. They're still doing their thing. albeit in a different way. But yeah, it, there's a lot out there that it, and I like to link to those things so that people, when they listen to the episode, they can hopefully, if they're interested in, in learning more about a place or, you know, uh, a certain item I, that they can they can find that and and read more. But um, yeah, it's there's a lot of stuff out there, and and I'm hoping that yeah, having like a little gallery on the on the website for the episodes will kind of help give some some visual context, which I think always really helps. Yeah, um, Ron Salvatore does that really well. Certainly, when we've discussed stuff in the past, he sent us photographs, and, and he does the same for you as well. Where he finds these—I don't know how he does it—but he finds these photographs on Facebook, mm-hmm. and I, I really enjoy looking at the image and then going back to listening to what you're saying about it. It really puts yeah. pieces together. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one of the things that Mark talked about, and I don't know if it was if this was the initial intention, but it brought a lot of memories back for me that I completely forgotten about. Uh-huh. Um, and Mark's. I think he's about four or five years older than me, so obviously his memory of the time should be a lot better. And of all things, he he talked about plush velvet wallpaper. And as soon <laughs> yeah. as he said that, I remember pressing all of the, I think it was like a leaf motif on the walls. Uh-huh. I remember pressing them in as I walked past, and it must have been, you know, <laughs> the, the guy must have been going nuts when I was doing stuff like that, because, you know, you can yeah. get it back out again. Um, <laughs> the incredibly stiff seats, I remember that as well. Yes, and, um, yeah. I think most of the cinemas in the UK turned into bingo halls. So when 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 <laughs> I was talking about that, I was thinking, yeah, my cinema did exactly the same. So do you have any thoughts as to how I and other listeners can interact with each other on your episodes? Where, where do you want us to go? The Facebook page or the Facebook group is probably a good place um, to, to interact because you can. it's pretty much free and open. Um, I think you can leave comments on the website as well. If I haven't, I, I need to make sure that feature is turned on. But, you know, I, I, uh, <laughs> I encourage, you know, when an episode is posted, I'll, I'll usually link to it on the Facebook group. And, you know, if, if people want to interact there, that, that'd be awesome. Um, uh, but yeah, it's it's really it's it's still so small right now. I, I I'm hoping that as this as more people become aware of it, they'll they'll find their way to the the Facebook group so that they can kind of you know start or continue the conversation about these things. Um, 
but yeah, I, it's uh, <laughs> there are so many strange details, and that's that's the kind of stuff that <laughs> I just love the whole movie going experience and and like the details about it that most people probably don't care about, but stuff like that just cracks me up and there everyone has those weird details about their theater that they remember and yeah i I just think that adds to the to the color of it i guess yeah sticky floors as well i always remember yes yeah sticky floors (laughs) (laughs) now i'm guessing that it's going to be quite difficult over a period of time to avoid repetition um, and interviewing the guests because a lot of the guests are going to have similar similar memories Um, absolutely are you going to go into each interview with a slightly different angle or you were expecting the guests to come out with something different well, the, the way it's gone so far, um, you know, I have an interview with someone from Staten Island and then also from, from Canada. And I have to say for those first three, um, I, I would ask, I'd approach it in a similar basic format, but I got a lot of different answers, which was encouraging. Um, so I'm hoping that I can continue that. I don't want to limit this just to, to collectors either. I, I want to eventually, you know, start bringing in some other types of voices in that, that may not be hardcore collectors. That's that's the community that I know, that I'm familiar with. But there's so many others that, that are, you know, just fans or may have been related to the theater industry or, you know, uh, they have some connection to that, that time period that would bring a different perspective so, you know, when it comes to those like those types of interviews, I'm, I'm hoping to kind of modify the uh, the topic kind of as a case by case basis. But, yeah, repetition, it was one of my my fears going into it. And that's the kind of I think I'll know that I, I can stop when when I just start, you know, getting the same answers, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. I would be fascinated by a cinema manager or perhaps even somebody like a supervisor because, mm-hmm. you know, it would have just been such an explosion of people coming through the door. I wonder how they were prepared for it and did they see yeah. Star Wars being a curse? I mean, yeah, maybe brought more <laughs> money into the cinema chain, but they personally yeah. who work there, um, I'm yeah. guessing they didn't get any more money for doing double, triple, <laughs> right. quadruple right. amount of work. And I can exactly. just imagine some old grumpy, uh, you would call them janitor, some old grumpy janitor coming out going, these bloody <laughs> kids have wrecked the place again. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, no, absolutely. So, I'd like that's... if you have a grouch. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, it's not going to be. I'm hoping that it's not all sunshine. <laughs> I, I want, I want to get the the entire picture if if I can. Um, so we'll, we'll see how how that goes. But that that's the goal. <laughs> What's the best way for our listeners to subscribe to your podcast? So it's on iTunes. If you want to subscribe there, if you just search Star Wars at the movies, um, and then you know if you just go to the main site, the, all the episodes will be streaming there with with the show notes and the. Um, images but yeah if you want to subscribe there's there's an itunes feed um so please do um it'd be great to to hear hear from other people too i mean i've already luckily and it's been great i've had some good response for for folks that have expressed interest in in coming on and uh, it's going to be like i said it's going to be a long process but um i absolutely if anyone is interested just please reach out um and i'd be happy to have you that's absolutely brilliant, Stephen. Wish you all the best with this exciting project, and I hope the Thank next you. few episodes are going to be as great as what the first one was. Thanks. Thanks, Richard. So there you go, guys. I urge everybody to go and check out Star Wars at the Movies, podcast episode one, recorded with Mark Newbold. Particularly for the people in the UK, you're going to find this absolutely fascinating. I certainly went, ah, I remember that when I listened to it. Nice one, Stephen. Looking forward to the next one. Death Star approaching.
Rich, GW Acrylic, the big reveal. I'm delighted to be joined again with Jamie Brown, who is GW Acrylic in the UK's representative. Now, Jamie, we had you on a couple of shows ago, but you contacted me to come back on again to discuss some new products that you've just got, and I've noticed that you've been pushing these on Facebook. So what can you tell our listeners about your new products? Hello, Rich. Hello again. Um, yes, we've got um, some new products coming out with our new stock. Um, hopefully, by the time um, this podcast yours airs, they'll be in stock. Um, we've got, how many have we got here? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight new products. So exciting stuff. So I had a look at your photographs and we were talking about, you know, new ideas for products the last time that you were on there. And I've noticed that not all of these are Star Wars, which is which is fine because obviously many of our collectors collect other toy lines as well. But if I can just focus on the Star Wars ones for a second, the one that's intriguing me the most at this moment is the bespoke display case that you have, which is, now if I've got this right, you should be able to put in a loose card back or a proof card and together display that with a loose figure. Were a lot of people asking for that kind of combination? I think it's an absolute game changer, Rich. I think it's a, a beautiful, beautiful design. Uh, yeah, well, basically, you know, displaying loose card backs or proof cards with a figure has always been a little bit problematic in the past and how you would actually display that kind of combination. I've seen cases with the figure where it sits next to the card. I've never been really been a fan of those, to be honest with you. I think that they don't look that tidy. So this uh, particular uh, case is has the loose card back behind the figure and the figure sits in front of it in a little chamber much like you'll see a, a mock figure and uh, so it kind of replicates a, a, a mock design and uh, I think it looks actually fantastic if you've got a, a, a card back collection and a loose collection and you want to display that I think that's going to be the way forward. So for those who are collecting on a budget and perhaps don't want to go down the corded route, is this the kind of best way you can think of of displaying an item which looks as though it was originally, you know, as it was in 1977 to 1985? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, the actual uh, the chamber where the figure goes in sits exactly where the figure would sit if it was in a, a mock, and uh, it's big enough to hold all, all the figure sizes and uh, the car back itself. Just looked fantastic behind it. Um, you could use it to display proof cards as well with your if you're a, a super collector. But uh, yeah, certainly people on the budget, it will give them fantastic display options to uh, display their loose uh, figures and card backs, much like they were when they were first in a in a mock. You were talked about your glass leet mint on card display case last time, but there were one or two issues once we started to put the glass leet cards in there. And you took those cases away from memory and you've adapted them somewhat. So are you now confident that these plastic cases will uh, do the jobs? <laughs> well, yes, I do hope that they're right this time. <laughs> um, <laughs> no fault of ours. Unfortunately, the uh, factory where they were produced did make a little bit of an error when they were manufacturing these things. And uh, the first uh, glass leak that went out the door uh, very quickly came back to us <laughs> because it didn't fit. So... Um, yeah, it was a it was a schoolboy error, but not by us, and uh, that's been corrected. So, although I haven't got the glass leaks in hand, I'm hoping that what arrives will be your perfect glass leak figure holder case. 
So that's Jamie Brown making a public appeal for anybody who's selling glass leaf figures. Contact Jamie Brown. He's got loads of money. You, you need to buy one, Jamie, to put in your... I thought you knew me better than that, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, a couple of other products you've got. So if we just look at mailways for a second, you've now got Nine Num and Admiral Akbar specific mailway cases. And you've also got Empire Strikes Back Return the Jedi specific mailway cases. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. You know, we expanded our, our already quite extensive mail-away um, range. You know, we've had a Boba Fett mail-away, we've had the the uh, early bird set mail-away, and now we're looking at the other mail-away figures, really. So, yeah, we've got a um, 9 um Admiral Bar mail-away figure, which will hold uh, two catalogues, the flyer, the box, and the figure. And then we're looking at an Empire Strokes Back mail-away figure case, which holds the box, a catalogue, and a mail-away figure. So we're pretty much covered. Um, at the moment, we've not got a case which covers the Bosque or anything with a slightly larger box, and, but that's coming in our next order. Oh, fantastic. And mini-rigs. So mini, I, now I've looked at these mini-rig cases, and I, and I think they're really nice. What I like mini-rig cases is that they're not too big. So for somebody like me who's got a bit of a limited space, these mini-rig cases look absolutely ideal. So you've got two different mini-rig designs. You've got uh, yes. the one with the flap, and you've got the one without the flap. Now, I really like the ones that you've got uh, with the flap because they, they really hold those well and into a good position. So yeah. um, have you had a lot of call for those? Oh, we certainly have, yeah. I mean, you know, we've, we've basically, um, been taking pre-orders for these, uh, new cases of ours and the mini rig cases are proving to be very popular. We were using, people were ty- kind of using a uh, Funko Pop case, which is another one of our cases that we, we sell. Um, and they were a little bit tight, um, a little bit snug, and I wasn't comfortable with, uh, putting a mini in there with, with basically, you know, a little bit of effort. I don't like the, you know, I don't like the idea of putting the effort when you're trying to put something into a case. And so, uh, these are absolute, uh, designed to fit these mini rigs, um, work really, really well. And of course, the one with the flap allows the full display of the, the mini rig, which I still feel is a, a little bit of an unloved item and should be given a lot more love than it is. We all had them. <laughs> This last one I'm going to touch on, which is Star Wars, is actually one of the Black Series items. Now, when we were in Orlando, a lot of people would come up to Ian, who was the GW Acrylic US dealer, and ask him about Black Series cases. And he presented to them, I don't know if you know what he did, but I think he tried, I think it was the box, the land speeder possibly, and... It was roughly the right size, but it, it didn't really hold the card in correctly, and it, it didn't really do the job that the other cases do. This um, mint and card display case that you advertise for the Black Series, is that one that's specifically designed to hold these Black Series figures in, in, in the position? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's, we're talking about the 40th anniversary Black Series card of figures here, and those have probably been the, the most popular ones on the on the pre-orders. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, you know, we, we do a Black Series case and, uh, the, the, the 40th anniversary seems to be, seems to have caught people's attention. These figures seem to have caught people's attention. Um, they are, they are beautiful. I must admit, I'm not a modern collector, but I would be tempted. And have you got the R5D4 yet? I have. I've got the R5D4 in Orlando. Mm. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, and of course, once you've got one, us being collectors, we want them all. And so, uh, you know, the pre-orders we're getting aren't just for single cases. They, they, they're looking to sort of card their sets up. And, uh, yeah, I think they look absolutely fantastic. Again, they're on the website for people to have a look at. And I think they look great. And I think figures themselves look great as well, even if they're modern. 
And you're starting to move into other toy lines more, so I've noticed that you've got the Master of the Universe display cases as well. And I didn't realise how different, radically different as well, the Master of the Universe quarter figures are. They're much thinner and taller than I remember. Um, yeah, yeah, they are quite tall. And I, you know, I, I wasn't a collector back in the day, Masters of the Universe. I don't know whether it was because I was too old. Yeah, you were about 30, 35 back then, were you? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, I think I was bold as well, wasn't I? <laughs> and uh, yeah, so just, you know, going back and looking at the figures themselves, they are, are, are iconic, you know, I mean, the actual He-Man figure and the Skeletor figure, I mean, Skeletor's on the adverts on the TV at the moment, isn't he, for some reason? Yeah. And uh, so these figures have kind of, uh, they're, they're becoming popular again, and, the, and you know, the prices kind of reflect that as well, because, you know, they're anything where there's a, a following and a, and a growing following, these prices do tend to go up, and people need to need to, to uh, protect these uh, figures, again, historically, and the value. Yeah, I mean, it's been interesting, actually, because, like I say, it wasn't something I was that into, and um, but just looking at them, well, I don't know, I'm, well, I'm tempted. I've bought three loose figures, and I've been looking at them thinking, how am I going to display them? Because with the He-Man figures, they're very... I don't know if you've seen them, but there's there's a lot of twisting, and then I'm assuming there's oh. a lot of elastic inside them, and this, when you twist the waist, they pop back, which obviously, because of the age of them, a lot of them are wearing now, and a lot of them are loose. But they're all sorts of shapes and sizes. I couldn't imagine you could do a loose case very easily, because some of them are short and very wide, other than, others are very tall and thin. They're not particularly easy items to display. Um, no, they're definitely not. Like you say, they are all sorts of shapes and sizes. I mean, when I was uh, fuzzy buzzy toys and uh, selling under that banner, I, I came across a collection of Masters of the Universe once upon a time, and uh, yeah, they're quite um, they're quite out there, really, in in their diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as loose cases are concerned, it's something we're looking at at the moment. And uh, like you say, you know, the issues would be again. I mean, we we do loose cases of Star Wars figures, and and that covers a range of about four or five, you know, just for Star Wars. And so, goodness knows how many different types of loose cases you'd have to have for Masters of the Universe. But um, certainly something to consider, and I think they're very displayable. Yeah, and obviously with Father's Form rapidly approaching, you sold out of your last stock very very quickly. And one of the requests from a lot of our listeners is um, when you're going to get some new stock in. So please, can you tell all our listeners that you've got new stock on the way and you're ready for taking pre-orders for Collection of Fathers from as well? Well, first thing I want to say, Rich, is uh, a big massive thank you to the Star Wars community as a whole because, you know, their support has kept us going and, you know, the, the kind words that we get on a daily basis and stuff certainly makes our job worthwhile. Um, we've been out of stock, um, for quite a while now, probably about a month. Um, we really didn't anticipate the demand that was around, uh, what celebration? When was that? Um, that was May. Yeah. Yeah. The demand, you know, coming up from celebration and after celebration was massive and absolutely wiped us out. And so, you know, people have been a bit patient and they, they put their pre-orders in and they, they patiently waited. Finally, I'm touching wood on my daughter's desk here, which is a sort of white plywood. Is that all right? Can I touch yeah, that? It's cheap. Finally, yeah, it's I- Ikea plywood, is it? Yeah, it's just Ikea wood. plywood, yes. Finally, touch Ikea plywood. Uh, the stock will be arriving on Friday. Uh, I don't know when your podcast is coming out, but I would imagine by the time of air, um, we'll be fully stocked and a fully armed and operational GR- DW acrylic operation. So all I can say is thanks ever so much for your patience. We've taken measures so that we're not going to be in this position again. Those anybody waiting for their orders should have got them by now. And hope you're happy. 
and keep buying GW Acrylic because we're the best. And keep pre-ordering because if you pre-order it, you guarantee it. Absolutely, absolutely. Pre-orders, you know, basically kept the business going and gave us, you know, something to work towards as far as like, you know, anticipating what kind of numbers and stuff we were looking to uh, to order. But uh, um, overwhelming, but overwhelming in a very, very, very good way. One last thing before you go, I've noticed that um, GW Acrylic are getting involved, even if it's only minorly, in an event in Torquay, which is being put on by one of our friends of the show, Matt Fox. And I think, if I remember you serves me right, it's called May the Toys Be With You. So what can you tell us about that event and why have GW Acrylic got themselves involved? Well, Matt's obviously a great supporter of GW Acrylic and great guy in the community as well. And uh, so GW Acrylic were happy to help him out with uh, some cases um so his cases are actually being used to display the uh items he's got in the uh in the show and so uh i just urge people to go and support matt and support the show i've not been myself yet but because it's not on yet but i will definitely be going down to Torquay to check it out and uh hopefully there'll be a little a little nod towards gw acrylic there as well and I believe that the Torquay Museum has its grand opening on Saturday, June the 17th. So if any of our listeners are available to head off down to Torquay, I urge everybody to go support Matt and support Vintage Star Wars collecting and all their communities. Seconded. Seconded and thirded. <laughs> okay, thanks very much for your time, Jamie. Our listeners always enjoy catching up in the latest of GW Acrylic. Bless you, Rich. Take care of yourself. Cheers, guys. Death Star will be arranged in five minutes. And finally, return of the boom, Rich. This has just come out. Well, Jez, yeah, I've known about this for a while, and I've agreed, I've agreed with a few interested parties that we were going to sit on this because I'm obviously very, very concerned that the buyer of the product that we're going to discuss received a full refund. So, unfortunately, that has broken today on Facebook. It possibly isn't the best way for it to have broken, but now it's out there. We're free to discuss and have free reign on this. So I would like to talk about an item that was sold on Vectus recently, and we discussed it. Now, I don't know if you can guys remember. Can you remember the corded vinyl cave Jawa? But it had the Italian Harbot sticker stuck on the back. And we discussed that as part of one of our episodes as to how could this thing possibly exist? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, when we talk about it, yeah. And I'm, I remember watching it sell as well. So I, every vector site, me and uh, Jamie um, Brown from Fuzzy Buzzy, basically live call each other and heckle each other in the buy and stuff. And yeah, we were both holding our breath on that one because it was flying. Yeah, and I believe it went for somewhere around about £12,000. Is that right from memory? Yeah, it sounds about right, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, the buyer who bought that, had, you know, he he'd sent it off to EFA which, you know, many people do, especially with these high-value items, because he just wants to have it looked at, and, you know, he just wants that, you know, extra peace of mind that this is what it's been sold to be. And it's been announced today publicly that EFA have rejected it. So, guys, what we've got here is we've got a corded vinyl cave jower, and on the back we've got the Imperial Harbour sticker slapped on the back. Any guesses as to why it was rejected from EFA? I'm assuming that someone's at some point or there's a question over whether someone at some point could have actually put two cards together to make one to to increase its value. Well, that would be some assumption if that was the case. I'm assuming you've had a little bit of an educated guess there, because that's exactly what has happened. So, just to clarify that, what we've got is we've got a card back that's been split into two. 
and with the possibility of two different combinations created. And when I first heard about this and I saw the photographs, I was like, nah, I just don't believe that for a second. It, it just didn't make sense whatsoever. Until a couple of guys on Stores from UK sent me some photographs and they said, yeah, Rich, he has a card back that is actually in two pieces. And it, and it, it, it was clean right down the middle. And I looked in and I thought, well, wow. So card backs have been split into two pieces. Wow. And I think this is partially to do with deterioration, with age. I don't know if it's certain card backs. I don't know what it is. But I've seen today three or four different card backs that have been split right down the middle. Really? So you've, got, you've got the front by itself and you've got the back by itself. So I remember seeing some of the Frank Beaches ones that have been water damaged and, and like they were missing the backs. But so, so this is looking like, to me get this right, so that they're saying this is a possibility this has happened or is this categorically that's what they, they, they believe has happened? Because I'm just wanting to clarify because sometimes I know things uh, decline for grading because they can't be certain and therefore they can't author, you know, authenticate it because it, it basically rules out any further questioning. But uh, is that what they're saying then? It's, so it's, it's 100% that's, it, it's been fabricated. Well, I guess we're waiting for the AFA report here, but my knowledge of this is it was rejected because glue was found in between the two quarter segments. Now, this is where it gets a little bit murky because where the glue has been identified, it is possible that the cord backs have been lifting and somebody's applied the glue in that bit to reseal it back up again. But because of the unlikely combination of the front and, front and back, because of the, the whole backstory, if you remember, I think this was the one that the guy had bought in a market in London. And if you remember, the guy back then was saying, oh, it's a final Cape Jawa, it's incredibly rare. Uh, the whole backstory is a bit wishy-washy. Add that to the fact that AFA found glue between the two segments. They've just said, look, we're not touching this with a barge pole. It, it just, just amazes me to think that somebody, if worst case scenario, this is two completely different card backs, somebody's coated the whole card back with glue and then used some kind of heavy press to push the two card backs together and to leave them to seal over a period of time. Yeah, that's shocking. That really is shocking. But I guess if there's money to be made, it's going to happen, isn't it? This, exactly. is, a, this is a problem, yeah. Uh, and it's it's a difficult thing because you know we all love this stuff and we all enjoy it and we spend more money than we probably should on it but it is just to to anybody else it's it's it, for us it's a link to your childhood and it's it sparks nostalgia and it's it's just a good fun thing but and it's we enjoy it despite the cost but the fact that there's people out there you know selling these things because of the cost is 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 heartbreaking really isn't it you know when i first heard about this i thought well, that's a ballsy move to take a vinyl cage hour and regardless of whether or not it was separating naturally or not to to make the decision potentially of having the completely clean cut through and then getting another one putting it on no i can't i can't believe that i'd like to think more that it started to separate and they've added a little bit of glue but when i look closely at the photographs which i saw earlier on uh, and I knew what I now know. I was really looking at the difference between the back of the card and the front of the card. There were some very subtle sort of creases and shelfware on the back, which would go into the leading edges, which then when you looked at the front, you were thinking, that doesn't line up. That's not quite right. 
but maybe it was because I was already thinking that that I was looking for those things um, but there were, there were definite sort of imperfections on the rear which you would think would then be sort of transposed onto the front and you'd see telltale signs on the front also and they weren't there so yeah I'm I'm completely perplexed about this because I, I cannot believe that someone would risk doing that to a vinyl cape figure, a uh, vinyl cape jower, mm. uh, I mean, on cart. But yeah, well, it does seem crazy that you've already got something that's worth a load of money that you jeopardise the quality of it. Absolutely. I guess it does, depends there... to a point at what time that was done. Maybe is it? It's a suspicion that this has been done in the in the recent years, or or is it really unknown? Is it? Could it be something that was done? 20 years ago i mean not that they weren't desirable then but they obviously didn't command the premium that they do now nothing we've got no information on that whatsoever nobody mm. knows who the seller is in fact this right. quite rightly are not disclosing that information would the mm. buyer have any comeback with vectors would they be able to go back and get money from the seller or right do you buy it your own we'll come back to that bit in a second scott because i just want to cover something else first so so scott there you, you mentioned if you've got a vinyl cave jawa and even if it's starting to peel it's going to take a very, very brave soul to, you know, work at it very, very slowly to get rid of that whole card back without damaging potentially your what five, six, seven thousand pound figure. And th- and that's that's when I was looking, and I was thinking, it's not possible. You're taking the risk of um, the bubble popping off. You know, you don't know how much pressure is going to be applied to this card. Is it peeling the back off? You're taking the risk of tearing through to the front. I mean, how thick's a card? Was it about 1.2 millimetre or something? So you're looking at something that's 0.5 millimetres. I mean, Jez, obviously, that's something that you're used to handling. But something that's, something that's 0.5 millimetres, which is quite big in surface area when you're looking down on it, that you're talking very, very thin. I hope what Mark is suggestion is, is is correct in that somebody at some point has noticed it's starting to separate a little bit whether it's water damage whether it's moisture and um, whatever and has perhaps just put a little bit of glue on 20 25 years ago and, and sealed it back up I, I dread to think that this has been created recently I, re- I really hope that that's not the case presumably though vectors would have looked at it and would have could you not just tell by uh, did it weigh any different or no. Well, Vectus inspected this, okay, as I do with all of these corded items. I, I don't want to mention the name of the, the, the person who's inspected it because we all know who it is, but uh, I, don't, I don't think it's fair to, to mention it. So, uh, yeah, so Vectus, Vectus have looked at this item. Obviously, they've closely looked at the bubble, they've looked at the sticker at the back because that's where the alarm bells were ringing. You know, the sticker, how has the sticker been taken off and reapplied? They've checked all that kind of stuff, and as far as Vectus were concerned, it was absolutely fine. I believe that Vectis are still of the opinion that this is actually a legitimate item at this moment in time. So does the buyer have any comeback? I mean, can they go back to Vectis and try and get the money back from the seller? Well, that's interesting that because I asked Kathy the question, it was probably about six months ago when I was at Vectis, and I said, well, I says, Kathy, what would happen if somebody purchased an item which you found out had been a fake item? And she said, refund, no question. Okay, absolutely no question whatsoever, we can refund. So I said, all right, you know, that, that that's kind of what you'd expect. But then I said, well, what would happen if it was a year down the line, or two years, mm-hmm. or five years down the line, and somebody had found, you know, like, take Toy Tonys, for example, I mean, they'd be going for years and years and years. So what, what would happen at that point? And you, you could see that they hadn't really thought that that would happen, you know, and it wasn't something that was high up in their, in their list of priorities. So it would... It, I was given the impression it was a kind of, well, would look at it as an individual case-by-case basis, but, you know, they've got their reputation to think about it, and they, they always would want to do the best. But this item isn't as crystal clear-cut, because although EFA have rejected it, 
and I believe that the buyer has contacted Vectors and said, right, okay, I want my full money back. I think Vectors, at this moment in time, are not acknowledging the fact that it's it's fake. They don't believe, or they, I'm led to believe, that they don't believe that the evidence is proven conclusively that this item is not legit. Now, this is a difficult one because I don't know if Vectors can go back to the seller and say, you know, it's been what, two, three, four months after this auction, we've paid you your money, we need it back now because... Um, we've got to now reimburse the buyer, or whether Vectors would end up taking the hit on this item. I'm, I'm led to believe Vectors aren't accepting at this moment in time that it is a faked item, and I think they are waiting for more information from AFA. Well, I guess it's also one of those things they would have some sort of insurance premium to protect themselves against. Um, I, w- I would assume they'd, they'd pay some sort of insurance anyway, because, I mean, they're, they're auctioning items every day for hundreds, if not thousands of pounds. So it, it must be something that comes up um, fairly often, even in the antique world, you know, or tin plate toy or something. There must be, questions must be raised about, but especially in this day and age where, I and mean, I personally don't, don't like grading, but more and more people, uh, you know, uh, are getting items graded because I suppose there's more people coming into the hobby aware of the, you know, aware of the, the, the money involved. It's, it's, it's interesting because to buy an item from Bectis, there's a certain faith that you put you put your, your stock in in that and thought well it's being sold there it's right you bought it to then want a, another opinion to then send it away for grading unless they grade everything they have is um maybe not something that you know anyone's expecting them to do um i guess well, I, I suppose some people will grade everything they have i don't know but for me personally if i was dropping twelve thousand pounds on smink i wouldn't want an opinion if it was real after that that would be that would be good enough for me i think i think well you think you do that thinking before you press the button. Once you paid the money, it's kind of that's mine. I bought that, and it's almost a case of if you had any doubts, you you wouldn't want to know. <laughs> I mean, I've got a signed script, uh, Revenge of a Jedi, that I bought fifteen years ago, and I look at the signatures on them against um, ones I know to be right that that are out there as examples, and they look right. But I'm too nervous to take it to a prop store and have it authenticated in case they go, no, that's not right. You've been sucked. <laughs> you know, you've been sucking into that one. Um, I'm looking at it right now. It sits by my desk. I love it. But um, And I'm 90% sure it's right. And it's never going anywhere. But it's a proper Revenge of the Jedi script. And it's, you know, got all the bits that aren't in the movie that were originally in. Um, but, yeah, you never know. You, uh, my point is that you buy an item and you pay your money. And you and you you hope you've you've done your research before, or you bought it from a from a uh, a source that you believe to be true. I guess actually thinking about it, that's a, a positive thing about grading, which I hadn't really seen before. You know, so many of us are saying, "Oh, I don't really, you know, don't really get grading so much," and we see people breaking stuff out of out of acrylic cases, which has been graded. However, the fact that there are these companies who really scrutinise it. Uh, under UV lights, really, really good look microscopes, this, that, and the other. If there, there's any chance that that puts off would be fakers, forgers, this, that, and the other, because so many high end things are naturally going to go to the graders and, you know, goodwill out in the end, and, and, you know, people always hopefully get to the bottom of the story, then if there's a chance that that puts off some of the forgers and fakers, then, um, yeah, I think that's a positive take on this tale. Just to wrap that story up then, I know the buyer, I really hope that you'll get all of your money back and I hope that this hasn't dented your confidence in Vintage Star Wars Collecting because he's a great guy, uh, he does a lot for the community and I don't want to see him out of pocket at all.
He's a feisty one, but he'll soon learn some respect on the master's sail barge over to Jazz with the new acquisitions. Hello, what happened here? Ah, good. New acquisitions. That's the one. Nailed it. Nailed it. And here we are. New acquisitions, oh my word. There's too many of them. So many to look at this month straight into Star Wars Forum UK and join along with me. You can read along in your book. Page 2117, Andy Preston. Hey, I'm just going to give a quick shout out to this because it's not that often you see a sealed pair of Return of the Jedi curtains. Yeah, you'll see them at conventions, dress in a table. In fact, I had them in my old uh, collection room. Return of the Jedi curtains, the red ones, but a sealed pair by the UK company Hayax. 
No, really easy to find loose, but sealed set. Any of you guys ever seen one? No, these are fantastic. Uh, I, I collect all that bedding stuff, um, and I've got a lot of the that stuff sealed. But curtains, no, it's, I don't think I've ever seen any come up. Actually, I'm I'm, I'm well gel. <laughs> these are fantastic. Yeah, I love these. Um, I would love to to have this, but it's like the guy who was asking for evaluation on the wallpaper. You just couldn't open it, could you? So it would just be sat. You can't really display. Did GW Acrylic do a case for? Sadly not. No. For curtains. I literally, I've got about fifteen sealed things. They're just all stacked up in in yeah. a lot. Of them. They're not even on display because it would fill a cabinet, and then I'd have to take other stuff off off display. They're yeah. the one thing that I collect that I can't display. Yeah, well, nice one, Andy. That's awesome, mate. Great to see. And as you say, Mark, yeah, you just don't see these that often at all. So, uh, great one, Andy. Keep on showing us your stuff. Well, I think we'll draw that one to a close. Mm-hmm. It's not Someone really going to work, him. is it? Draw what? Slap them. Slap them. <laughs> I missed that totally. That's yeah, brilliant. <laughs> That's not even going to make the outro. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Boom. Page 2119. Lee Jackal. And here's a nostalgia hit. You know, I've always said that I'm desperate to find a photograph from my childhood which shows me celebrating Star Wars, maybe with my jumper knitted by my auntie. Slightly embarrassing. But anyway, Lee Jackal on page 2119 has got that nostalgia hit that he's got a photograph of him with a cut-carded R2-D2. So this is him at Christmas, surrounded by sort of 80s wrapping paper with the 80s carpet, the 80s um, living room. You can just see, just out of shot, or just within shot, but slightly covered, a tri-logo C-3PO um, removable limbs. But he's holding this R2-D2. Uh, and he's delighted with it but he says well if you can't beat the quality on show may as well go for a huge nostalgia (laughs) hit that's right folks it's christmas in june he said fast forward to june 2017 and he's finally reunited with a cut card trilogar 2 it's not factory sealed unfortunately but it does have all the bits which bring the memory flooding back and for 36 pound delivered delivered off ebay so there you go it just shows you nowadays that in this in this time where everyone's just losing the will with the hobby a little bit because it's getting so expensive and, and whatnot he's there and he's delighted you should just see it I, i'm so chuffed for him he's got this photograph of him as a kid 30 years later he's got something else there uh, i think that's awesome yeah look at how happy he is i mean it's probably about 4 a.m in the morning he's got all the presents piled up that uh trial logo is definitely going to get squashed isn't the bubble on that but yeah it's great absolutely great so seahawks we've mentioned him a few times in fact he had the slave one as you say last time but there we go on page 2120 i like this tale he's put up Betamax and VHS video combo. But what, what he said is, so he's shown these off, the original release. Not the most exciting new acquisitions, but a very cool piece of Star Wars history nonetheless. As you know, Star Wars was released on VHS and Betamax for the first time in 1982 as a rental only. Each case and tape had matching serial numbers. He recently picked up a very nice VHS version with matching numbers, and just this week, when it was posted, also a Betamax one. He didn't know it had much in serial numbers until it arrived. Bonus. So then Steve Savory comes on, because as you know, Steve's collecting some oddball gimcrack beyond the toys stuff, not gimcrack. And it says, when you say they have matching serial numbers, was this something specific to Star Wars on the early release? 
he goes on about how he worked in a video store for a while and there were some numbers but it was it was nothing big um and he, so he just asked a question old seahawks comes back saying this was the very first release of star wars in 19 in early 82 and you can see they say video rental library on the bottom of the case these were to be rented out by the video store and were not technically allowed to be sold but many of the video stores figured out a loophole by setting up a lifetime rental contract with customers for upwards of 80 to to $100. The serial numbers were specific to each tape and a way to keep track of the copies that are out there. They're tracking us. Not this ship, sister. This was in the US. He's not sure how it was in the UK. But it made me think... Well, I bet that's how a load of pirates and, and bootleg copies came out. And in fact, maybe that's how my first version came as well, a copy of one of these lifetime rentals. Is there any more of this recording? He said when he was a kid, he must have rented Star Wars at least a dozen or so times from the local video store that the owner of the store ended up giving him a movie poster she had, which he still has to this day. It's in pretty poor shape, but he's glad he hung on to it all these years. And he's put up a picture of this on page 2120 and it actually says $79 in the top right hand corner so there you go they were selling copies back then you imagine that back in those days a videotape for 80 bucks guys I mean that seems like a lot of money to me way back when yeah I worked in a video shop in the late 80s and even then um, the whole back was two years to TV I think and then um, it was six months after cinema we'd get video um, this was by about 88, 89. Um, so even then there was there was a delay. Uh, and, and we used to sell, because of a two-year TV holdback, we used to sell films for 50 to £60 pounds for a VHS cassette of a, of a film. Um, and that, so that was 88, 89. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of money, isn't it? It's a lot of money back. It's a lot of money now, but it's a lot of money then. I'm Go sure on. I remember listening to one of the podcasts a while ago, um, in that somebody had paid $80 for one of these VHS tapes and left it on the bus. <laughs> now, ima- imagine spending that money on that tape and then leaving it on the bus, and then, uh, you know, I think they, they went back and it, it disappeared. That's devastated, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. The poster's brilliant. What, what a great bit of history, though, to still have that poster from, from all those years. Yeah, that is really, really cool. So, no, delighted for him. Check out page 2120. Have a look at these original combos, but more importantly, the uh, poster which goes with it. I know I always harp on about the forums and stuff, but just to actually be able to look at this, ask the questions and then get the answers. And it's still there for us to now just refer you to. It is is great in my mind. And that's why I'm just such an advocate of the forums. So would 1982 be the first time it was released? Star Wars was released on video. Is that right? Yeah. So so you would have went five years. Some people would have waited five years to see that film. Can you imagine what that would have been like? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think now the Empire Strikes Back came out on video after Return of the Jedi came out on the cinema. Yeah. Is that right? That's right, yeah. I seem to remember wow. that being, being the case. Because, yeah. of course, Star Wars used to come back each year. They used to re-release it in the, in the cinemas mm. to follow, you know, 79, 80... And then they did the double bill with, with Empire, I think it was 81. But yeah, to, to own it. And then it wasn't on TV till what, 83, 84? Mm. It, it's, it's really crazy. You see it now, you know, Rogue One comes out of the cinemas, finishes at the yeah. cinemas in February, and then two months later you can buy it 
in your own yeah. and, and have it at home. So how times have changed. Yeah. That's what you said earlier on about the imagination and the figures because you'd go to the cinema back then and you'd watch it once. It wouldn't be like you know now where you just go back repeatedly and repeatedly because going to the cinema back in the day was a was a really big thing. It was a really big treat and, and you'd go to it and you wouldn't dream about <laughs> going twice in a day or, or going the next day and the next day and the next day. So yeah, yeah, people just had to hold on to it, and that's why we had the read-long cassettes and the books and, and everything else. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Nobody's parents would have paid for them. Well, very few parents would have paid for you to go and see a film again that you'd seen. You'd be told, "No, no, you've seen it." So yeah, yeah. I, I think I was a I was probably a, a student by the time I actually went to see a film more than once. I think it was you know years years later. It just wasn't a done thing. It's well. I've I've only seen two films twice in the cinema, and that was The Force Awakens and uh, Rogue One. And oh, okay. the, when I went when I went back the second time to see both of them, Tracy by Potter said, "Why are you going back to the cinema to yeah. waste money to see a film yeah. that you've already seen? It just didn't make any sense." And I I haven't seen any other film but those two twice in the cinema. Oh, well, but, what about you? Other, what about other you, than the special editions and really yeah, other than the special yeah. editions stuff like that. So it's all Star Wars related when you've been to see it more than once. There's a pattern emerging there. What about you, Jez? Any films you've seen? No. Jurassic Park, I just fell in love with. Uh, about three times. Wow. So I went from three. just once to Jurassic Park three times. I wonder if there's a bit of a John Williams theme going on here. Oh, maybe, mm. yeah. I think for me it was Pulp Fiction and The Crow. I went to see them two or three times each. But other than that, Star Wars, obviously, you can <laughs> see a few times. But I, I don't go, like, I go with my girlfriend, then I go with my son, then I go with my dad. So we all kind of, you know, so there's there's a there's a reason behind each visit. But, yeah, it's just an excuse as well. I'd go and sit on my own if I had to. Totally. I've been there. So, yes, yeah, staying on page 2120, which is quite truly a, a, a feast for the eyes. New forum poster, uh, Jedi Jup. Um, it's, it's got this awesome tale of a mislisted um, 21-back die-cast land speeder. You'll have to sell your speeder. So he, he's a die-cast collector. But after a while, when you're looking at these things, you know the differences between a 12 and a 21 bike when you're just looking at the front of them. You can, you can tell the subtle things, even though it's been mislisted. And, uh, and he got it, and he's delighted. But what's cracking about this post, uh, I hope you guys have seen it, is the lineup of die-cast land speeders he's got. It's just, I wouldn't have realised how good it looks if someone had described it to me until seeing is believing. You guys, have you seen this photograph? Yeah, that was amazing. I, I, I'm doing a die-cast run at the moment, but I, I wouldn't even dare doing, like, card variants. But that looks fantastic, yeah. And uh, I wasn't even aware that there was a, a 21 back. That's, that's, that's a new one on me. So that's what yeah. I say. Every, every day there's just something new, and it's like... But they still got the... What's weird is the 21 back, but they've still got the prototype uh, Falcon and, uh, and Y-Wing on there. And I think... Actually, I think the... Uh, it, it cruises of the prototype as well, but it's, def, it's definitely the prototype Falcon with the red red radar and gun. And uh, I seem to remember the the Y wing was a, a shorter looking, um, maybe a, a prototype or an early early mock up, even though it was a it was a, a later card. So uh, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, they look great on display. It looks uh, such great artwork, isn't it? I like that he's got the first shot at the front, and I must have, when I first looked at it, do you know what I thought it was? Um, I don't know if you collected the Diego Steedy um, ships and models 
ships and vehicle models. I thought it was just a case for one of those, so I just glanced over it and thought, oh, that's a nice nice way to present it in front of those. But then when I read read down, it says it's actually a first shot in a, in a nice case. Is that That is a cracking item. Yeah, it's a lovely display. Yeah, I asked him about it, and I said, come on, mate, let me know a little bit. And, and at the time of recording, he's only put up four posts. And one of his previous posts was a, a story about getting some toll toy ones because he's from uh, Australia, and and he was after some diecast toll toys, and uh, and he missed it, and uh, and he didn't get them. But then he came up again later by a flipper on a Facebook group. But even though this flipper sold it for pretty much twice the price, he was still dead chuffed to get hold of it because of for the um, just reminiscing the nostalgia. So he's absolutely delighted. As I said, four posts but some cracking posts at that. He said only a handful of people are really interested in the finer details of the vintage diecast line, so whilst the land speeder 21 bag is on the rarer side of the scale, the competition for most items are limited, which makes examples like the land speeder easier to pick up when they become available. All right, give it to me, I'll take it. Look at this. Ever since the XP38 came out, they just aren't in demand. It'll be enough. He said he chats with spoons regularly and he bounces items he finds to check to make sure that they're not outbidding each other. He really appreciates all the effort that Spoons has put into his website and enjoys finding the variants to mark off his matrix. It's the number one place to go for anything vintage diecast and we've said that time and time again. He said that the 21 back land speeder is a tough one to find but not exactly sure why. X-Wing and Imperial TIE Fighters are easily found on Star Wars 21 backs on eBay or other sales site. And also the Empire Strikes Back carded 31 back X-Wings and TIE are not as easy to find, but are about if you want them. The Landspeeder is only a couple of known Star Wars 21 back examples that have surfaced, but he's sure more will come up. There are no known production examples of the ESB 31 back Landspeeder and known to exist, yet Kenner had displayed Empire Strikes Back card examples at the 1980 Toy Fair and photographed them for the 1980 Kenner trade catalogue as shown in Spoons' website. Strange to see that a well-made, popular toy like the Diecast Landspeeder not continued on the Empire Strikes Back cards, yet Kenner decided to keep making the worst toy ever, in his opinion, the Diecast TIE Fighter. So there we go. Bit of a lover of the Landspeeder, not so much the TIE Fighter. He said the toy toy Minot cards are definitely his best ever pickup and a most emotional buy due to Australian nostalgia seeing that toy toy's logo again. Now, I asked him what he had, because I had a look at it, and I'm slightly fudgy of the last one, but he had the 12, uh, the 21, Kenners, he had the Palatoy there, he had a Harbour, uh, and Takara, absolutely fantastic. Now, I said, you know, what else are you looking for? And he doesn't have in his collection, apparently there's a French-Canadian 12-back, and possibly a 20-back, however, there are no known examples, a Clipper 12-back, a Meccano 12-back, Clipper card with a Meccano import sticker applied. The top three rarest mock die casts. These are all rare items, but as he enjoys the hunt, he's happy to wait. There's no rush. But yeah, absolutely fantastic lineup. Please, I encourage you all to check it out on Stores Forum UK. Moving on, Chris FNX. He's put up a couple of posts because he's a little bit of a car boot sale hunter. Maybe that should be his new username. Because I first noticed this on page 2117. He shows a car boot sale haul of three figures and a Hoth Wamper for seven quid. These are mint. Luke X-Wing, Rebel Soldier and a Han Hoth with a Hoth Wamper for seven quid. It's in prime condition, a real bargain. Lance, discuss. 
Yeah, stuff of legend, isn't it? I can't remember the last time I saw um, vintage Star Wars at a boot fair, probably about two, three years ago. People keep seem to get lucky, but yeah, it's, uh, that's, that's a great that's a great pickup and on a theme as well. Yeah, uh, that yeah. was the sum total of someone's Star Wars run, or or they've just been selling it in lots. But I mean, half wampers, I don't know. What are they going for? Fifteen quid, twenty quid? Yeah. I mean, that just seems great to me. Was it a one-off? No, it wasn't. Because then, just three pages later, he's got eight pretty mint figures for seventeen quid. So you know, we, we're seeing now these trade fairs and stuff. People selling beaters for two, three quid. Now he's got eight mint figures for seventeen. Two biker scouts, Leah Hoth, Attack Driver, FX7, everything on his mint, Rebel Soldier, another Commando, and Zuckus. So, uh, yeah, he's doing really, really well. Now, car boot sales. Any of you guys going out there having a little look? Any of you had any joy? I mean, Mark, you've just alluded to the fact that you, you've not seen any, but what about you, Scott? Yeah, I go to a lot of car boot sales, actually, and I must search every stall that has uh, books on it for the Kellerman book, but can never, can never see the, one of them. But no, I've not found very much. I found last year there was a store with two loose weekways on it, which I bought one. You only really need one. Um, but no, I've given a lot of stuff away. I've given away uh, a lot of modern stuff over the years to charity shops and stuff, but I've never found much, to be honest. Rich, I know you live up north, mate, and it's mainly horse and cart and stuff, but uh, <laughs> have they got a horse and cart boot sale thing going on? Well, I've... Um... I maybe go to two or three big car boot sales a year and I've never seen anything on them. But Scott, I don't know if you can remember a Time Mouth Metro station where they have um Yeah. It's not yeah, they have a market on both sides of the metro station. And I go there because there is a guy who does have vintage stuff. And um I had a look I have a look through it every now and again to see if he's got anything different. But it normally is just beat us and the the price at like seven, eight quid each. I do remember buying from him um, a modern Imperial shuttle because I turned it over and I saw the stamp in 1984 and he, he, he wanted something like 50 quid for it. Um, and I, I thought, oh, yep, yeah, get in. I, I've scored a bargain here until I brought it home and realised what it was. You know, they used the same moulds, didn't they, to make the modern one. So, um, you know, I, I read all these stories and stories from UK and, and it's the kind of thing that you dream of, isn't it, is going mm-hmm. down to a car boot at... If by your accounts, if I've got it right, you've got to be there when it opens, or yeah. preferably even earlier. Um, I certainly know that a friend of mine who sold um, toy cars and train sets, he used to get a stall at a at a car boot just to get in, and then he would put two items on the table, rush round all the other stalls as they were setting out, come back to his table, pack up after half an hour, and be away. That was the way that he did it. There's never yeah, anything we- there when I go there. We've done quite a few car boot sales selling uh, and buying, and you'll get three or four guys all coming around. Got any Star Wars, mate? Got any Star Wars? Because people are wise to it. Same with the sellers. I haven't been to that market in Timeout for years, um, but if it's Star Wars, they just think, well, it's worth a fortune, so it's worth a try, I guess. I know Jamie um, Fuzzy Buzzy gets quite a few like, die cast and, and, uh, and figures and that. He seems to find stuff down uh, Christchurch way. But I, I think I suppose it's a numbers game, isn't it? I think he goes to one most weeks. So maybe one out of five or six, he picks something up. I'm normally working on a Saturday night, so it's, I, I only go to what, maybe one or two a year these days. But I used to go to them a lot. And, and yeah. the last time I remember seeing stuff for sale was probably about the same time I started going further from, so probably about four years ago. And, um, and that was just at the time when the prices were about to jump. 
So it was about the time when you could go to the, the NEC and you could get, a, I think I just got a, a, an ATAP, boxed ATAP for just under 100 quid, maybe 80 quid, 90 quid with inserts and chin guns and that. And then you'd see them at boot fairs around that, but people were wised up and they wanted 80 pound or whatever at a boot fair for it. But then I get, I suppose you factor in, I think it was about 35 quid when it came out, wasn't it? It was always an expensive toy. But um, but yeah, it's uh, these these bargains, they, they, they elude me, but I'm glad they're out there. It's, it's, there's hope, right? Rebellions are built on hope. It's the old dilemma, though, that you really, really wish that you could find something super rare for like two quid. But then if you did find something super rare, would you tell the old lady on the stall, yeah, yeah, I'll have it, or would you be tempted to say... By the way, love, that's worth, you know, thousands or whatever. You must do what you feel is right, of course. I know there's some good, there's a lot of good people out there. I, I've, heard, I've heard stories sort of candidly from people that have, have, have seen things um, like that and have actually just taken them to one side and said, you know, that's worth. Mm. But I suppose it's easier to be that generous when it's something you've already got yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you see, if it was something you'd actually been after and you saw it, then that really would be a bit of a... Uh, a you know, a, a bit of a dilemma, wouldn't it? But when it's meant you've already got a home yourself and you just think, well, I better let them know. Yeah. Uh, I've heard anecdotally people have said, you know, oh, I saw this and I told them and it's like, oh, fair enough, it's a decent thing to do. But yeah, you, you wonder just how honest you'd be able to be if it was the thing you'd been looking for. If it was the Kellerman book, I wouldn't be honest. I'd just say, yeah, two quid, mate. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I've been there. Every time I walk past a bookshop or what have you, or, or a charity shop which is selling books, I'm always looking for the Kellerman book as well. I bet yeah. loads of people are doing that, but so far, no such luck. In my experience, there's no such thing as luck. Listening to Mark's old interview, he was telling about how he was on eBay, and I think it was eBay, and he won full loose collection for about 800 850 pound and yeah. it was um it was from, you mate jeff in Reading, and you actually contacted right. him saying well go i on, gave him an out yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know him i, I literally i was i just walked up to a gig and I, I parked up on the the car park of the roof of the venue and they left their router on and the wi-fi kicked in no one was actually there to open the venue up so i was just sat there waiting to get in and i thought ah oh, bonus wi-fi and I just noticed that I watch things all the time. No intention of buying them is just to see what they sell for, like I think a lot of us do. And there was this full set of figures, and it was still at £500, I think it was, or four or £500. I thought, oh, well, I might, might have a little bid then, last couple of minutes. Never intend, thinking for a minute I'd win it. So I just thought, well, I'll wait until, you know, 10 seconds before, and I'll just jump it up. I, I must admit, I do it every now and again when it's meant like, if I win it for that price, that's great, but nine out of 10 times it just goes for 50p more or five pound more or sometimes eight times more and then in this instant i, I just thought well they were they were 1400 so i'll, I'll put 750 because they were still at 500 and i won them full set of figures full set uh, of complete figures near mint with a wampa rebo band you know the, the, the whole lot in prime condition a real bargain and um and i messaged him straight after literally before i'd even paid and went oh you know I appreciate if you don't want to sell them to me for that. I, I just kind of stuck a bit in there because I thought it would, you know, double. And he was like, I oh, know, fair enough. You know, that's what you paid. You win some, you lose some. Sometimes I make money, sometimes I lose money. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll honour it. Oh. So, I, so I bought him and that's that's how I met him. Yeah, that was the first the first dealing I ever had with him. So, um, so yeah, it's uh, it's funny the friends you make in this hobby and and how you you know how you meet them. I'm sure there's plenty of sellers that would have just gone, oh, yeah, yeah, appreciate that, thanks very much, and just <laughs> relisted it, you know. Yeah. No, that's all I thought that was worth mentioning. 
Yeah, I, I've had people moan at me before when I bought stuff, and they go, "Oh, I should have gone for more than that." And it's like, "Well, yeah, that, that's what it went for. Are we okay though." And they're like, "Well, yeah, yeah." I post it when I get a chance, and it's all begrudging. And you're thinking, "Well, then you want to put it as a buyer now, because the whole nature of an auction is it goes for, um, you know, and nine out of ten times those auctions. Um, I mean, that was on a Saturday night. God knows where everybody was that night, but nine out of ten on those auctions, it's because they've listed it silly late at night, or it's got a misspelling or something. And you know, mm-hmm. when you when you do get a, a rare bargain. Well, there's a football um, match on, or, or something like that. Yeah, something else on TV. Yeah. Maybe there was that night. It was. A, it would have been a Saturday night that I was playing that venue, so it would have been half eight, nine o'clock on a Saturday night for me to be parking up. So, I either thought that was a prime time for an auction to end, but maybe not. Well, not for him that night. It wasn't. <laughs> it's good to see. Whilst I'm looking at all the forums, I jump over to Rebel Scum just briefly because on the other side of the pond, it's not just here that you know we're seeing guys getting some good deals, and it's great to see on Rebel Scum. Um, the latest acquisitions thread which has been of late and, I, and i've said it's a little been a little bit quiet but actually in june there's been post after post and it's been really really good to see but it was darth sidious on page 181 put up a greedo and a reese which he found for one dollar each he, he's delighted went to a massive flea market today and actually found a vintage greedo for one dollar which he never had as a kid, so he thought it would make a nice addition to his loose collection, especially since it's in great condition. It really is. It's in prime condition, a real bargain. And he's planning on tracking down a warrior's man and a hammerhead to go with it. And then, and just right next to that, immediately afterwards, Darth Pete, there's a bit of a Darth thing going on on Rebel Scum, picked up a loose weekway, again at a flea market, for a dollar. He said he couldn't leave him there, he was jumbled in with a lot of Ninja Turtles, but he recognised him as Star Wars, and for one dollar... Mate, bargains all over the place. In prime condition, a real bargain. I think if you won the lottery and you were able to just go out and buy everything, you'd soon get bored of it. But it, that's the magical thing, isn't it? When you go somewhere and you see something and you're just, you can't believe it. It's such a good feeling. Yeah, absolutely right, mate. You know, and, 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 I, and I still do it and I want to do it. And I'm sure we all do it, don't we? We're all out and we're all just having a little sly look in, in the windows of the charity shops or whatever. No, sort of the chase isn't it and yeah. i think you know the, the the virtual version of that is is those those hours that i guess well maybe it's just me that we all spend trawling on on ebay for uh for random things ending or misspelled or yeah you know those followed searches that i've managed to claw back a lot of time from doing i'm not as bad as i, I might do it sort of a couple of nights a week for for half an hour now but yeah, there, there was a point, I think, probably about a year ago, where I was probably spending a couple of hours a day just sitting there going, trawling through that, you know, various times of the day. And because um, that's the problem, it is a bit of a rabbit hole, this, this collecting lark, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I've got a couple of tips for you, actually, because I contacted Chris FNX, the reason we're talking about this in the first place, because of his stuff on page 2117 and 2120. And I said, mate, quite clearly successful here. Um, give some tips. Well, I don't really have any other tips, apart from patience, really. I would say sometimes it's better to visit the smaller car boot sales, less people perhaps looking for similar things. He's been going for years, although for the last five or six years, he's been going to both days of the weekend. And strangely, he started to see a bit more vintage in the last two years. I guess it's that old thing. People are now seeing it and thinking, all right, yeah, let's clear that on because Star Wars is big again. But they're still selling relatively cheap. He said his success rate is okay. No one ever tells anyone all the times they go and don't get anything. But he says it would be a good idea to talk to people who resell toys at car boots, as sometimes they've been doing it for years. A prime example is one local to himself. There's a seller. He's got loads of figures of weapons, etc. in his loft. 
untouched for 20 or so years and hopefully he'll dig them out soon. So I guess networking and looking at people who you think this is a, for want of a better expression, a professional car booter. He's had had some great buys in the last year or so. A vintage Imperial Shuttle for £40, Stormtrooper helmet for four, and a set of three sealed letter set transfers for a pound. Quite a few loose figures. He's got about 30 or so this year. So, uh, yeah, really chuffed with it. He said probably the best thing to consider is just think to yourself you won't find anything. So if you do, it's a bonus rather than think you're going to get something and then leave disappointed. Good advice. But moving on to page 2124, going from just one end of the spectrum to something else, Kavik. Now, we've mentioned this guy before. He's a, he's a collector of quite amazing rare antiquities. He's got an Uzai Emperor's Raw Guard on card, mint on card. It's absolutely stunning. Have you guys seen this on page 2124? What what's great about it is that is we've discussed in the past. I think from memory there are three different types of corded Empire's Wild Guard, and his has the cape and the weapon, which is which is what you'd want. As much as it would be nice to get a one without a cape and no weapon in a blister, the 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 one with the cloak is what everyone's after, surely. I think the um I think the there's a real unsung genius out there who was the photographer for these cards, who uh, clearly they didn't have a lot of budget to to shoot these pictures, but so much creativity. They're so lavish and so crazy, you know, so good. Yeah, the card art's great. Yeah. My favourite ones, is, there's one with a calculator, isn't there? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, that, that's genius. Yeah, definitely. But haven't the nephews of the photographer... Um, come forward on Facebook in the last couple of years and, and they're selling some Uzai items that they've got. Really? Yeah. And if I've got this right, I think the calculator has been found and identified and a few cl- and a few collectors are actually scouring eBay to purchase those calculators. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's crazy. That <laughs> Scott, you said lavish. I mean, that's exactly the term. Kavik's there and he's saying that the colours just make it stand out so much against all of his other carded figures. I mean, he's delighted with it. It looks fantastic. It's the first time I've ever seen one. Page 2124 on Wars from UK. Go and check it out. Absolutely fantastic. Looks like it's on tattooing, doesn't it? It's got that kind of the, the, the shape behind it. Yeah, these this artwork, it's like it's been um, it's been done by someone who hasn't seen the films. Yeah, that, that's a fair point. But it's been done very, very cheaply, very, very quickly with whatever materials that I had available in Turkey. Yeah, nice and colourful though. It's really eye-catching. I can see why it it stands out on a display. Yeah. Guys, leave us. Right, so left stars from UK. We've already spoken about Rebel Scum. Go over to the Imperial Gunnery. And Rich, I check this out, and I immediately, as soon as I see it, I'll let you know because I'm like, whoa, Darth Beersing. I know I'm never very good at pronouncing that. Darth, Darth Beersing is carded Hungarian Boba Fett, mate. This, this is stunning, but I, I've just got to say first of all, like you take the mic out of me for not being able to pronounce things. At least I can see Darth Beersing properly. That's what I um, said. No, you didn't. You said Darth Cucumber or something. I didn't quite hear what you were saying um, but yes, a, a carded Hungarian fet, I mean oh, it's stolen absolutely stolen, as we know John Paul Ragusa who is Darth Berezing on TIG and the current custodian of TIG he is a, a collector of rare high end foreign to the US licensed figures but a Hungarian fet is something that's even you know, extra especially stunning in his collection 
And for, for those who aren't aware that Hungarian figures were released on card backs that were um, approximately square shaped and were very, very brightly coloured. Um, I see red, blue and like an orange, yellow colour fairly frequently, but I've been led to believe that there are other colours as well, possibly browns and maybe even a greenish kind of colour, which I haven't seen before, but uh, from, from doing some reading, uh, apparently there are some out there. And the card backs feature art, which is taken from a Star Wars movie poster, and has been cropped down. And uh, these were not specific to the character, so these were created very, very cheaply. The figures were cheap, they were poor quality, the card back was poor quality, the blisters were cheap, and there's very few sealed examples to survive in. So obviously with Boba Fett being an incredibly popular character, getting your hands on one of these is, is absolutely stellar. So well done, John Paul. I've been doing a bit of reading about these Hungarian Fets, and Ron Salvatore has written a fantastic article on the SWCA. And I've learned a hell of a lot on that um, on that page by Ron. Uh, I didn't know that there were 10 figures released. I knew there were, it was low numbers, but uh, Ron's got uh, pictures, pictures there of 10 figures that were released, which are slightly shorter than the Kenner figures. Uh, they lack markings, they don't have footholds in them. They were packaged with cheap weapons, which were often rubbery to the touch. And when I looked at John Paul's photograph of the FET, I, actually, I noticed it was packed with a Chewie's Bowcaster. Mm-hmm. But then when I looked at the other photographs of the FET, they all seemed to be packaged with uh, Chewie's Bowcaster. So I had to think, well, why would FET have come with Chewie's Bowcaster? And I've, I've got two possible theories for that one. Chewie, give me the gun! The first one I'm thinking is... These are incredibly cheap. Um, they're cheaply made. If they're already making that Bowcaster for the Chewbacca action figure, then why would they make another weapon uh, just for Boba Fett? They could just, you know, run more of the Chewbacca Bowcasters off. And secondly, I thought, when you think about it, that Chewbacca's uh, Chewbacca uh, Bowcaster is actually a pretty decent, big, lethal-looking weapon. So it probably fits with Fett's mannerism of having this huge kind of, I don't know, um, you know, futuristic machine gun looking weapon. So I, I actually think that's pretty, pretty cool to touch. Yeah, mate, that, that's, that's all great. I, I was thinking about when I was looking at the Bowcaster, the Bowcaster, you don't need to have a decent hand to be able to hold it because it's got the extra arm support. And I was thinking, you know, if there's anything with the, with the molds or if there are poor quality figures and the hand isn't necessarily got the dexterity to be able to hold onto a blaster the the bowcaster can hold itself by the by the arm mount so that's what i was thinking when i first saw that yeah that that's a good point that yeah but the, the hand solo comes with a small little pistol though so i was thinking well surely the hand pistol would have come with boba fett so that's why i'm thinking well boba fett with a little tiny i don't know sudden softy kind of gun versus <laughs> versus some having a big hulk and manly northerner uh, <laughs> Bowcaster, you know, I think it, it just gives them that little bit extra uh, oomph. But what I was completely unaware of is that when I was reading one's article, he said in there, in contrast to popular belief, I've been told that licensed Kenner Star Wars style figures were indeed sold in Hungary. And how many times have we said, you know, Eastern Bloc, they didn't get the license, etc., etc.? And I'm thinking, well, if anybody's going to know this information, surely it's Ron. So I would absolutely love to see um, a Kenner-style Star Wars. I mean, I would imagine it would be an actual imported Kenner um, item. I'd love to see one with a Hungarian price ticker on it. That would be absolutely amazing to see. Yeah, just going back to uh, Mete's interview, I'm, I'm sure Mete said that there were times, from from his point of view with regards to the Turkish 
figures that you could go to a shop and there were the bootlegs for uh, for X amount, um, but they actually had the original Kenner ones for I don't know three four times the price. So they were there, but they were at a real premium price. So it was a case of you know, do you get the the, the Coca Cola or do you get the Roller Cola? Uh, and everyone was buying the Roller Cola. You know, so um, may well be that they did have some in some of the other sort of uh, department stores um, at a bit more of a premium price. If any of our listeners can give us the answer to that, then yeah, yeah, let us know. But I'm sure, from memory, Rich, um, although I've heard Mate talk about that, that there was the options of buying either the licensed or the unlicensed. Oh, certainly in Turkey, yeah, I'd, I'd accept that. But Hungary's a bit more of a, you know, a real true Eastern Soviet bloc country, you know, and you've got your, you've got your Hungary, your Yugoslavia, your East Germany, that kind of tight pack of European countries. Turkey, I wouldn't put with that kind of group. Turkey, I would suggest it at the time, was possibly more to itself and possibly even more aligned with Greece and mm-hmm. um, some of the Middle Eastern countries. It just would surprise me a lot more if Hungary itself... Um, had American products mm. on on store shelves. Although I dare say they could have been imported from Turkey, possibly by by you know toy sales toy salesmen in Hungary who travelled to Turkey and brought them back. That's always a possibility. Sir, I am fluent in six million forms of communication. Now, as you know, on the Vintage Rebellion podcast, we always try and um, educate people, or try and be you know cosmopolitan and everything. So I, I was looking at the card, and I'm not even going to try and butcher the pronunciation of the words which are in front of me. Um, I'll leave that to Richard to do. However, I did enter them in Google Translate to just to double check. Obviously, I can see a. Okay, so I appreciate that I have just butchered those words. Uh, but then there's Jedi Vizata. So I start entering that in Google Translate. And um, so I enter the first two words. Uh, and what do I get? I, I well, Let me get rid of that. And come on, next. So Star Wars. Brilliant. Okay, so the first two words at the top mean Star Wars. I then put in the next Vizata. And in translator says, the wars of the stars return. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Okay, so I'm going to put Jedi in now, where Jedi belongs. J-D-I space. The horn of the Jedi returns. Okay, so maybe Google Translate have got an issue, or there's a problem with this Hungarian FET. That, um, it, it says, the horn of the Jedi returns. Now, I appreciate it was quite an exciting time for JP when he got this carded FET. But really, <laughs> the horn of the Jedi returns? This is when you need Pete back, really, for this, though. <laughs> <laughs> His area of expertise. <laughs> I, th- I think that's more likely to be a problem with the Google translation to Hungary. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> it's, yeah. it, it's probably possibly not the horn of the Jedi. It's possibly something like the soul of the Jedi or something along those lines, isn't it? But I was thinking it's just coincidental that the word Jedi translates as meaning the horn of, but they just took the literal Jedi and then they used the words for the, alluded to the return of. Yeah. But it's, it's it, I prefer your description. <laughs> it, it's changing. Every time I add a capital letter to each word, it's, it's, it's absolutely uh, phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Now it's said, oh, look at that, it's changed. Star Wars <laughs> Jedi returns. But... I, th- I think that's a good shout. It probably says that. If I get rid of this, get rid of that, and put in that, Star Wars Returns Jedi. Yeah, this is. I mean, this this is this is interest, 
industry-leading research here going on right now. Cutting edge, yeah. And, um, yeah, check that start. Oh, that's fantastic. So what if you put it all in capitals like it is on this card from? Oh, can you... Because it's shouting it. Yeah. Can you put the umlauts and the tilds and the accents in it? The tribe of star Jedi returns. This is just crazy. Just, um, yeah, absolutely. Good. This is almost like a, uh, a Star Wars film title generator. <laughs> this is episode nine, the tribe yeah, of the Jedi. Episode nine, the horn of the Jedi. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Shot in Hungary. <laughs> tribe of the Jedi returns horn. It, it, it's just crazy. Anyway, but back to this. Rich, have you ever seen one before? Any of you guys, have you ever seen a carded uh-huh. Hungarian yeah. fet? Yeah, actually, well, not, not a Hungarian fet, no. What it, did Vectors have one? Really? I think they may have done. I think they may have done a few. Was it last year? Did Vectors have a carded Hungarian fet? I'd have to go and do some research on that one, but I've certainly seen Hungarian carded figures at Vectors. You know, I, I, I do want to say they had one. You know. Yeah, mate, um, it's, it's done it, and and for JP to get it, you know, with everything which he does for the forum and all that lot. Yeah, fair play to you, mate. Chuffed you. I went over to Tantive, as you know, massive fan of Tantive 11, seeing what they've got. And it was R2's new projector beam, which is obviously where they put all their new acquisitions. It was page seven. Now, I've got got a question there. Maybe you guys can help me out because there wasn't a great deal on the net at all. Poncho's put up a sealed set of Star Wars balloons made by Ariel. He goes on to say the Kiwi products. Now, I know Kiwi did shoe polish. But I've never seen these Kiwi balloons before. Can't find anything online. Any of you guys know much about them? So this is a sealed set of 1980s balloons. I don't know whether I remember the Star Wars balloons, but I certainly remember that balloons logo. But I think that's the sort of thing that balloons were probably 50 pence and Star Wars balloons were probably a pound. So that's the sort of thing you'd ask for in a shop, but you'd be told no and you'd be bought the regular balloons and then given a biro to do your own, I think. <laughs> I did see when I had a look online that um, Duncan uh, Jenkins had put a, an entry on the uh, SWCA about this, but it literally was a very similar picture, the same packet as I'm with Vader on. And it was a five pack of balloons by Kiwi Stroke Aerial. So, yeah, that, that, I hadn't seen it before. It's one of those things you can go onto the SWCA, you know, every day of the week and have a look around on there and find something new. It's great that, that someone's found them out there. Do you, know, do you know where they came from? Did they come? Do we know if they came through eBay or whether they were bought from another collector? No, I, I, I sent a message, but unfortunately um, it's not got back to me yet. So, uh, no, more on that another time. Yeah. I, I know that, I, again, when I got the show notes, I had a little dig around and there were some Ewok balloons that were that were done, uh, I think, by the same company. and uh, But they were in a pack of six and they had the Jedi logo on. But they also had an American flag on, so I'm assuming that was an American product. And there was a, another Return of a Jedi 10-pack of balloons that looked like they actually might have had something printed on them. Because I'm not sure if these did. These look from what you can see through the packet and the, and the, the picture, which is a, obviously a, another packet that's on the, on the uh, SWCA. They don't look like they're branded, the actual balloons, but I would assume that they have an image on them. <laughs> oh, you Otherwise you're, <laughs> yeah, it's really Emperor's New Clothes stuff, isn't it? <laughs> but on all the pictures I've, I've managed to find online of these balloons, you can only see that little bit of the clear packet at the bottom, and I can't make it any design on the balloon. Come so you on, would be crushed, wouldn't you? Come back to yeah. us. Let us know what's going on with these Kiwi aerial balloons. And uh, yeah, you don't generally see them. You know, I've been to quite a few celebrations now. I haven't seen them. If I had, I would have added them to my collection. 
Uh, but yeah, are they branded or are they just plain balloons in a bag? Hopefully, we'll have an answer to that on the next show. Star Destroyer. So that's for the final thing which I wanted to look at. And I was really excited to see this on Star Wars Forum UK, page 2117. Star Destroyer coming right at us. It was a chap called APAC7229. Now, I'm sure he wasn't called that by his parents, but it goes by the username APAC7229. Darth Vader Star Destroyer box for $17. And this is the Kenner, uh, naturally Empire Strikes Back. And uh, he said he's got this to go with his loose one. Now, I thought about this and I thought, yeah, awesome. Because if you remember in the May episode, we were talking about Slave One and saying, you know, what's the worst possible um, spaceship? And it was decided by the podcast crew that Darth Vader's Star Destroyer w- was pretty awful. Now, let, let's, uh, let's bring this to the table because looking at this, hmm, once again, my mind could be changed. Right, Jez, I'm just going to say that from when I was doing my research. I don't think we can call this a starship and it doesn't actually even come into the starship category. And the reason why I'm thinking that is because, you know, Tig's project outside the box. Mm-hmm. I went straight to there first and I had a look at all the ships and it's not listed. So I thought, why don't they have Darth Vader Star Destroyer listed with the ships? I then went to the SWCA and it wasn't there. I thought, right, something's not quite right here. And it's listed on both of them as a playset. Mm-hmm. So then I checked the box, and it's quite clearly seen on the front, on, on the side of the box, Darth Vader Star Destroyer playset. So it's not actually classed as a ship. So perhaps it's not to be classed as the worst spaceship going. It's back on the trick transport, isn't it? <laughs> it's, 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 Sorry, Jess. <laughs> <laughs> you can go off somewhere. I. <laughs> That's that's just a technical. Eh? This is a spaceship. This is Darth Vader's spaceship. What are you want about? It's a room of it. Back is up, guys. It's a packed room of it, but it's a whole party going on in there. You look at the box art, but um, it's the biggest pig to put together as a loose playset. Why is the Death Star uh, commander hanging upside down? Would he not be driving it? <laughs> well, I think the theory is is that Darth Vader had lost um, his temper with him and was torturing him. One of his own um, soldiers. <laughs> Harsh but fair. It's horrific, but, though, isn't it? I never, I don't know anyone who ever had one. It's, it's awful. No, it's. I don't it, think it's popular, was it? Was it? I no. don't think so. I don't think when, anybody ever had it. I can't remember anyone having it. I think it was popular in the states because there's plenty of loose ones that are available that easily get a hold of. But I don't know anybody in the UK who had one. The box one I've got is a Palatoy one, and and I thought I'd done well getting another new one, but maybe no one bothered playing with it. Yeah. But it I, when I first tried to put, yeah, it's unused. But when I first put one together, that was, I just I didn't necessarily want a Palatoy one. I just wanted because I just when I did my box run, I just tried to do mint in box sort of unused contents as best I could, and some were impossible to find, and 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 some like this one, just kind of found me. But and that being a Palatoy one, but I, I don't know. I like like Scott said, I don't remember any kids having this playset. So and obviously. We had it here because there's Palatoy versions around. So, but they were so many great Empire Strikes Back playsets that this yeah. one would have just got just in the fog, really, wouldn't it? Because you know the the, the Imperial Attack playset is, I think I said before, is my favourite. And uh, but then both those Hoff playsets were amazing. And uh, this was just a little bit. I don't know what would you do with this if you didn't have. I mean, you're led by the picture. If you didn't have the figures that were in this, because everyone just had the figures they had, would it be much play value in this? 
if you, if you didn't have the box and you just had the item by itself, you would say it's Darth Vader's breathing chamber. You wouldn't even dream of adding the Star Destroyer bit to it. No, they stuck um, a gun on the front just to, just to give it that extra bit of play value. Yeah, yeah. they just stuck a gun on the front of it. Why couldn't this have been something the size of the Rebel Troop Transport and shaped as a wedge, you know, like, like Star Destroyer is, something of that size where you could lift the lid off and this was inside a part of the bigger ship. That would have been far better. Um, yeah, because it's more accessible to get around and play around this, but then there's just no real play value in it because you're not looking down at it from the top. So it's kind of, like you say, it looks like it should attach to a, another, I don't know, perhaps they thought maybe it was going to be like almost like a big version of the micro machines that they were going to do the next bit and then the next bit because there's access through, isn't there, at the back. Mm-hmm. I guess it's there to hold it, but it looks like a door by on the front where the Stormtrooper is. I think if you go back to your sort of childhood mind and how you would have thought, it's just too exposed, isn't it? They would have all died. <laughs> it's very practical. Brilliant. You couldn't you couldn't lift it in the air and you know move it around because all the figures would just be constantly falling out. Yeah. So it, it was a fixed, rigid thing that you couldn't actually do anything with. It's got lots of fiddly bits as well. You try and put this together as a loose set because you, you collect loose, don't you, Richard? And yeah, I've got, a, I've got a loose one, yeah. It's a mare because the holograms always snap. The foot pegs are always snapped. It's full of dust where someone stuck it on a shelf. Yes. Um, and try to see the dust up on it and the stickers come off and you're just, mm-hmm. you're just kicking your own ass, aren't you, trying to put this play set together? So, yeah, it's... it's even Avoid as a, it, man. That's why I'm glad I've got one that's just sat in a box that's never been put together. It's a little bit sad, but it's, you know, it's there. I must admit, it's not one I look at very often. Okay, so what pretty, pretty big job, haven't I? Swearing you guys. Oh, you're going to say that it's your second to the two transport, and you had one for Christmas, and you wanted the Imperial <laughs> shuttle, and you got one of these. No. And you used oh, the, you it. used the you used the chamber as an apple corer. Go on, let's see how it all now. It's cool though. It's cool, yeah, definitely. Do you remember those seventies ashtrays that all look like that? Yeah. Whenever I see them, I always think of Darth Vader's chamber. You know those old seventies plastic ashtrays? Yeah, you exactly. Yeah. Rome, couldn't you get a couple of those and just? That's all the play value right there, isn't it? By the time you stuck the stickers on this, you're basically ready to play with something else, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think this oh, may have been. I think this may have been one of those, and I don't want to use the term turkey, but it was something which I think Kenner thought would be a lot more popular than it was. If you go onto the Star Wars Collector's Archive and they've got, you know, where they, they show you the main thing and then related links and you look at all sorts of other stuff. Uh, and they showed you some images of the Toy Fair 1980 uh, and they had a lot of stuff in the background and in the foreground they had Falcon and then this next to it, almost like it was one of their sort of prized toys to show off at Toy Fair in the 1980s. And that they were really, really you know, hoping that it would take off it and push Look at the box art. Let's look at some positives of this. Box art, to me, with the bright red and the whites and the blues, it's just, it's it's vibrant. I think it looks very, very good. And it shows you, that, and it is painting a picture. You've got the bounty hunters there, and we all love to group the bounty hunters together, don't we? I'm sure whenever anyone puts their bounty hunters on a collection, they put them all in a similar sort of thing. But yeah, the Death Star, 
a Death Squad commander hung upside down. When you, again, when you go back to Star Wars Collector's Archives and you look at some of the, the unproduced box for the Star Vader Star Destroyer, it actually shows a Leah Bespin one hung upside down. So the original box art, which they were looking at, the unproduced one, has got, for some reason, Leah Bespin. So they swapped it from Leah Bespin to Death Squad commander. Mm. She's in the, the line art on the back of this as well, coming through the trap door. Yeah. Um, so that must have been drawn up from the other the alternative box art, I guess. And then when you go to the um, thirty one back, thirty uh, one B card back, it's got I'm sure it's got the uh, Princess Leia Organa being hung upside down. So they went through a couple of different iterations and then eventually went for for this one. And obviously differences in the box art. So you've got the American, the Kenner one, where you've got the the color and then it wraps around to the black and white, you know, more line art stuff you see the the other iterations so palatoy canada have, have got a lot more vibrant all the way around color um but it was something which i want you guys to have a little look at but i want people to go on youtube and just check out a video which which you can see now there's this chap i'm not sure who he is his name is luke but he goes by the username action jackman on youtube and he does reviews usually about 10 minutes or so about a whole variety a whole host of different star wars spaceships playsets call them what you will and yeah. he's got this vintage darth Vader star destroyer about a 10 minute video just a, a complete showing off his palatoy box uh, and the actual playset itself hey everybody today we're going to take a look at star wars the empire strikes back darth Vader star destroyer action playset now this thing, you might think straight away, doesn't look like a Star Destroyer, and you'd be right. But if you had a Star Destroyer in this scale, you wouldn't be able to fit it in your house. So, as a happy medium, we've got a wedge-shaped thingy, and it's got a bit of a bit of a playset scene inside. So let's do our usual tour of the box. On the front, we can see action figures sold separately. All this space at the back, but if you put these guys down there, it doesn't really sort of work. You've got this side as well, I've just stuck a couple of Imperials in there, but you can see you could get tons and tons more troops in that. It would be overkill though, I think, for this uh, demonstration. This is what you want to see, isn't it? The Bounty Hunters. So there you go, that is the Darth Vader Star Destroyer playset from The Empire Strikes Back. came out in 1980. Um, a classic piece, but you do need to have a little bit of imagination with it. So this has been Luke, thanks for watching, and I'll see you next time. And it's brilliant, it's really, really sold it to me. It goes into the great details of, of the different heights, showing the different areas of the Star Destroyer. So if you imagine, um, you know, you've, you've got two Imperial Commanders there going, Bounty Hunters, we don't need that scum. Yes sir. Bounty Hunters, we don't need that scum. Just lower down from where the Bounty Hunters are and you can see them doing it. The imagination required then for the hologram coming down. Now, I know Mark said it was a bit fiddly and stuff, but actually the ingenuity going into that, just coming down. A little meditation chamber there, which you get again, the play value um, was brilliant. The escape chute underneath. There are loads of things to this that I wasn't aware of because, as you guys say, you see them as a dusty hulk generally at these collector's fairs with all the bits missing and you just think, yeah, mm. ashtray. But when you actually look at this video and, and the way that everything works, the remote laser cannon on the front, which, yeah, okay, looks a little bit out of place, 
But when you hold it underneath, very much like you would be holding the Imperial Shuttle, and you know it's got the little trigger action for the for the laser cannon, you know that clicks. You've got different things which spin. As I say, the hologram, the lighting up meditation chamber, the escape chute, various different bits and pieces. There's loads of pieces in on this. It doesn't look like a Star Destroyer, but actually, from a playset point of view and an imagination point of view, um, I could see kids using this. And uh, I know I would have definitely used it if I had seen it, but I've got no recollection of it as a kid. Activate meditation chamber! From Kenner's Star Wars, the Empire Strikes Back collection, new Darth Vader Star Destroyer that you put together. Batteries not included. Darth Vader's stronger now. He's got Luke! New Luke Skywalker. Action figures each sold separately. You can slide the viewing screen, turn Darth on the command bridge, and make Luke escape through the hidden hatch. Test the laser cannon. We gotta find Luke! Darth Vader Star Destroyer from Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back Collection. Action figures each sold separately. New from Kenner. It certainly cost them a lot more, I would have thought, to make than the, the, the Hoth play sets, which were generally moulded in one colour plastic, and a lot of it was was like a moulded base, you know, going forward from the old Palatoy play sets. There's a lot of intricacies with it. But it's a really fiddly thing to put together as well. There's a lot of clips, almost as many as an Ewok village, where everything clips together and... But they threw everything at it, didn't they? With all the, all the with because the, it's got the bulb and then the the bulb cover to give it yeah. that that red glow and battery cover, all these things which can. And isn't it from yours? You've got a hologram, the hologram screen which comes down from the top. That's yeah. got a retaining bracket, hasn't it? That's which right. Could yeah. be very easily lost, I guess. Um, There's a lot of moving parts. Yeah. 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 So a lot of stuff's gone into this, but when you actually look at it and, it, and a clean one with all of the stickers on it and the legs and you think about the possibilities and the play value do you know what it it's gone up in stock in my opinion just by looking at this guy's video and showing what it what it should be what it could be um he did go on to say that once you've actually got one and constructed it you've got no chance then of putting it back in the box or you know taking it apart deconstructing it and putting it back in the box once it's assembled it's very difficult to uh, to take it apart that's why they've all got 40 years of dust on them. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, so, Rich, I'm looking at the catalogue description, courtesy of Star Wars Collector's Archives. Unfortunately, I don't have an old copy of the Argos catalogue in front of me. But this is randomly showing, and this is the J.C. Penny Christmas catalogue 1980, when it came out, $18.88. Now, what we're what we looking at now, because I've seen on eBay some crazy prices, crazy prices, and I'm talking high but what have you seen on um, Star Wars Tracker, mate? I went and checked on the Star Wars Tracker. I paid £20 for mine, loose complete, and I think that was about 18 months, maybe a touch longer than that. Um, so I was a bit surprised to see that the average price of them has actually risen. Uh, you're looking at about £35 for an average-priced loose one that's in fairly decent condition. The cheapest one went for £9.23. That wasn't sold by me, but that, that if I put mine up for sale on eBay, that's probably how much it would go for. True story. Um, but it, <laughs> it, it is a little bit incomplete. Um, it's not completely um, baseless, but uh, it's missing a few parts on there. And the most expensive one went for £90, which, if it was absolutely mint and it was totally complete, I don't think that's too unreasonable a price. Looking at box ones, for a box one, the average price of a box one, they're varying all over the place. There's some some have been for sale for around about the £40 mark, average around about 110 ish with some of the, the really nice ones, um, you're looking at hitting around about the 200 225 mark. 
and for mint and seal box ones there's only been one for sale in the last year just one and that went for 202 pounds so a, a huge range of prices there for those who are interested in grading i'm just going to check the grading one for a graded one um i think this is after 80 650 pound for a graded it says unsealed actually a graded unsealed i don't think that's right a graded sealed delphi the star destroyer 650 pound and for a graded loose one you were not a single one's been sold in the last year not a single one that's interesting isn't it never that never had that before not a single one yeah who would grade one of these but there we go I guess the plus the the price of the acrylic is probably worth more than what the actual item is. Yeah, seriously, if you can buy them that cheap, complete. Um, hey, would one, one of these going into twelve cabinet? I'll tell you, mate, for nine pound sixty-three. Um, <laughs> seriously, the, the, it might be a bit, bit wide, even without the gun, it might be a bit wide. No. Yeah, I'm still, I'm still, despite all of that, I'm still not convinced. You've got three stormtroopers looking out of a window where there wouldn't be a window. <laughs> <laughs> it's a heavily modified one with some very very good glass um, this, they don't have glass in the ones in the new films either in real life it's a prototype it's, it's, it's just it's, open listen to me now, now then we'll have less of this um, <laughs> guy, when you when you look at it you've got, you've got the different levels and the pegs and bounty hunters we don't need this gun and uh, yeah guys you could just imagine having them there and then Lord Vader just lifting it and he's not got his helmet on but in this case he has because the you know kind of figures obviously not got a removable helmet but it's the imagination your imagination is the limit with this is is uh this is pretty cool and in fact it's not just me should we uh should we see what old Ron Salvatore says about this because I don't know if this is just me or whether or not he thinks it's uh it's a good bit of kit I'd so, be surprised if he likes this I'd be very surprised here we go so Going over to Star Wars Collector's Archive, and you, and you know that they, they give you the JCPenney Christmas catalogue, and, and then one of the guys will put their point of view. So let's see. The JCPenney Christmas catalogue. Darth Vader's Star Destroyer. This is where the Lord Vader communicates with the dark side of the Force. Activate the Force light in the meditation chamber, and Darth strengthens his dark powers. There you go, already, straight away, you're like making him nails. It's great. The chamber opens and closes. The chamber opens and closes. Oh, what more do you need? He commands from a swiveling command podium. There's a movable laser cannon, a simulated hologram unit to communicate with the Grand Emperor. Push button escape hatch. Detention pegs to hang any captured rebels upside down. A control room and assembly area for bounty hunters. And it's 9 by 14 by 12 inches. C batteries, blah. It's just brilliant. But there we go. What does the big man say himself? Ron Selvatore. I know a lot of people love it, but in my opinion, the Darth Vader Star Destroyer playset was the most dis... Maybe maybe I don't want to read this. Maybe, maybe, maybe I don't. Yeah, yeah, okay. And it's a point closed, not good. It was a... Yeah, anyway, so I, I think we're nearly the, at the end of our time here. What's he saying? Features are completely pointless... Ron, yeah, do you know what? Sometimes people can be wrong, and these Star Wars Collectors Archive guys don't necessarily always know their stuff. Yeah. All right, so in, in this case, I like what Ron says. You know, I, I've got a lot of respect for the man, but actually, um, you're all wrong. Darth Vader's Star Destroyer is um, is pretty cool, says the man who loves the Rebel transport. Oh, that was a good um, figure case. It was a good figure case, Jess. I was taking that thing away from that. 
have a look at it though. Um, have a look at it though. Bosk is shaking his head, saying, <laughs> "I thought, I thought Darth Vader would have a better ship than this." Yeah, Boba Fett saying, "I'm glad I got my helmet on because there's no windows in this. We're going to get <laughs> sucked off into space and not in a good way." But Jess, you also like the Chewbacca bandolier strap. So yeah. there's kind of like a running theme of the the crappiest toys in Star Wars. <laughs> so interesting. Well, maybe it does. Maybe it, maybe it does. I just love all Star Wars. I'm just, you know me, happy Jez. You can just picture it now while I'm talking to you, just happy in my little Star Wars world. It's pretty cool. It's great box art. I've got to say, the box art is amazing. If you leave yeah. it in the box, it's a brilliant toy. And that's what I've done. I've <laughs> left it in the box. It's got all the good guys there. I mean, it's like a roll call of all the cool stuff. And all the cool guys are there. You've got, you got your Stormtroopers. You've got your... Well, Dengar missed the meeting, didn't he? But, yeah, very cool. Well... Guys, what I'm going to leave you then is you just need to go and check out Action Jack's video. All right. So if I haven't convinced you, you, you'll see this Action Jackman video on YouTube and you'll realize actually there is a place for this. There is a place for this in my heart and in my collection. So there we go. That brings us to the end of the new acquisitions for this month. Really, really enjoyed it. And it's been great, actually, getting the point of view and the experiences of, of Mark and Scott. Really enjoyed it. Thanks very much, lads. As you know, this is the time when normally our main interviewer will have the rapid fire. But without a main interview guest this month, the tables are being turned. But obviously you're familiar with some of the questions. So some of these might be familiar to you. But there's some others which I've sneaked in to keep you on the, on the, uh, on the spot and, uh, and possibly get a choke out of you. Who knows what? Are you ready? I was born ready, Jez. You know that. Okay. Your favourite Star Wars movie? Empire Strikes Back. Favourite Star Wars scene? The Hoth battle at the start of Empire Strikes Back. Favourite on-screen relationship? Oh, I would probably say between Stormtrooper 37 and Stormtrooper 38 when they are chasing Han down the corridor. Simply not funny. Favourite lightsaber duel? Um, I think it's episode one, the Qui-Gon Jinn, the Darth Maul and the Obi-Wan. I think it's great. Favourite piece of Star Wars music? Imperial March. Which actor or crew member would you most like to meet? Um, possibly like to spend a bit of time with Mark Hamill, I think. What's your favourite, the Vintage Rebellion podcast episode? Oh, um, all of the pre-Jez ones. Um, <laughs> I would probably, well, because I live for the now, this is my favourite. Least favourite TVR podcast episode? The first one. It was absolutely dreadful. It was terrible to put together, terrible to record, terrible to edit. It was a shocker. <laughs> favourite figure as a child? Um, I think it was probably Han Solo, the uh, Hoth. Not Hoth, cool. Okay. Favourite figure near, now? I'd probably say the Stormtrooper. I, I don't like the Stormtrooper as a figure, but the Baker Scout would be very close second. Favourite card back or photo art? Oh, that's got to be the R5-D4. Um, iconic and so many characters on it. Best and worst 
Empire Strikes Back for you? The best one is probably... Ooh, you're posing the spot here, I mean, Jez. I like Han Hoth. I do. I think Han Hoth's a cracking Empire figure. The worst one, I would probably say, is FX7. Naf. Biggest collecting regret? Um, ooh, that is a good one. Biggest coll- Right. My biggest collecting regret, I think, is not getting involved in the community earlier. Describe Baggy Gate. Baggy Gate is incredibly damaging to the hobby and I hope the full truth comes out and everybody gets their refunds. Other than Yavin, what's your favourite Facebook group? Ross Bars, Timeline Groups, I think they're fantastic and I've pretty much got the feed switched on on those three only. Rich, what's your Holy Grail item? My Holy Grail item is probably the R5D4 wood pattern. What's your favourite Star Wars book? Ooh, I'm going to go hit Eight of the Empire, Timothy's on. Um, that was the book that brought me into collecting back in 1995. Um, and I, I went down the literature route, collected everything possible. What's your favourite oddball, Beyond the Toys, Gim Crack, not Jim Crack, item? Ooh, that is a good one because there's so many and me, me hobbies change all the time on that one. I have to say I do really, really like the Wonder Bread trading cards. I've got a full set of those and uh, they're fantastic. They're taking pride on my display. Other than the Vintage Rebellion, what's your favourite Star Wars podcast? I love the Kivecast. I've always said that from day one. Um, I listen to the Kivecast. I think I listened to something like 20 episodes in the space of four or five days when I, when I was travelling um, to Paris and then I continued to Scotland and I listened to so many of their shows. But um, I enjoy Rebel Force Radio. I enjoy Toy Run. I enjoy the Jedi News podcasts. Um, Steve and Danley's podcast has really got me excited. Um, so, so many podcasts on the go. Okay, you've been on the collecting circuit for a while. What's your favourite convention you've been to? Father's Farm, without a doubt. I would say my favourite Father's Farm was probably the very first one. And I remember not only did I meet a lot of new people there, um, but Ian Sanderson's, where we basically just took up the whole side of one one side of the hall, was fantastic. But I'm going to also sh- stick a nod out to Celebration Essen as well, because that was the first time I met Grant, it was the first time I met you, I met Frank Muse and uh, various other people, actually uh, Liam as well, Darth, Darth says Lord Liam, I met him, uh, Jason Smith, uh, Gary Smith, uh, first time I met everybody was at um, yeah, Essen, so that's a close second. Celebration, what's your favourite celebration moment? Ooh, um, well, it's got, it's got to be Essen. My favourite celebration moment was in Essen, my very first celebration, and was just walking in going, wow, this is Star Wars everywhere, wall to floor, ceiling, right across the place. And because Essen was not busy, you could just walk to any panel, you could walk around the floor, no hustle and bustle, uh, that was my favourite moment. Completely agree. Do you think we should bring back the Christmas panto? No. Give your best piece of advice to a new collector in less than 20 words. My best advice would be to, first of all, before you start buying, get engaged in the hobby, start reading and find a trusted seller. If you could change one thing about the Star Wars community, what would it be? I would... Right, the problem with the Star Wars community at the moment is, is that we are so spread out all over the place. I don't know what's going to replace Facebook, but something is going to replace Facebook. And whatever it's going to be, I hope we all pull together in whatever that new unified approach will be. Nice. And finally, what's your most prized possession? Um, I'm assuming you mean in Star Wars items here. Yeah. Um, my most prized possession, I would probably say, oh, that is a difficult one. Um, 
Jez, I think I probably what I'm going to say is it's probably my loose or two with a pop-up saber for two reasons. One is because it finished me loose run, and two, it's because um, the community did a collection for me and a whip round um, for many of the things that I've done for the community in the past. It was totally unexpected, um, and I was absolutely ecstatic. So that list, that loose little auto pop-up, is is my favourite item. Rich, I think you've survived your rapid fire. Thank you very much. Right, then normally it's this time in the podcast when we do the outro question and we go around the boys saying, right, what's your favourite this, what's your favourite that? You've been listening to the podcast for a while now and we really, really appreciate feedback and constructive criticism and all sorts, really, so we can improve and move on. So forgetting about me and Rich, what's your favourite podcast moment, interview and or episode and why? Oh, it's such a difficult one. And... Uh... You mentioned it on the show notes, and I've been scratching my head on that all afternoon thinking what was my favourite. It's easy to know what my least favourite bit was, but that's already taken in the hand because you just did it in the, in, in the, when you did the rapid fire um, about whether it be another panto. Um, <laughs> so that was probably my least favourite moment. I just didn't get it. I don't think. I was quite new to the podcast as well when you did the first one. Um, and it was like, do what now? This is, this is what? But um, I just... I think you've really streamlined it. You know, everything just feels really organic now. It, it, the, the, you all interact with each other. The banter um, is is really fluid, and and it's hard to imagine that you're not all sat around a table when you're listening to it. I normally listen to it when I'm driving to gigs and that, and uh, so I'm listening to it for like two, three hours straight. And it's really hard to imagine that you're not all just sat around a table, like you know, nudging each other and showing each other stuff, and you know that you are doing it that in that real remote way. So yeah, I, I don't think there's anything I I I, I don't like, and I, and I don't think I could put my finger on one thing that I like more than any other. I just think uh, I'll, I'll miss the chart rundown that Pete did because that was one of my favourite bits, just because I love that song and I, and I just like the way he, he just you know we covered it earlier, but just the way that he just you know talk about greenbacks and I don't know, it just made me smile every time he did it. Um, you've had some great guests on, I mean. To pick one moment, I don't know whether I could. I think you've had Amy Zewox, you've had Yak Faces Muff, you've had the Black Wampa. I think you've had the, the all of the running Stormtrooper stuff was really, really good. Uh, the first podcast that I ever heard was uh, the one where Grant interviewed uh, Gerald Holm, who was the Squidhead actor. I uh, really, really enjoyed that. But again, I think... Pete's store, uh, toy store interviews were really, really good. I thought it was really poignant that the guys who were selling the toys back in the 70s and 80s, uh, it meant as much to them as it did to the kids. And you could tell that these guys had put, you know, they'd put a lot of good years into those stores. It's a shame that they've all shut. But I really, really enjoyed that, yeah. I think Pete will be missed. Can't believe he's gone. There wasn't anything you could have done. Come on, buddy. We're not out of this yet. 
Jim kid? Okay, stay sharp. get feedback on what we've done but we don't actually get feedback on what we should have so with regards to what you could change or add is there anything which you think we're missing which we could which we could add to the podcast well i think it's a process isn't it i mean i'm i don't know how many people have got backgrounds in professional podcasting but as the as the episodes have progressed and as the years have passed it's become a much slicker thing the sound quality is better um and yeah it's you know it's um it's a lot more it's a more kind of concise and it's executed a lot more precisely but with regard to other things that you could you could bring in i don't know my only fear is that because it's so long you're going to run out of things to say but every time you you switch it on there's something new i mean i really like the interview with the guy who was talking about the star wars vinyl records and Everything that's mentioned is a, is a sort of it takes you back and it reminds you of things that you would have forgotten about. You know, you were talking about the the, the transfer sets, and there's always something that you thought you'd forgotten, and somehow it's stored in your brain. I think it's great that that you uh, and you should obviously you know continue with the way that you get people from all aspects of the hobby. Um, you interview uh, Scott mentioned people about vinyl, and then you, you've interviewed people about um, the video cassettes, and and um, and Chris, the artist that did the uh, the Empire wallpaper. So it's not always people that you know. It's in fact, rarely actually people that have worked in the films. It's more that you go around the, the all aspects of the hobby. It's totally inclusive um, because I mean, for me. The, the hobby felt quite quite a sort of uh, an insular thing, collecting from items I remembered having as a kid, that you know, or items I didn't have as a kid. And then I came to Ferris from Two was the first one I went to, and I realised that I wasn't alone. You know, it's like, and it wasn't even like a support group; it was like a social group. You know, and um, it just it was you know the first steps into a wider world. You know, it's like suddenly, and uh, it's a learning thing. Every week you you find out that. You know, that there's something that you didn't know was out there, or another item. As I'm sure, every time we go through latest acquisitions, there's more items I never even knew existed. And uh, and then you do follow-up interviews and different aspects of the hobby, and that's amazing. And, and the fact that you're so uh, all-inclusive means I don't think you'll ever run out of subject matter because there's always new people joining the hobby. There's always new things being uncovered, and and you don't keep it. It's not um, a high, you know, highbrow, high-end interviews with with you know black hole collectors speaking out about what they've got um, or, or prototype items and and sometimes when you do interview those people it, it shines light on other things that, that other just general production collectors haven't got any idea of so every interview just just makes this what we think is a, is a little hobby of oh, I'll get the toys I had when I was a kid and then you realise that there's just no end to it I think the first time one of the first podcasts I listened to, I remember Richard talking about the vintage community, and I thought that was very strange because I was just a guy who was picking up the toys that had been in the loft and was curious about it. And then you discover that there's this massive group, there's thousands of people who are all massively into it. And I think with anything that's on the internet, sometimes you get people who are a bit sort of sneering and a bit elitist and people who are collecting who have been collecting for years are always a bit uh, dismissive of people who ask 
uh, daft questions and, and stuff. But the fact that it is so inclusive, I think, is why it's so good. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I remember when I first joined the, the Star Wars uh, Forum UK, which is, uh, I've just joined Tantive today, actually. I've been meaning to do it for months. So yeah, I'm me too. <laughs> a, yeah, I'm looking forward to having a good look around on there because I've heard nothing but good things about it. But uh, Star Wars Forum UK was amazing. In, I covered so much ground so quickly and met so many like-minded collectors on there. Um, and then purely, uh, purely by uh, coincidence, um, I went to BP Fairs and, and met Lee Bullock because he had a Lily Leddy uh, 12-inch large-scale action figure on his stool. And, um, and we just bonded over that. And he said, oh, you're going to furthest from tomorrow. And I was like, what, what's furthest from? And then that then led to, to listening to the podcast. And then it just, you know, the sky's the limit. You know, it's, it's just, uh, I just have so many friends in the, in the hobby now that it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the fun thing about it. It's, it's, it's the community of it. Um, I mean, the only downside about the whole thing really is, and not just because you have to spend it, is the money, because yeah. mm. it spoils it. It, it. If I could change one thing in the hobby, it would be that it was all worth nothing again, and you just yeah. kept it because you love it, because mm-hmm. then there would be no worries. No one would be faking stuff, no one would be reproducing no. stuff, no one would be trying to pass stuff off or something it isn't. Mm-hmm. Because really, that's what it's all about. It's, it's not about anything other than that. So, um, but yeah, it, and that's the great thing about th- this podcast, is... is um, is it, it just kind of brings everybody together and sends everybody off into different directions, you know, collecting new things and, and, and discovering new items that, that just make them smile. That's absolutely fantastic, guys. You've absolutely nailed what we want to get out of the podcast. I mean, even this episode, I've just done a rough count in my head there, and I think we've got 11 guests on this episode. And these 11 guests are spread right across the whole different spectrum of collectors um, going from the guys who you know who were beat, who were there and you know seen it bought it bought a t-shirt you know did the preferable everything um, right up to newer guys who are in the hobby who are just as passionate just as excited and raring to go and when we were in Orlando, so many people had come up to us and said, um, you know, thank you for inviting so many different people onto your show. Um, because although it's nice to hear, you know, some of the, 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 the you know, the long-term members' voices, it's also just as nice to hear somebody different who's going to discuss the record collections and transfers and, you know, bubblegum trading cards and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I'm really, I'm really glad that you both brought that up. Yeah, it just encourages people to, to enjoy it just for whatever whatever they get. Um, whatever happiness they get out of it because when I first went up, I'd never been on a forum before so when I first went on the Stars Forum UK it scared the life out of me yeah. I didn't mm-hmm. want to say anything because I didn't want to be shot down Yeah. and, um, and I absolutely I, I love the guy I, I've never met the fella but he's just so funny Todd on there he just doesn't suffer fools and when I first went on there and there's a picture of a bloke in a gimp mask laying in a bath with shit up the wall I'm thinking oh I don't want to rattle this guy's cage and, and in the end, we, we ended up, like, uh, doing a, a trade on some stuff and, and, like, what a legend, you know. And it's just, like, eventually I just kind of lurked and just watched and just saw how the etiquette was and how you linked pictures in and, and just learnt all the while. And But this podcast does just that for just, you know, all the new collectors coming in. They're not afraid to, to be a new collector. I mean, they, it's not a, a, an old boys club, you know. It's literally, yeah, get in there, you know, buy what you want. It doesn't matter if it's a, a you know, a car back or a, a, a loose figure without a gun or if it's a, you know, a, a, a tri-logo yak face, you know. It's just whatever makes you smile. 
Star Wars is such a massive thing, and it's amazing how many people's lives have been touched by it. You know, how many people's childhoods were touched by it. And it was such an intense thing when we were all kids. And I think it's great to hear that you have the same experiences as somebody from Australia or somebody from America or somebody from Mexico. I think it's just great. Yeah, it's unifying, isn't it? Yeah, totally. It surrounds us and penetrates us. It binds the galaxy together. So, Rich, we've already covered some feedback at the beginning of the show, but uh, got any other feedback for the previous episode? Oh, I have, Jez, and uh, we've got a second bit of breaking news with a new discovery to, show, to share tonight. So, um, Jonathan Robinson, who we met in Orlando, um, what a nice guy, really, really nice, friendly guy. A friend of on my Facebook recently as well, and um, he seems to have, you know, this fantastic reputation in the hobby as well. I don't know if you remember him, Jez, he um, commented on our Rebel Scum thread. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Jonathan Robinson commented us about the 48 bucks. Now, remember we discussed the new 48 bucks um, with Jason Smith, and I think I asked the question, is the one missing between, and I want to say from memory, the 48C and the 48D, and perhaps is that one going to be called 48H, blah de blah blah I can't remember all of the exact alphanumeric terms. Well, Jonathan contacted me and said, hey, Rich, you know, really enjoyed listening to the podcast in April where you mentioned the 48E, F and G. And I was going through my collection, reassigning the ones when I ran across this variation. And his question was, is this the 48H, what you were talking about? So he sent us a photograph and it's a corded bosk. It's an Empire Strikes Back bosk. And I looked at the back of it and I thought, I don't know. I don't know. It's anything special. And I says, "Isn't that, isn't that just a forty-eight B, Jonathan? Um, I'm not sure it is a forty-eight H." And he said, "Well, you know, you need to perhaps look a little bit closer at this card uh, card back because you'll notice that it's actually split over two lines." When the 48B is only on one line, I looked at it again, I thought, you know what, he's right. So, but this wasn't the 48H that I was um, hypothesizing would exist. This is actually a brand new, different 48H. Um, so I contacted Jason Smith and I was like, you know, wow, Jason, um, is, is this yet another new 48 card back? And Jason was away in holiday in Mexico, and he was like, uh, you know, just wait till I get back. I'll check me uh, photographs on my website. So I put Jason and Jonathan in the contact. Jason confirmed that that's a, a brand new 48H. So thanks very much, Jonathan. And if, you know, go, go through your callbacks. The website that I recommend everybody go to is uh, 12back.com, which is Chris Fawcett's cardback. If you go to 12back.com, click on features, click on cardbacks, and you will see a link of all the cardbacks that have been discovered and the new 48H will be appearing on there very, very soon. And the EF and G is up on there. So thanks very much, Jonathan, for bringing a new discovery to the hobby. That's absolutely brilliant. Now, over on Star Wars Form UK, uh, as I already mentioned, we did have a lot of feedback on Pete's, but I just want to highlight some um, bits of feedback that we've had from some of our listeners. So, um, Stephen Savory. Now, Stephen Savory was very gracious, and I remember when we contacted him, he was like, oh, guys, am I really the kind of person you want? I don't think the collection's, you know, big enough. It doesn't rival some of the others. But Stephen come across as an absolutely fantastic interviewee. He was absolutely brilliant. Uh, he inspired lots and lots of people to write in and say, 
fantastic collection um, over on Tantive somebody asked him questions about some of the uh, idioms that he had in his play and it was great to see that uh, a conversation was going between Stephen and some of the Tantive guys about his um, you know the hand towel that he made for Celebration London and various other things so, so that was great a lot, a lot of people have said you know even Scott has gone tonight you know Steve's a, Steve's a cooler guy uh, great choice of guest absolutely fantastic Um um, the first thing I want to comment on was a bit that Simon um, mentioned, Scruffy looking no herder. Now, I did say in our last um, show that I was on the impression that restored comics could be worth more or at least as much as unrestored comics. And and Simon's, Simon sent a message out there saying, no, that's absolutely not the case. But when I've, when I've checked different places on the on the internet, there are people who are quite adamant on the fact that unrestored comics, sorry, restored comics can um, you know, be worth more than restored comics. So perhaps I don't know if it's to do with availability. Perhaps it's just the line of the comics. I, I've got no idea. So, um, so Simon just wants to point out that, as far as he's concerned, a restored comic is never worth more than the original, and at best, is worth about fifty percent. The next bit I want to move on to is um, Ed Jedi in the forum. So we discussed Slave One, and I think I was the one who said that I didn't think Boba Fett was that big a deal back then. There was certainly nobody around me who was going, oh, look, have you seen the Boba Fett action figure? How cool is this going to be? Um, I think it was a very, very, you know, downplayed character. Certainly no more so than a Stormtrooper or a Biker Scout or something like that. Um, and, and, and Ed kind of agrees with that, and he says, yep, I, I agree with the fact. He was, he, was, he was no more important than Nikto, he believes. I think he's a little bit more important than Nikto and certainly a bit more important than some of the Jaragoons but I, I do get his point but then other people have completely contradicted that and said actually no they always knew that Boba Fett was going to be really cool from the start so uh, so that that's interesting to read Seahawks Seahawks um, I don't know your first name Seahawks so next time you leave some commentary perhaps you can just stick your name on there but Seahawks is one of our American listeners and it's great to see some of his um, some of his humours coming out so he, he's written there um, I was chuffed big time when Jez uh, brought up the alarm clock and uh, Slave One Post because those were his purchases so, so that was absolutely fantastic and he's written some very very um, great feedback in there so fa- thanks very much Seahawks um, your support is appreciated Right, um, Jason Smith's interview. Now, I think it was Grant who said that Jason Smith had really held together quite well because the interview with Jamie Robertson for BBC did come across as a little bit as, as brutal at times. But Jason's responded with some some points on there, and he said it, it, it absolutely wasn't like that at all. I think they found out that their time had been cut shorter, so they had to rattle through it a little bit quicker. And I think the way it came across was Jamie was very to the point. Uh, he was a bit dry at times. He was a bit jokey, but he, he certainly was quite respectful. So I think I think the way that the interview went was it was it was question good response question good response question good response and they had to keep to that format in order for Jason to cover as much as he possibly could in the uh, ever decreasing time allowance that he was given on that. So so once again, Jason, well done. You've done really well on that. Quite a lot of feedback on the um, arcade discussion with Chris Fawcett. Uh, quite a few people have said, you know, that they're thinking about getting into um, arcade restoration. Scott has mentioned on there that uh, takes them right back to the time of Butlins and Skegness in the early 80s. And kids were queuing around to play the vector graphic games. Happy uh, times. Great times. Yeah, great times. Uh, quite a few people sent us photographs of the, um, you know, the Slave One. And I think it's Andy Preston sent us a photograph of the actual light. And it's 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 really clear to me now that looking at this photograph from Andy Preston, it's very clear that the Slave One is modelled on that light. It pretty much is um, a light fitting unit with four Slave Ones stuck on 
the end of it with a bulb underneath. Uh, it, it's it's not an iron now in my mind. When I, in my mind, when I'm looking at that now, it's very very clear that. So so thanks Andy Preston for that. Uh, lots of feedback as ever from the Tantive guys. Clint as usual did one of his great reviews, sending people left, right, and centre with lots lots of different links to to paste on the Tantive forum. Uh, it's our pleasure to send people over there as much as possible, and um, you know. The more people interact, the better for us. So if anybody's got any feedback, leave us by all means. Send us an email at swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. Contact us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. I just want to plug Instagram very, very slightly at the moment. We have quite a bit of interaction going on on Instagram. So we have promised and we are trying to post a new item every single day. So a big shout out to our Instagram followers and keep that interaction going. We will create posts on Stars from UK, Tantive and Take and Rebel Scum. So please uh, join in, send us some feedback and in particular what we like to hear is somebody contact us and saying, actually, guys, when you said this, it wasn't quite right. This is the correct information. That's a bit that we're like. We don't mind getting something wrong and somebody correcting us. That's absolutely fine. No egos here. So, come to the end of a completely different sort of podcast for us. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's, it's been rich. Has it been great having the guys with us? Definitely. It's been nice and fresh. And we've had quite a few comments tonight about what are we going to do about market. You've given us some new ideas. And, you know, perhaps in the future when we have one of guests coming in, um, you know, perhaps somebody contact us and say hey guys i fancy doing a little market rundown for you i'd like to do a one-off show you know by all means just send us some feedback and we'll, we'll we'll have a look at it and see what we can do because this has been fantastic tonight totally fresh totally different love it yeah totally now we just need to say thank you thanks ever so much once again for chris Fawcett for coming on in uh, and and righteously um Underline the fact that the slave one was originally due to have some electrics while the speaker. Steve Danny for coming on, Josh Blake, Bill Wills, Jamie Brown, Steve Taylor, and massive thanks to our friends Mark Hockley and Scott Cato. So there we go. Goodbye from Scott. Thanks, guys. See you. Bye. It's goodbye from Mark. Thanks for having me, guys. It's goodbye from Rich. Later, guys. It's goodbye from me. And remember... Only you can decide with Star Wars toys. This podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All of the original content of this podcast are the intellectual copyrights of the Vintage Rebellion. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. If you don't enjoy this podcast, tough. Are Star Wars products going to have the durability of, say, that old favourite, the teddy bear? I just thought it'd be alright to have Scott introduce it, because normally it's Stu introducing it. So, Okay, well what I'll do is, right, I'll do a few of them and you can just pick one. Okay. Um, so, okay, here we go. Now it's over to Jez with the new acquisitions. Now it's time for new acquisitions.
Now over to Jez for the New York positions. Yeah, I think so. Cool. Oh, well, I'll do one more. I'll do one more. Go on. He's a feisty one, but he'll soon learn some respect on the master sale barge. Over to Jez with the new acquisitions. That's the <laughs> that's one. That's Nailed it. Nailed it. And here we are. And he's delighted with it. But he says, well, if you can't beat the quality on show... May as well go for a huge nostalgia shit. <laughs> shit. Well, if you can't beat the quality on the show, may as well go for a huge nostalgia <laughs> hit.